Right here, but we're talking about uh, season four, episode eleven, maybe. Is that what it is? Uh, date is day or data's day, depending on how. Uh, original air date uh, January seventh, nineteen ninety one. Number one hundred eighty five. I think that only means the hundredth episode, though. I don't know if it actually is the hundredth episode of uh, Star Star Trek Next Generation. My iPad 4S is not responding to my touch at this moment at all. So I don't have the episode I've been running. I did press the home button and nothing happened. But yeah, so this is a Data's Day. Let's see if I have the right page here. Okay, still having issues getting the episode running on my old iPhone. But uh, I did, I want to say uh, thank Aristeo from Bear Trap Fitness, our friend who recommended this episode. And I do believe I got the episode almost running. It's downloading on Amazon Prime in the background. Oh, it still thinks I'm. It thinks I'm at the end of the episode. That's a good sign because I had just finished it. Um, a couple uh, work notes here. So I tried an, another new strategy on uh, watching this episode uh, to bring my knowledge even deeper. What I did was I, I've been doing. So I watched it. Uh, once for pleasure a few months ago. Uh, then when Aristeo recommended, I said, "Oh, I could use, I could do day to day, day to day." I've seen that episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, other than the Royale, uh, this may be a pinnacle of a data data related comedy. But I, I don't know. I mean, this has been a buffet of data comedy that I've gotten to enjoy on Star Trek: The Next Generation. And then I also watched it while working out once this week. And then what I did was I broke it into chunks every like a segment of the show between an ad break. I would watch it once and kind of take notes on the story. I still don't have that note taking down on the story beats good yet. Then I would watch it again immediately after and take in-depth notes. Uh, so I think we'll get a little bit more uh, marrow out of the bone with this kind of level of sucking I'm doing. It, that was, uh, I think that, that was a tr- true metaphor, but I also felt like it might make someone giggle. Uh, but let's fire this episode up. So data's day, logging, uh, for the second officer's log, record entry for transmission of Bruce Maddox, Cybernetics Division, day, Daystrom Institute. And it's a letter, though, from data... Uh, audio letter, kind of like a podcast, personal podcast episode. And Data's on the bridge. He like uh, the visuals right now. He he's strolling the bridge. He's strolling the bridge, and he's saying, "Jesus, my in reference to your most recent letter, I agree your study lacks pri- su- sufficient primary source information on my programming and operation. So, uh, in response to your request, I'm going to give you a complete record of my activities during a normal day." With emphasis, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and friends beyond the binary, and my perceptions of friendship. Uh, Riker shows up. He's like, they have interchange. Hey, geez, you're Riker, you're 15 minutes early. And Riker says, well, it's a big day, Data. I thought the th- father of the bride would enjoy being relieved early on wedding day. And Data says, thank you. And Riker says, are you nervous? He goes, I cannot become nervous, sir. However, I do sense a certain ap- ap- anticipation about the wedding. And Riker goes, what's going down today? And Data says, normal. We got uh, Lieutenant Juarez is in labor. And we're waiting for the Zukov uh, with uh, Ad- Ambassador Tapel. 
And Riker says, I have the bridge. And then Data says, I, sir. And then Data says, begin day watch. Or Riker says that. And the lights change, which I did, like, I think that was the first time I've seen that, which I thought uh, was interesting. Let's see if I have any other notes. Primary source. Uh, Data sits. Uh, he he sat down because Riker was early, so Data was just sitting down in the commander's chair or whatever. Right as Riker showed up, so he had to get back up. Uh, as always, Riker was amused. Uh, that's you know that's no surprise. I have the bridge. It's a voiceover episode too, so Data's giving us voiceover, not just I guess through his uh, log, but we're reading his thoughts uh, actually. So it's a VO, and I, I said, huh, I wonder how many episodes of uh, uh, Next Generation are VO and not Picard VO. I don't know. VO, I don't know how many. Make it so, was what Picard would say. It's a, Picard probably, he said, we're going to do a VO episode? Make it so. Uh, let's see. Uh, go to Keiko's room. She has a lot of birds of paradise in the room she's in. Uh, data's out collecting human data or data. She also has an interesting Keiko uh, character we'll discuss more. Don't know if I've like recognized her other than from this episode and then uh, preceding episodes. But her workplace doesn't really show, unless it's her hobby. I guess that was another question. But anyway, she got this interesting multicolored rock sculpture fountain on one wall. Also, a little bit, uh, I don't know, like, like I don't know, I won't comment on the dec- rest of the decorations in the room because I didn't know, I don't know, I said, huh, this is culturally, is this, I don't know. So, like, I guess they were culturally present Earth Japanese, so I said, I don't know about that, uh, that's what I meant, I know, I might as well just be honest with you. Uh, then at 2.41, some wooden doors with circles of glass and starfleet. I was trying to figure out where they were, where data was. Data. 10 forward, though, it ends up. Because uh, he goes to check the wedding setup. Uh, uh, does the ship change, charge? Oh, I w- this is a question. Does the ship charge for wedding programming? Uh, then behind O'Brien, I don't know what that means, we'll see in a second. Data gives bad news. Uh, Jordy's not happy about it. Uh, then the VO, close open. I don't know what that means either. Uh, let's see. So Data's in the co- corridor, giving his voice over. I've developed a program enabling me to predict human emotional responses to specific actions. He goes into Keiko's quarters. She's getting married to O'Brien is one of the things happening in this episode. And she says, I don't, I don't think I want to marry O'Brien. Calling off the wedding. And Data says, may I ask why? She goes, I'm marrying O'Brien. And Data, no, she says, it's just the right thing to do. She, and Data says, have your feelings for O'Brien changed? And she says, I should be happy by getting married, but I'm not. It just feels, I'm feeling a lot of pressure. And Data says, will canceling the wedding make you happy? Keiko doesn't answer that question, which is interesting. She says, he'll be as relieved as I am, Data. You introduced us. Can you let him down for me? And Data says, as you wish. Uh, Then Data does some, uh, what do you call that, voiceover. He says, my friend uh, Chief O'Brien says that above all else, he wants to make Keiko happy. Since canceling the wedding will make her happy... I must assume the chief will be pleased at her decision. 
And so Data says, hey, Chief O'Brien, I got great news. He goes, what? He goes, "Uh, Keiko has decided to increase her happiness by canceling the wedding. And O'Brien's like, she's just canceling the wedding out of the blue? I can't believe it. And he storms off, and Jordy kind of shames Data. He goes, next time, maybe let me break the good news. And then Data does another VO. He goes, Commander Maddox, it would appear that my program designed to predict human emotional responses needs some adjustments. Uh, Then we have the open, and Data says, personal log supplemental. This is the 1,550th day since the commission of the Enterprise. Besides coming, Ambassador Tapel coming, other events, four birthdays, two transfers, the Hindu Festival of Lights, two chess tournaments, one school play, and four promotions. Overall, an ordinary day. So I liked that. I really loved that, the, the diversity of events. Uh, I thought that was cool. Uh, then Data goes down to meet uh, the um, Ambassador Tapel. Uh, let me see what other notes. Uh, and uh, Ambassador Tapel is a Vulcan. And Data says, welcome aboard the Enterprise, Ambassador. She goes, I'll meet with your captain. Let's see. Post-open story-wise, two ships meet. Ambassador is tactical. Romulan's in the neutral zone. Uh, we have the, This is the story points I was trying to Data and humans with his limits. Uh Friendship, confusion about feelings around weddings, him and Jordy, him and Worf, uh, dancing, something about being self-sufficient, then kind of being without emotional detections or something, and the gut. That's the most important thing, like, we learn about this, I think. Also, yeah, so Data says 1550th day, lists of stuff, transporter room, then on the turbo lift, uh, Data 604, Data's really staring at this Ambassador Tapel's hat or eyebrows, really side-eyeing Ambassador Tapel. And even says, since I'm not affected by emotional considerations, I'm more Vulcan than human or closer to Vulcan than human. However, while their devotional logic does have an appeal, they find their stark philosophy limited. Uh, then they head into Picard's office. Uh, Picard uh, intros Riker, his number one, to uh, the ambassador who says, leave, please. And Riker's like, at first he's suddenly taken aback the way she's staring at it, staring him down. And then as they leave, he go, he glares and he t- says to date a charming woman. Like, because he's not, you know, he's not happy that uh, Ambassador Depel. It was also interesting uh, that uh, Vulcan say, I come to serve, and Picard says, your service honors us. And Data also comments on irony. He says, oh, the tone of Commander's voice makes, uh, say, a charming woman uh, think me he's not serious. Uh, my experience is, experience, this is good that Data's, Data's evolving. He says, my experience says it's the opposite. Irony is a form of expression I have not mastered. Then we get a pretty good scene in a hair salon with Jordy getting his hair done and with the barber. And uh, the barber's blue. I think I've seen the barber before. Very, very charming barber. They didn't have any a lot of mirrors other than the handheld ones I saw in this barber shop. Uh, link reared. What does that mean? Ink head. Link hair heard. Woman. 
something haired, some haired, green haired woman. She's from the Grinch, uh, from who the planet of Whoville. This woman getting her hair dyed. Eight oh five. This woman's in the background, uh, getting her hair dyed. Eight oh five. Dated us this double take as her hair changes from green to brown to ginger. What that says, Link. Oh no, Lunkhead. Data calls Jordy a Lunkhead. We'll get to the dialogue in a second. And then Jordy says, "You better go get a gift." Uh, then the eight thirty-two way store, way sold store, way sold store. But yeah, Jordy. Let's see. Data says, "I've been trying to figure out friendly insults and jibes, another form of human speech. I'm trying to figure out with my best friend." He says, "Jordy's his best friend." There's another big moment. Say, I could be your best friend, Data. No offense to Jordy, but uh, I could do a lot with, uh, you know, an evolving android with super strength. And But he says, uh, Jordy, Jordy says, are you going to get a haircut? And Data says, my hair does not require trimming, your lunkhead. And Jordy says, what? He goes, my hair does not require trimming. And Jordy said, you call me a lunkhead? He goes, I'm experimenting with these uh, insults. Not meant as a serious disparagement. And I think it's funny, too, that Data uses this, like, old, I mean, especially then it would be old uh, thing. He's about to do his double take now. I'm watching. It's hilarious. Uh, and then he says, Jordy, can I ask you what happened this morning with O'Brien? And Jordy says, he's just surprised. He didn't mean to get mad. He just uh, thinks Keiko does want to get married and she has cold feet. Data says, cold feet jitters, a nervous reaction to an impending event of great importance. And Jordy says, don't worry, it'll it'll all work out. She'll, she, they're going to get married. And Data says, really? And Jordy says, absolutely, so go get a gift. And then again, we have another scene not to be missed here. It, this is like, like two of my favorite characters together, Worf and Data. And they're at the ship's store, which is just replicators. So I don't know if you pay for this stuff or what, uh, but Worf's shopping, which is just hilarious to watch. I could watch this kind of stuff all day long. Just the way the looks on his face, his body language. But Data rolls up on him, and he, Data says, can I get some help with it? And Worf says, yes, of course. Uh, I have attended human weddings before. Uh, something, uh, just, he's just get just a formal kind of demeanor. I don't know what that means. But it, it, Worf turns into like a high school teen here. He's very mean girls. Uh, it's, it, this is gold. You got to watch the scene. 830, it's at eight minutes and 30 seconds. He says, my parents used to make me go to these things. Let's see, let's go to the data. I mean, to go to the, uh. Uh, worse looking through gifts and uh, he, he says my parents usually buy people glasses he goes a human the uh, human you know human custom and then he goes to this glass wand he's, he's thinking about buying it Worf is and Data says I thought the gift would should respect the, re- reflect the personality of the person giving it uh, this isn't like you at all it's a gravy boat a glass swan crystal gravy boat and Data says, have you been a participant in a wedding? And Worf says, no. Like, just like, I mean, that's straight out of the movie Mean Girls or some Disney. He says, no. Like, just like a teen or a twain even. It, like, literally, if you watch one thing this week, watch Worf say no. Eight minutes and 30 seconds. And Data says, wouldn't you think of it's honor? And Worf's still in this. He goes, an honor? 
Perhaps, but human binding rituals have a great deal of dancing and talking and crying. Yeah, no, his is disgusted and loud and uh, such a teen human or something. Human binding rituals. Then Data heads over to May, uh, the med bay where Dr. Crush is checking out a pregnant woman. He says, hey, do you think you could teach me to dance? She pulls him right out of the uh, room and against a wall. And she has this really, uh, I don't know what this says, tempted, something sensual look on her face. Uh, very intense. Closed lips. And she smiles as Data walks off because she says, uh, how do you know I know how to dance? And Data says, I heard uh, it's in your uh, your service record. You won first prize for jazz and tap at St. Louis Academy. And she goes, great. And she goes, I don't want to be called the dancing doctor again. So uh, you're just trying to make fun of me? And Data goes, no, 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 I want to learn how to dance for real for the wedding. No, I don't think he says, yeah, something. I want to learn how to dance. And uh, let's see, Kalos, she smiles as Data walks off because she's pleased to get back. You know, she loves dance. Oh, she also zips her lips and Data zips his. Uh, then Data gets an assignment from Picard and Ambassador Tapel to check out stuff with the neutral zone in the, uh, like, uh, whatever, the freaking whoever they are, Romulans. Check into the neutral zone, you know, to give us some strategy stuff. But Data then, he said, like, uh, then they go to the bridge. Uh, let me see. My notes aren't great. Oh, uh, yeah. And then they go to the bridge and then uh, they they keep changing. And they start heading into the neutral zone, like a new course correction. Data says, if I, I'm fortunate that I can work without emotional distraction. If not, uh, heading towards the neutral zone would make me nervous. And we're, the camera slowly pulls in over Data's shoulder, and we see him. He's kind of tapping his finger in a nervous manner. And then he looks at his tapping finger with surprise. I thought that was a powerful image. Then there's an ad, then story-wise. So, so far, Data needs to understand humans, get a gift, learn to dance, and save the wedding. And uh, something, Mr. Varney, hot. Something, something, something. Does he have a gut? Uh, can he trust it? Uh, that's like a, a, a question that really seems to be important. I don't know what Mr. Varney butt means, but who knows? Uh, then we have Data and Picard with the ambassador. Caution. The ambassador goes, uh, she's flying solo on a risky mission. Uh, then Data feeds his cat, the pet cat. All systems are normal. This is still story stuff. O'Brien comes in, we see more of their friendship, uh, and Data's the thing about, uh, he's apologizing, O'Brien, and Data talks about making his friends comfortable. Uh, then he says, Data, geez, could you talk to Keiko for me? O'Brien says that, and Data seems uncomfortable, and he says, I will try. So something about being calm and rational, facts equals simple. What? And then Keiko says, it's not that simple, just leave me alone. And they put friend double question mark. Something true, true, Tracy equals a mystery, like human relations puzzling. I don't know what that means. True? T-R-C-I or T-R? Troy? Oh, Troy. Uh, human, like he meets with Troy. Not a, no suitable guide for the variables. Troy says, let it be. 
And then Data kind of talks about, should I marry? Because I'm not going to grow old. Uh, then we see the ambassador pacing. She wants information on systems. Data says, why? She says, oh, it's just testing you. And then Data again says, I wish I had an instinct. Uh, I'd prefer to have a gut feeling about this. Okay, so then, uh, like, let's go to the beginning of this sequence. So Data meets with Picard and the um, ambassador who talks like a robot. Uh, Data says, geez, I'm trying to, this, uh, Commander Maddox, there's still dynamics of social interaction I don't understand. Data kind of sets out, geez, this is what I think the Romulans are up to. And Picard says, do you think, you know, he says they're trying to provoke confrontation. Picard says, do you think they're going to change? And Data says, 90% no. And then uh, the ambassador, she says, caution is clearly called for, Captain. However, the mission must proceed. And Picard says, well, I don't feel great about this. Then he sends Data off. Uh, Data feeds his cat feline supplement 74, in case you you know you want to do that. Look like a tuna or chicken. And it, it didn't, I don't know if I've seen Data's cat before, but Data's very loving to his cats. He uh, sits down, he does a fluid diagnostic check, and he pets his cat. Uh, let's see, chunks of tuna. Oh, there's a bug or an ant on the cat and the cat food, but the the cat loved that. Uh, Data holds and pets the cat, checks his fluid systems. O'Brien comes in and paces around a bunch. Says, you know, that's what we could talk to Keiko for me. Make her see reason. Uh, they work together, but Data, she respects you. Uh, Data's at a loss, but I'll try. Thanks. Uh, let's see what else we got. Data's big on, like, offering O'Brien a bunch of refreshments and music to put him at ease. And Data, O'Brien says, what do you think I should do? And Data says, maybe she hasn't analyzed her decision. At first he says he's not going to help, and O'Brien goes to leave. And then Data says, I will try. And O'Brien says, thank you. And then Data sends his letter to Commander Maddox. I noted Cato was calm and rational when she made the decision this morning. Therefore, you know, I'll just give her an objective analysis of the situation with the facts. And, uh, you know, she won't let emotions cloud her judgment. Make This is going to be simple. So then Data goes and tells Keiko. And she says, what? He goes, you made an incorrect analysis. Uh, she, she goes, what do you mean? He goes, you're not happy. And you assumed that canceling the wedding would make you happy. It's incorrect. She goes, Data, it's not this simple. And Data goes, you need to re-examine your decision-making process and look for errors. And she goes, I'm capable of making my own decisions. Data goes, the facts aren't in dispute. You acted with undue haste and you hurt O'Brien's feelings. And then she goes, what? I thought we were friends. And Data says, well, I am your friend. She goes, if you're my friend, leave me alone. And then Data says, uh, hey, better figure this out uh, to the Maddox. Better talk to Counselor Troy. Also, let's see, Data's in the hall thinking, cut, what? I don't know what that meant. Uh, Keiko works in the garden or like the floral, like uh, like some sort of uh, growth, growing plant area. Shimon sweet, oh, oh, she also had like a sweet, uh, what are those things called, overall outfit. She was wearing overalls. And uh, she also had a scanner, just like the one that changes people's hair color. So I don't know if she was changing flower colors. Troy drinks English tea, I think, because she had tea with milk. Uh, then because he, he goes to see Counselor Troy, yeah, next. 
shows has like a, a circle moon painting on her wall, like an I- Ikea bookshelf with like CD storage. Uh, Data will, as we go through the uh, dialogue, he blows Troy's mind, but she still finds a way to put like an empathy positive spin on it. So let's see, what did they say to one another? Uh, Data says, Deanna Troy's the friend I understand the least. Uh, her duties are based on the perception of emotions, and since I have none, you know, maybe we're both mysteries to one another. And Data says, what should we do about O'Brien and Keiko? And Troy says, that's a good question. Maybe when they're ready to talk, they will. And Data says, I've been trying to figure out this marriage thing, but I haven't found a guide. And Troy says, a guide for what? Uh, you know, to figure out successful marriage. She goes, yeah, good luck. And Data says, you know, got a, these culture wedding, this and this. And Data, Troy says, you know what? You want to help them? Don't help them. Let them work it out by themselves. And Dady says, but I mean, they're friends. Shouldn't they stand by them in their time of difficulty? And Troy says, yeah, but sometimes being a friend just means letting them be. And Dady says, well, what do you think? And she goes, I don't know. They're in love, but maybe that's not enough. Uh, marriage is about growing old together. And Dady goes, growing old? I didn't realize that was a part of marriage. And Troy goes, well, normally. And he goes, well, I don't grow old. I'm just an android. But I've thought about getting married. And she says, she said, Dita, I have no idea. She, like, puts her arms around, around him and sits next to him. Very good move. And she goes, Dita says, I have lots to offer, but I'm not going to grow old. And she goes, you do have lots to offer, Dita. Then Dita gets called to see this Tapel lady. And she's in, like, a fish, fish shark. Like, she's, has her, she had a giant headpiece on. And now she just has like a skull cap on with a, a fish fan and down the middle. Kind of reminds me of some of my nuns from childhood. And she tests Data by asking him to get, she goes, geez, I have the password. Can you give me all the security protocols? And Data says, I can, but I have to report it to the captain, you know, because I follow all protocols because I'm an android. And she goes, okay. And he goes, do you want me to tell you how to, you know, all the, and she goes, no, 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 you know, this, that was just a test. Don't tell anybody. They put holy fish shark head. Uh, she has some nice flora in her room, though. She glares, uh, your, her reaction stares at him. She turns away and she says, you may leave. Uh, uh, then Date is walking, but he just stops to think, uh, like once, like his gut is uh, chiming. Then he stops, he goes to get on the lift, and he thinks again. So he's definitely advancing. But he does say that. He says, Commander Maddox, I've wished for intuition or instinct. Uh, since Vulcans can't lie, I have to accept that the ambassador is telling the truth. But I'd prefer a gut feeling. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, pauses. Then he shows up to the uh, holodeck, and he, uh, they say, Crusher 4 is in progress. Uh, what about, I wondered what Crusher 1, 2, and 3 are first off. And then this is, this scene is unbelievable. 2130, if you, you definitely boot this up. I mean, this scene will change your life in a good way. Uh, but, uh, I also wondered if Wesley, so does Wesley have, like, if it's Crusher 4, what if Wesley's, like, looking at some, what if Wesley's in there? What is Crusher for for Wesley? Like, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't want his mom to see any. He'd probably call it like, uh, he'd make it up. He'd say Crusher and uh, Encyclopedia Brown 
the most boring case, so his mom would never look and see. Instead of saying, Wesley, I know what Crusher 5 is in him, uh, or whatever, Crusher 6, yeah, 16, my brain. Wesley, holy moly. So let's see, they have dance class, basically. Um, and there's a lot of interesting camera angles here. Let's see, I've learned to dance. Uh, I've wanted something to dance, not at the, at the wedding. I don't know, I, I can't read. Simple and nope. Uh, lead in, oh, this is like the story points. Lead and improvise. But something's wrong with data. Then we see Riker and his humor and his uh, chances at love. Uh, then they arrive at the spot. The Romulans in the neutral zone and transport begins. Something be something being solo. I don't know. And then uh, Picard tries to keep her safe, and that doesn't work. So let's see the dance thing. So there's uh, they're at this dance studio from Professor or Doctor Crusher's childhood, and Data says this place is great. And she says let's start with something simple. Let's stop and try it. And it just is 2141 when it really gets good. Because uh, Data, I'll just run through the visuals. But he says, "Am I dancing, Doctor?" Uh, this scene, this sequence will create empathy with Data if you needed it. Uh, in the final lesson at 2215, there's side hops. A couple of different times she has to say, "Stop, Data," because then she says, "Try this," and then at 23, Data won't stop doing the Running Man or the Running Android. She says, "Stop, Data." Uh, then it's not bad. Data's dancing. Isaiah Rontren, uh, take over. Isn't ro- oh, isn't romantic? Isn't it romantic? That's, I thought it said Isaiah Rontren. Uh, then they do take take two because Data keeps stamping on command uh, Commander Crusher, Doctor Crusher's feet. She smiles. You've got to lead. Data says, "Lead where?" And she goes, "I'll lead." And then she goes, "And now you lead." Quick, they do a quick change, and then. Uh, Data's still looking at his feet. She goes, look up. He looks up to the, the ceiling. She goes, look into my eyes. And then she goes, Data, you're holding me too tight. And then she goes, now smile. And Data gives the worst smile. Like, it's so, so weird a smile. And uh, let's see. Crusher gives, uh, Data gives such a weird smile. Binding. Oh, we'll do that. We'll go back to that. So let's see if there's any. Uh, oh, let's see. Data says, uh. So the, the like they start tapping and like there's different shots so that they have professional tap dancers at different points, but it doesn't matter. Like the data does the first steps. It's just so comedic. It's visually comedic, so I can't really do it justice. But you know, it, it goes. It really is a really well done scene because when uh, we have Beverly Crusher dancing and enjoying it and, and seeing, it's just uh, feeling full of life. This, again, I wish there was DVD extras or something so I could see the filming of this, the bloopers from this scene, the cast memories of this. But they start doing this little dancing, tap dancing dance-off. And uh, Data just, uh, he's just like, he's just a little bit off every time. He can pick up all the steps, but he can't get the human ass. But he reminds me of me. So much. I mean, maybe I wish I was a used to, like, I wish I was a supercomputer android. But they even have, they have a couple different dance-offs. Now they're spinning and dancing. 
and they both have really good moves and a great, great camera switching, really creative way to shoot this. And, uh, like, I think, like, uh, I don't know, like, just really good. And then now they're doing the running, like, they're both run, run, tap dancing, but Data just keeps going, like, he's running somewhere. And she goes, stop, Data. He just has this really intense look on his face. Uh, and there's also confusion. Data learned to do some tap dance. He goes, okay, so I'm ready for the wedding. She goes, oh, no, 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 for the wedding, you need to learn how to dance, uh, with the bride. Oh, I didn't realize you're the father of the bride. They don't do a lot of tap dancing at the wedding. And Dave goes, why? She goes, well, geez, I don't, I don't know. And then she goes, okay, let's run isn't romantic. Uh, and Dave can't pick up leading because he can't watch uh, Crusher's feet and memory, you know, he has to collect the data. And uh, like, uh, she she goes, it, it, you know, it's a lot of other variables, very complex set of variables to coordinate, doctor. And she goes, also smile and act like you're enjoying yourself, which is, uh, you know, a little bit of a challenge for Data. Uh, and Data, you know, steps on Dr. Crusher's feet a few times. And I can't imagine, like, getting stepped on by androids, you know, that would that would be painful. And then, yeah, Data gets this crazy smile. Well, just you just got to do yourself a favor and watch it. And then um, Crusher has to leave, so then Data gets a new partner, a computer-generated partner, which looks like, uh, I believe it was Donna Dixon. She was married to Dan Aykroyd, I believe, and she was in Spies Like Us and a bunch of other 80s movies. Uh, that wasn't the actress in the scene, but it reminded me of her. I, when she was in Spies Like Us, I had a huge crush on her. And... Uh, I think she was, so maybe she was in, I don't know what other movies she was in, but uh, I don't know. And so then Data dances with the uh, hologram, and then the scene ends. All right, so let's see, we're back. So Riker, we come on board. Riker's, to the, Riker's telling a story about a jump roper and how he was a jump rope champion pulls Jack down. I don't know what that means, but he's got to crew around him. He has, it makes, and then Data comes and, uh, but uh, Riker's still making a lot of eye contact with one of the crew members and grinning. They go all stop. And Data kind of says, geez, you know, Riker has, is really humorous and easygoing manner. Fascinating. That's why he's so popular among the crew. Also, maybe why he's so successful in matters of love. Maybe a correlation between humor and sex, but not on my not on my watch. Boredom and sex, no. Maybe humor and sex. Uh, boredom and neuroses mixed with humor. Maybe just straight humor and swagger, though. Need for research is clearly indicated. Data says. Uh, then they stop, and then uh, they kind of go into the neutral zone. They're trying to meet up with this uh, uh, Romulan warbird. Uh, so they go into a holding position, and they kind of do a quick warp. I didn't understand that. Crew's all working together. Then Tapel puts in her own uh, coordinates, and then they, they text with the warbird, and then they get it on screen. Admiral Mendex running that ship. He's very uh, presidential, This very presidential for, you know, I think he may be president of uh, whatever, where are they from, Morlock or Romula? 
Uh, but Bell says, I'm Ambassador Bell. Mendex says, I'm Admiral Mendex. And they said, no, no protocol for this kind of meeting, so I'll just come aboard your ship. And then Mendex says, yeah. And then he says, Captain, you got your defensive systems up? And Picard says, you do too. And Mendex says, I like how your style shows strength, eh? Can't wait to meet you, Ambassador. Come on aboard. And Tapel says, the honor's mine. Then Tapel says, I'm going to beam aboard their ship. And Picard says, I don't understand why we can't have the meeting here. We have plenty of room. And she says, hey, your arguments are illogical. Follow my instructions. And then they say, O'Brien, transport the ambassador aboard. And then there's a problem with the transporter, and they transport the, the like, Worf has to boost the auto sequencers, Data has to do the computer override, and O'Brien loses the pattern. I mean, O'Brien's having a rough day. Holy cow. Probably want someone else uh, other than a jilted uh, wedding day person, you know, running the transporter. I mean, no offense. And then the ambassador goes to the farm planted in the sky, there's a break, and then Data says, you know, personal log supplemental. You know, risks on the starship are accepted by those who serve, but uh, there's always a deep emotional response to the loss of a comrade. At times like this, I miss the ability to share feelings. Let's see, text only, coordinates, warp, red alert, ambassador, puts in her own coordinates, gives a lot of orders. You know, it's the story theme of loss and Data wishing Data could share feelings. Then there's a mystery of what went wrong. Romulan Blars get out. I don't know. Blairs get out. Says something. Uh, data investigates Sherlock Holmes style. T-pad code. Wild goose chase. Uh, those are just story notes. No wonder I'm having trouble uh, uh, figuring. No wonder I'm having trouble figuring this out. Uh uh, then we get the whole crew investigating what went wrong. Face off of the two ships. Everyone's working on it. They're calm, professional, concerned, and focused, I noticed. Very professional crew. But they don't have a conclusive answer. Ricard's size, you know, to go to a farm when you're transporting. Unbelievable. Hardly fitting. And Crusher says, we do have some organics we can check here on the pad. So we'll look into that. And then Worf's like, this Mendex calling, wondering where their guest is. And this was straight out of the freaking Pennsylvania press room. He says, the Mendex, the scene. He says, we're waiting, Captain. Is there a problem? He goes, oh, yeah, uh, Patel Patel's, uh, got transported to a farm. And Mendex doesn't buy, oh, this is a trick. You're really trying to trick me with, uh, you know, Romulan, uh, tricky stuff. And, and and Picard says, no, 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 the ambassador got transported to a farm, a metaphorical farm. And Mendex says, sure, sure. He goes, why don't we leave the neutral zone before there's trouble? And uh, a lot of other, you know, and Picard says, okay, we'll leave, no problem. But Picard says, Data, I don't buy my gut. You know, Picard shows that he has a gut. He says, I, I uh, take care of investigation, study everything. I don't believe this was a malfunction. And then Data's voiceover says, Captain Picard was the person who introduced me to Sir Arthur, Arthur, Arthur Conan Doyle. I've sub, sub, subsequently become a great admirer of Sherlock Holmes and his ability to solve mysteries by a careful examination of the available evidence.
Also, let's see, everyone worked, regard size, Admiral Mendek, presidential and cold. Also, why Picard's giving him the assignment, Data's eyes are moving, like he's reading something off his eyes, they're scanning. Yeah, then Data walks off and investigates, first with Geordi, then with O'Brien, then at the med bay. And actually, Crusher's like, no time for dance class right now, Data. He goes, no, 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 I'm pulling a Holmes here, I'm Sherlock Holmes. And she goes, what? And, and then actually earlier Data had said, I found Holmes' methodology of deductive reasoning to be useful. One of his adages is, once you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. And Data says, how about we scan those organics? I want to check some stuff. It may be an untamed orthon- orthonoid without a cause. And Crusher pauses, wild goose chase? And Data says, yeah. And then they figure out that it's not uh, the organics from the um, ambassador or, you know, something else is going on. And then Data says, you know, there was a temporary increase in the matter. This They have a staff meeting, matter-to-signal energy ratio. And I think there was a second transporter signal doing it. Uh, he goes, even though this was improbable, it was the only remaining theory. Riker says, a second transporter from where? And Data says, from the Romulan ship, they transported the ambassador while we were transporting her to make us think we transported her to a farm in the sky. And they left some organics behind to trick us. And Picard's not happy. He says, okay, let's go talk. Let's go catch him. Worf, uh, get over there. Track him down. Chase him down. And Data says the safest and most logical decision in this situation is to contact the Starfleet and await instructions. However, based on past experience, I can predict, project only a 17% chance Captain Picard will choose that alternative. And Picard goes to red alert. Let's see what other notes I have. Chasing an untamed arthenoid without a cause while well, goose chase and nods. Yeah, they check the mitochondria and neutral lights or something. Uh, but, uh, are these aren't, uh, there's like dramatic music and uh, when your data says these aren't the remains or someone says that there's dramatic music, they pull into Crusher. It's a double pull in. They pull into Dr. Crusher. Then they pull into data. Then data moves his head in thought. So let's see. Data makes story wise. Data makes the case and the divorce is heading home. Oh, Picard's at the window, which was interesting. Then, yeah, they go into red alert. They're in action. Picard's not happy. And then Admiral Mendek starts playing dumb because, uh, uh, let's see, they catch up. And then uh, Mendek says, Captain, I thought you were going home. And then Picard says, you have our ambassador. And Mendek says, I can assure you no one's being held here, which is true. And Picard says, we know you mess with our transporter. And then another Romulan ship shows up, and Mendex says, I suggest you leave. And Picard says, I protect Federation citizens. I can't deal with this. And Mendex says, you're going to start. He goes, this is like the Potemkin or something, the uh, whatever, the Tolkien, whatever. It's like one of those. And Picard says, I have to, I need the ambassador. And then Data does a voiceover in the game of poker. There is a moment when a player must decide if an opponent is being deceptive or holds a winning hand. The decision is based not only on the odds, but on the appraisal of the man. Is he bluffing or does he have the cards? And then Mendex says, oh, Captain, I don't want to start trouble today. 
And then the freaking ambassador comes in. Turns out she's not Vulcan. She's Romulan. And, like, uh, looks like in some sort of romantic relationship. Subcommander Selok actually regards as a spy. And Mendex says, no, Patriot. She's, you know, was spying on you. That's patriotism. Antibel says, thanks for the help, Captain. And then Mendex says, uh, you see, we're not holding anyone. We're just, thanks for dropping our sister off, uh. Uh, game's over. Hit the road, Picard. And then more Ro- Romulans are coming. And Picard's not happy. And Riker says, some days you get the bear, some days the bear gets you. And Picard says, reverse course. Let's head back to Federation territory. Let's see what else they have. In the game of poker. Let's say I'm not ready to start a war today. I put WTF. Uh, yeah, leave now. Three more Romulans. Some days you get the bear. Then Data goes to see Keiko, who's working hard but happy. And Data goes to apologize. And she says, get dressed for the wedding, Data. And Data says, what? And she says, don't be nervous. He goes, I'm not nervous. I'm confused. I thought the wedding was over. And she goes, here, put this carnation on. And then we go to the wedding it was very cross-cultural, uh, like some Japanese influences. I don't think there was anything Scottish or whatever O'Brien is, uh, but, you know, it could have been. Uh, like, people are in their formal uh, dress, so that was nice. Uh, there's a close-up on, like, a last close-up on Data as he does VO. Uh, and I put, oh, no, okay, this is for the opening, but, it, yeah, let's see, uh, uh, Picard says, since the days of wooding sailing ships, captains got to marry people. Then Data says, there are many human emotions I don't fully comprehend. Anger, hatred, revenge. But I'm not mystified by the desire to be loved or the need for friendship. These things I do understand. I liked that. Uh, I liked that. And then Picard says, congratulations. Data dances with Keiko later. Uh, then we see Picard is, let's see. These are things I do understand. Uh, then Data is dancing with Rido. We did that. But then Picard's in the nursery. Uh, Data comes in and he's talking. Picard's like, shh. And he, he says, welcome aboard to the kid. Data and Worf switch. Oh, that's the very end. Uh, he wel- Picard welcomes. I thought Picard didn't like kids, but I guess he likes babies. And that was the Juarez child that was just born. Uh, then we go to the bridge where Data Worf's on duty. And it's the end. It's actually the beginning of the next day for Data because Worf says, uh, all systems normal, headed for Adolphus 4. Engineering's fixing a reflector, deflector disc. A sick base got Mbato who uh, slipped during exercise. And we're looking at the Mirasaki Quasar. And Data says, very well, I have the bridge. Worf says, aye, sir. And Data says, if, if being human is not a matter of just being flesh and blood, but instead a way of thinking, acting, and feeling, then I'm hopeful that one day I will discover my own humanity. And then Data says, let's begin night watch, and lights go down. And then Data says, and until then, Commander Maddox, I will continue learning, changing, growing, trying to become more than what I am. And that's the end of the episode. Good night. Uh, I want to thank everybody on Patreon uh, and say thanks and good night to all the new supporters. Dan, thanks and good night. Chloe, thanks and good night. Uh, Thanks and good night to Jordan. 
Sarah, thanks and good night. Kathy, thank you and good night with the C. Kathy with K, thanks and good night. Uh, Micah, oh, Micah, Mike P, everybody, thanks and good night. Michael, uh, uh, Stephen M, thanks and good night. Chrome, that's who, thanks and good night. Sue, thanks and good night. Tracy C, thanks and good night. Sonia, thanks and good night. Uh, Greg, thanks and good night. Chicago One, thanks and good night. Shandell, thanks and good night. Dan, thanks and good night. Natalie, thank you and good night. Catherine, thank you and good night. Susan, thanks and good night. Craig, thank you and good night. Mary, W to the B, thanks and good night. Jay, thank you and good night. Garrett, thanks and good night. Brenda, thanks and good night. Uh, Cahill, thank you and good night. Uh, Khalil, thank you and good night. Jan, thanks and good night. Alex, thank you and good night. Sarosi, thanks and good night. Robin, thanks and good night. Josh, thanks and good night. Teresa, thank you and good night. Matthew, thank you and good night. Uh, Tanya, thanks and good night. H1248, thanks and good night. Alice, thank you and good night. Nagor, thanks and good night. A, thanks and good night. Stefan, thank you and good night. Uh, Jennifer, thanks and good night. M, thanks and good night. Mick, thank you and good night. Alyssa, uh, thanks and good night. Brian, thanks and good night. Kelly, thanks and good night. Crystal, thanks and good night. Coral, thank you and good night. Edward, uh, thank you and good night. Davida, thank you and good night. Apania, thank you and good night. Deborah, thank you and good night. Emily, thank you and good night. Phil, thank you and good night. Uh, Derek, thanks and good night. Haley, thank you and good night. Chad, thanks and good night. Laura, thank you and good night. Andrew, thank you and good night. Lisa, thank you and good night. And Ryan, thanks and good night. So thank you everybody that supports the show on Patreon. Thank you so much. And over on PayPal, I want to thank uh, Shari, thanks and good night. Miss V, thank you and good night. Edward, thank you and good night. Uh, Dorothy, thank you and good night. Uh, Todd P, thank you and good night. Uh, Jamie J, thank you and good night. Leslie, thank you and good night. Vander, thanks and good night. Michael, thank you and good night. Stephanie, thank you and good night. Uh, Diane, thanks and good night. Susie, thank you and good night. Lynn, thank you and good night. Thomas, thank you and good night. James, thank you and good night. Uh, Mary E to the G, thanks and good night. Uh, Judith, thank you and good night. Mark, thanks and good night. Allison, thank you and good night. And Nancy, thank you and good night. Willem, thank you and good night. Haley, uh, thanks and good night. Uh, Tara, Tara, thank you and good night. Louis or Luis, thank you and good night. Alexandra, thank you and good night. And Mary, thank you and good night. Uh, thanks and good night, everybody. All right, hey, everybody, we're back. Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation Returns to Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. And Star Trek Next Generation fans, you might be saying it's about time, Scoots. And I'd say, well, it was only a matter of time before we returned uh, to talk about the episode, A Matter of Time, Season 5, Episode 9. And I just got to get the episode fired up on this uh, old phone. And it's downloaded. It's not starting, but that won't won't, uh, stop us, right? 
So we're dealing with the dust cloud, this one. Penthar, Enterprise on its way to Penthara 4. C-type asteroid hit a continent, no people, but there's a dust cloud, and they're worried about it uh, causing an win- early winter, uh, just like on 21st century Earth. But Jordy's on it, working on a plan. Uh, Jordy and Riker, I'm watching them in data. They're con- talking about it. Uh, Rasmussen, let me run through my notes here. Let me pause the episode. Because they returned to my uh, same message. So I watched the episode once for pleasure. Then I watched it two different times when I was working out in the background. And then I broke the episodes into the ad breaks. And I would watch one every night. I was watching one segment of the show. Once we kind of get an idea of the story and take some notes. And then again, like taking detailed notes. And then I have it running again. So what is that, five times, six times? One, two, three, four, five, six, about six times. And honestly, like, this may seem obsessive, but I said, well, I, don't, I, I, I mean, I don't think I could watch it anymore. Like, uh, who knows? I'd fuse. I think I'd start acting like, I'd say, I'm, I'm, I'm John J. Riker, Jingleheimer, Jordy or something. I'd start walking over and say, what's wrong with you? And I'd say, make it so, my ice cream so creamy. Uh, uh, but this episode features Rasmussen, a story from the 21st century. Hey, are these story beats, I guess? I have numbers. One, Penthara 4, Type-C asteroid. Two, uh, Jordan Data on it. Rikers comes in for backup. Riker goes to the bridge. Oh, really good exposition. We'll talk about that. Uh, Picard, are you one, two, three? Uh, so, sure, Worf, uh, delay of one hour. Uh, then Mr. Worf's distortion. I liked when they said that. Riker on out mission, Mr. LaForge. Uh, something, I don't know, maybe I'm a little lost in my notes here. Let's see. So, Mr. Worf, Riker on that. Worf, what? Say that four times fast. That'll come up in our things. Oh, they say a small ship appears. So this is when the action starts. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're working on this planet. Jordy's working on trying to figure out to, you know, deal with the climactic changes, forecasts, Riker's helping, Data's helping. Then Picard calls Riker to the bridge. Uh, and Worf says there's a strange uh, time-space uh, distortion, sir, and there's something back there. Yeah, we just almost, you know, we almost, uh, we were real close, 300 kilometers within the ship. Uh, And Picard says, too close to be a coincidence, Mr. LaForge. And Jordy says, oh, yeah. And then Picard says, well, how about an hour delay to check it out? And they say, okay, Uh, small object back there. And, uh, oh, then Jordy says, yeah, don't worry about it. There's not going to be another asteroid. And Data says, yeah, odds of that occurring are extremely unlikely. And Picard says, thank you, Data. So then they, Picard says, Ensign, bring the ship about. Let's take a look at Mr. Worf's distortion. And that's when Riker goes, Mr. Worf's what? Uh, He comes onto the bridge. And then they they really, how they're doling out the, I mean, you could tell this is season five. They become masters at uh, giving us all this exposition, but making it interesting. So, because then Picard gets to explain to Riker, well, he says, Mr. Worf's what? 
And he says, oh, well, uh, Worf's sensors detected a temporal distortion on our course. Small object back there wasn't there a few minutes ago. Uh, then they come on the object. It's a small ship. Uh, sensors can't penetrate the hull. Uh, then they have a little com- com- a couple of comic scenes where Worf goes to hail it. And I don't know if they changed the dialogue because it seemed like they were hailing in. But Worf goes, that's odd. And Riker goes, what's odd? And Worf says, we've received a response. But, uh, and Picard says, what, Worf? He, they, and Worf says, they want you to move over. And then Picard kind of gets a pride, like puffs his chest up. He goes, reply, the Enterprise is not going anywhere, Lieutenant. And he goes, no, no, not the Enterprise, Captain, you. And then Picard moves back towards Worf. uh, And as soon as he moves out of the way, uh, someone uh, um, teleports in. And they put here, let's see, 150, this was 155 when uh, Picard uh, gives his dignified speech, the Enterprise is not going anywhere. And then I put Holy Jim Carrey, because in beams this Rasmussen. He says, oops, excuse me, Captain. And I kept wanting to call him Matt, but that's because like that's because Matt Fewer is the actor. And he was on, like, an episode of Criminal that, like, when during their I got to see their live show in San Francisco. And he, he wasn't there, but they interviewed him. It was interesting about Max Hedrum. He's Rasmussen Berlinghofer, which is just an unbelievably wonderful name. And they say, geez, what a name. What are you doing here? And he goes, oh, this, he, he's doing a lot of comedy. Because uh, he says, wow, this is bigger than I thought. Um, and again, I don't want to, like, almost a little too, he's a very physical actor and a very quirky Jim uh, in the Jim Carrey vein. I mean, I think he was doing Jim Carrey before Jim Carrey was. So very big contrast to the ship, which isn't normally stodgy, but, you know, you say, okay, these are military people. He's like a goofy. He's a bit like Doc Brown, too. You're right, Brain. Was that my left brain or my right brain that I just said was right? Yeah. Who's on first? I don't know. My left brain or my right brain? Uh, but uh, Rasmussen says, Jesus, they say, Which, what, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, all the historians know about the bridge of old uh, 1701D. And they say, where are you from? He goes, Earth, 26th century Earth, which no one said, whew, thank goodness, is Earth still kicking it in the 26th century? And he says, yeah, I came back 300 years to check it out, you know, see what's up. I think that's it where, yeah, I think that's where it ends. Uh, then it opens um, with, uh, okay, here's the story notes. Uh, historian, flatter me, why me, can't tell. Meeting, oh, they have a meeting. So first Picard's like, why are you here? And he's like, oh, to study you. And he goes, huh, well, and then they have a meeting. And the staff want to know why now. And he, he Matt Fewer says, Berlinghoffer says, I can't tell you, you, you can't ask. But Troy's like, I clear you're holding something back. Uh, but they say, oh, he is human and future-like. Uh, his clothes aren't future-like, but maybe they are. And there's some distrust, but Picard says, let's make the best of it. And even Data's curious. Uh, and then there's uh, the, the, this section that closes with Berlinghoffer with an apple and a wry look. Maybe they did two things, because then they arrive at Penthara 4, they do a temporary fix, do it, uh, crew and professor. 
And there's a discussion of, uh, so the crew, hmm, and then the history versus the detail, perspective, uh, and interest. These are kind of themes, I guess. And then so I think uh, Jordy figures out you're here to witness this mission. When you have all, when you have the something, when you have the A-T-R-E, hmm, I don't know what that means. Uh, then he says something like, well, if it all goes well, we'll all be fine. Or maybe that's what Jordy says. And they try, then there's no change. They're working on the planet, and then they're trying, trying. Then all's well. They fix the planet. Thank you all, the guy says. Given versus time or something. I don't know what that says. Uh, to witness in... Oh, this is the worst handwriting I've ever seen in my... It looks like to withers in badabada, to witness in, in something. I don't know what that says. It'll come up again. And then there's some of that 1942 Picard face, a good Picard face. If you want to see a good Picard face, go to 1942. Yeah, okay, then we have our detailed show notes. Post open, they're, uh, he's looking at Picard's glassed in uh, Shakespeare book. And... Uh, Picard says, what kind of historian are you? He goes, well, 22nd through the 24th century. That's a little hint, by the way. Interstellar history, you know. They always thought your book was on your desk, but don't move it because I'm here. Picard, Picard gets, this is pretty funny because he's kind of being, he's playful. He's like, oh, you don't think, he goes, my room isn't a historical landmark, is it? And then Rasmussen's playing along, very silly. Oh, your legendary modesty captain. What a thrill it is to be here. And then he's pointing out paintings and like Picard's a wax figure or something. He goes, oh, you flatter me, but I can't help but wonder why you're studying me. And then he goes, even in this decade, there's far wiser and more experienced humans of Starfleets. Even in this day. And then he's just walking around. He's kind of measuring the room. And Rasmussen's hamming up. Then Worf goes, then they're at the meeting. Worf goes, why now? I love Worf. You know, you know how I feel about Worf. And then Jordy says, right, you know, why are you studying us in this particular moment or the captain? Why not earlier or later? And Rasmussen goes, just wait and see. And then uh, he goes, Worf, do you always sit there? And Worf goes, usually. Why? And he goes, I don't worry about it. And then Riker is very skeptical, you know, great skeptic that uh, Riker. He goes, at what point does time travel become a tool for historians? And, like, even Riker's speaking from experience, because I don't know if you were on the planet with Leland Palmer, but we really crapped it up there, and we had some good role play. But he goes, you know, Riker's like, this is ridiculous. He goes, I wouldn't, you know, Riker's like, what kind of professor? He goes, maybe you are a professor. He goes, are you a tenured professor? Do they have tenure in the future? Because you don't deserve it, I think is his point. And Erasmusen kind of plays with him. And then Crusher's in, in, you know, inquiring about stuff from the future. And she goes, I can't just can't help it. I got to know, you know, what cures they got going. And Picard says, listen, we got to keep this to ourselves. And then Erasmusen says, I'm going to do questionnaire. You all got to fill out questionnaires. So this becomes a really a good recurring joke with Worf and the questionnaires. And he goes, complete them at your convenience. I'm concerned about breach of security. Uh, or if you're like, whatever, Rasmussen. And Jordy goes, if I hand my time, Jordy, Jordy's the joker. 
no offense, but his jokes sometimes can be. Because if I hand my assignment out of time, can I get a glimpse into next week's poker game? Uh, then they send him out, and they still are, like, depositing. Uh, and he goes, Deanna, what do you think? She goes, well, he's holding something back. And then Crusher's like, yeah, because he knows the future. And Troy's like, I don't know, no. And the record says, it, what if he's an imposter? God knows we've seen enough of them. So this is good, again, because they're dealing with the audience objections in, a good, like, a good way. I mean, think about it. after season five, 26, you know, so to like 130 episodes or something, uh, they really got to be on their feet, uh, the, the writers and the directors and the actors and everybody. Uh, let's see. They say, well, was a temporal distortion? Just for, and then they they say, well, he, he, maybe he's not an imposter because there was a, a temporal distortion, distortion, distortion. Okay, one more time. They said, well, maybe he's not an imposter because it was a temporal distortion and, you know, ship's weird. And you know, so let's just keep an eye on it. Keep the ship on board. We'll keep an eye on it. I know this is difficult, but this is where it was weird. But Picard says, I examined his credentials and everything seems to be in order. I was like, hey, credentials? So I think we should extend them. And the wharf says, including questionnaires. And Picard says amusingly, including questionnaires, as Worf's uh, number one objection, 710, uh, 722, he has a questionnaire. Oh, no, these are facial ones. 710, he makes a questionnaire face. 722, another questionnaire face. Uh, Jordy's joke really relieved the tension. Even Picard was relieved. Uh, it diffused it. Uh, then, um, you know, number one, what does that mean? Examined his credentials. Uh, that was on an eight fifty. That's when your war says, including questionnaires. Uh, then they're on the lift. A day, he's studying Data's ear and touching Data's face, and Data co- corrects him. He says, you see, "I don't know how much history you know about the Model T." And then they, he, yeah, Matthew is really putting on a performance. So he goes in the room. He's moving around, picks up an apple, tosses it around. Ace Data says, what's the problem with the room? He goes, oh, no, I just thought it was bigger. This was one place I had did have an objection. He goes, it'll do for now. Then he goes, he knows how to turn the sink on, even though it's nothing like any sink I've ever seen. And this is where he lost me. Like, this is where I turned against Rasmussen and the first time watching it. I couldn't forgive this uh, scene. He washes his hands. And then he, like, holds them out to have Data dry them or get him a towel. And he lost me. Like, I, th- I don't know if it was an intentional. If it was, it was brilliant uh, uh, to say, okay, this is clearly an antagonist. But it was so rude. Uh, it was just, like, very rude. And I said, well, I don't like this character. And uh, at first, you know, he's playful. So I think that was because, I mean, spoiler, he is an antagonist. A mild, because the planet's antagonism is a little bit more... Maybe he's more of an irritant, but we learn even Data wants to know the future, but he says, keep to, you know, keep your questions to yourself, Data. And then uh, Berlin Hoffer throws an apple in the air. His eyebrow goes up. And we see Pentara 4. looked a little bit like the Red Square. And then Picard lays out the plan, you know, dealing with the greenhouse gases. And New Seattle's rivers are frozen. 
the leader, the lead scientist or the leader of Benthar 4 sounds exactly like Robert Reich. I mean, Robert Reich is on NPR. Lately, I, I don't drive that much, so I don't listen to a, a local NPR. But usually for a while, uh, it would be either um, Michael Pollan. If you turned on NPR during the day, be, the chances of either Michael Pollan or Robert Reich being on there was like a 60, 65 percent. And it's not criticism, just I do love Robert Reich. Maybe we should start a podcast. I know he teaches at Berkeley. Reich, what do you think? You know, I don't think we could do it. I don't know what we should do. We have to look at our Venn diagrams and see what we have overlapping, because definitely your brain's a lot bigger than mine. I mean, let's be honest. But I love your voice. I do love your personality, too. Anyway, so he sounds like Robert Reich. And then we better get started, uh, you know, until there's nothing left to to, to amend. And then they're in nine forward, chilling. Um, Riker, um, Crusher, and uh, Worf, and twelve ten Worf again. This is fourth questionnaire problem. He goes, I hate questionnaires. And they see uh, the Berlinghoffer go in. Look who's here. Professor says, Hey, come on over, hang with us. Uh, Riker and Worf share a look, and then there's uh, he hands out the uh, uh, questionnaires, 1245. There's another something uh, something from Worf. I can't read my handwriting. It looks like Tommen. They look like lab slides from a high school and middle school. Everyone's calling them professor. I guess like Berlinghoffer, professor is easier than Berlinghoffer or Rasmussen. Rasmussen talks a lot with his hands. Uh, perf- perfect, I'm not here. Riker asks out thought. Uh, why no? Uh, oh, why is there no records of other time travel historians? Riker's really on his case. Uh, right, you know, right away. Uh, Thirteen forty. This rig gave it away at Bit Digital. Watch. Oh, the ring. He has a ring. That's a digital watch. Uh, that, that is another. Where I was like, there's something not right about his ring. Uh, he's checking the time. We learn that Riker thinks the best invention ever is the warp coil, where Worf thinks it's phasers. And uh, this is when I, like, again, I'm not good at figuring these puzzles out. So this is when I thought maybe this is Q undercover, because he says how delightfully primitive. And because he was very flourishy, I said, is, could this be Q? And they said, well, that would have been the first thing they suspected. And he had human DNA, but Q could probably spoof that. Uh, then Data and Jordy foreshadow some stuff. T.T. Uh, Clayton's, what does that say? Professor. Oh, the professor shows up. I don't know what that other thing says. He's trolling Data's speed. He's like, Data, he's not very fast, huh? And then Jordy gets an idea. He goes, you're here to witness stuff. 1605, I put data exclamation point. I don't know what that was. At, oh, he goes, that's what Berlinghoffer says. Data at Penthars 4. And then data says, if you, oh, no, Jordy goes, if you excuse me, he had to maneuver around uh, Berlinghoffer's, like, blocking his way. So Jordy has to, like, do a left, right, left to get past Berlinghoffer, uh, like a running back, NFL running back. Uh, then they talk about vision and blindness. He mentions Stevie Wonder even, 
and then Matt he he pockets a PDA like a personal like a like a pad, and then Data he says something. Data says he says it, it's like he says some truism that no one's ever said before. And Data he goes you know just like they say. And Data goes I know of no one that says that. Like every ship has its hour or something. Um, then they're drilling. Professor shows up when they're on the bridge, drilling on the Pentar 4. He sits to Picard's left. That made me wonder, what are the seat assignments? Like, Troy's usually on his left. I guess he was on uh, the right. And I said, isn't that, Picard, isn't that Riker's seat? I mean, Riker, you know, can stand up for himself. But uh, I've seen other people sit there, too. But usually on his left is Troy. Which would make sense, I think, when you're talking about like a balance of power, balance of influence, maybe. You know, this was something I missed. 1715, there's a scene with a woman on Pentara 4 working on a map, and it gives her a red uh, reindeer, Rudolph nose, just the way the map was, in case you're really bored. Uh, Troy on the left, oh, that's what I put. Uh, you're going to uh, give give us what we need, cute FaceTime. No, no idea what that means. Oh, that's what it is. You, you get Matt makes a cute face, and he says, "You've given us what I, we need time," which is what the planet said. Oh, hey, you, your drilling worked. It gave us what we needed time. And then Matt's hamming it up. Very clever, uh, Captain Picard. He goes, "Oh, so good to be here to witness it all." But he's so over the top. We, we'll kind of learn that uh, that's part of the show. Uh, what's he up to? These are the questions for the story questions. Uh, questions come up, questions of trust, uh, curiosity. Crusher's kind of curious. And then there's questions about him on the bridge, but then there's trouble on Pentar 4 with the volcanic action, which they caused. And they want to sort it out. Look what we've done, but it's complex. Matt's still shoplifting stuff. Uh, good news if we we can ionize the plasma. Bad news if it doesn't work out, we're out. So they're in the med bay after the ad. This guy has this cut. He has a little cut on his leg. It was a WTF moment. I said, "What the heck happened to his leg?" Like, like I don't know if it was like make like hardcore watchers laugh. And Professor's really hamming up. He's saying, great job, crewman. He talks to a kid who's got great posture and energy, or he has great posture. And this seemed to break protocol. Uh, Crusher gives him a neural stimulator. And what I put, beta light levels. Uh, He was curious about beta light levels. I didn't know if that was for his dating profile. I don't know what I was writing a joke here, but it didn't. Beta light level curious. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. So he said, I'm beta light level curious. And I said, that that's what the joke is. He said, put in your pro- dating profile. Yeah, no one, no one was laughing here either. Uh, he's very persistent, though. He tries to get a crusher to go on a date with him. And uh, great. Uh, I, liked, I liked how Crusher was turning him down. Oh, she says, I could be your great, 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 great grandmother. So no way I'm going out with you. That is weird. And then I, I was watching with my da- daughter one one of the times. I said, how many times did he say great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother? And she said five, I think. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Four, though, it looks like on the notes. 
Um, yeah, but he'll like curious, but who gives that a neural stimulator? I'd like to pay. I don't, I know I don't want one. Uh, then they're on the bridge. Rikers watching seismic activity. The effects were so good, like on the bridge. When Rikers watching, like almost did. I said, man, that looks really, really good. Uh, also, quick question, anybody that's listening. Is there a Star Trek font, the next generation font, or what font do they use? You know, that's just something that made me think about it. Also, Rasmussen had like an interplay with Troy at one point. And he he wants her trust, and she says, "Well, I don't trust you." And he tries, and she says, "Well, why are you worried about it? Who cares if I trust you or not?" Uh, which is, you know, kind of suspicious. Uh, then uh, he goes to Data's room. Data's listening to music blasting it. The professor goes on. He's like, "What?" Then we have this like Alexa moment. Uh, but also, there was talk on the bridge that we're missing. You know, kind of talking about. Uh, yeah, uh, they were talking about the questions. That's when there's a uh, wait, wait a second. Uh, uh, I'm missing a little bit on my notes here, but uh, there's questions on the bridge about the, they're talking about. Geez, what questions were in the uh, survey, the whatever questionnaire? And Riker was like, history, starships, and see if we had a grasp of the fundamentals. And Data was like, mostly on. Uh, uh, Dr. Songs, and then there's an alarm about the volcanic activity on the Earth, or on whatever, Bentar 4, and there's trouble, and they call Geordi, like, we got volcanic trouble, and they say, Jesus, the planet's in trouble. Yeah, we covered this in the story part, but I guess not in the detail part. And they say, Jesus, it looks like we did more damage uh, than help. Uh, that's not good. Uh, look what we've done to these people. Like, by trying to help him, we, we messed it up. Then that's when Rasmussen goes into Data's room, and there's music blasting. He goes, what the heck? And it was very Alexa moment, because Data's listening to Mozart's Jupiter Symphony, Brand, Bach's Brandbird Concerto, Beethoven's Ninth, and uh, uh, Ver- Ladonna Mobile from Rigoletto Verde. Just lucky enough to see it the Met uh, back a long time ago. And uh, he said, the rest of you says, can you send it down? And then Data shuts down one. He goes, no, 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 eliminate them all. And then he says, it's still too loud. And he says, turn it down. And Rasmussen gets in the hell instead of Riker. You know, Riker or Picard are usually the ones that say, how the hell or what the hell. But he says, what the hell are you listening to for music at once? And Data said, I can listen to 150 at once if I want, but. If I'm going to analyze it, I keep it to 10 or less. But I'm also, you know, rendering a movie and uh, helping Jordy, so I'm busy. So I got four. And then the, he says, geez, you really answered those questions thoroughly. And Rasmussen says, geez, there's not much about Dr. Soon's work uh, that survives. So he goes, really, I want to get some schematics. And Data says, sure, as long as I'm done with my work. And Rasmussen says, okay, I'm leaving at 0900 tomorrow. And then this was weird. Worf says, geez, Commander Data's calling for you. We got to patch him through to Commander uh, LaForge. So I said, oh, that's interesting. Like, you got to go through the central hub to get to Data's room from Geordi, from the planet. And then Rasmus says, what the heck did all that mean? And he says, well, geez, there's good news and bad news. Uh, you know, we, we'll have to tell the captain. And Rasmus says, which do you want to hear first? Let's see what other notes I have. Uh, 
Data professor comes in. Oh, Data's got a dumb waiter in his room. I, I got to pause it. I, gotta, I think I can still do it now. Uh, full of stuff from the. It looks like stuff from the Three Musketeers. There's a uh, a hat, a foil, a book. Um, this screen's very small. But I said, is that a dumb waiter in his room? And there's a have, and it has some books on the top of it. And it looks like a costume from Three Musketeers. Uh, like, I haven't watched every episode of um, TNG, so I don't know when it's going to come up. Uh, but then uh, Worf has LaForge, uh, you know, hailing him. No direct calls, which do you suppose the captain's going to want to hear first? And Data has to think about it. I, I thought that was strange. When he says, what do you think? Uh, no, I said, no way. He would know. Data would know. Oh, command, 90% of the time the commander prefers uh, uh, the good news. And then they go. He tells him, Jesus, he, he, he goes, give me the good news. He goes, we can fix this with some sort of plasma thing Jory's working on. Ionization, like they used to use in air purifiers. He goes, what's the bad news? Well, if we mess it up, we'll burn off the atmosphere. And then there's a quick pull of focus into Picard's face. Uh, then we have an ad, and then there's a captain's log. We're over the planet, and we're working on this plan, but it's a philosophical issue. This was a long uh, scene with a lot of interplay between Rasmussen and Picard. Uh, so it starts with Picard looking out the window. He's got a crystal in his hand that I haven't seen before either. Uh, Picard's very calm and rational. That would be a share. Yes, it would. Okay, we'll go through the dialogue. Matt's very smug. Cannot ask, but uh, he, but the whole time Picard's holding this crystal in his hand, kind of rolling it and patting it and using the crystal to make a point. He's very like a therapist at early scenes in this. Uh, but then he gets hot when Matt starts doling out the logic. They get into like a SAT level a logic debates. You know, methic, methics, ethics, and morals. That's called methics in the future. Uh, professor tries to even, he's trying to, I don't know what he's doing. Picard's got a fish. That was the other, for the first time I noticed the fish. I think it was an angelfish or something. And the Professor's kind of bugging the fish, which I said, what is it? He said, I really don't, I'm lo- like, uh, leave the fish alone and talk to Picard. And then I also never noticed Picard's got this glass, plastic, uh, lucite sailing ship model. Uh, Picard again, right thing, he gets irritated and he says, it's the right thing to do. Uh, and then this is from the opening, life is making choices. And then he says, geez, I can't help you. I'm sorry. We'll go through the dialogue. Uh, at this point, he seems actually sad. And then they go to the bridge. But basically what they do is Picard says, hey, I brought you here. He goes, we got this planet down there. And we could try to save it, and he goes, if we mess it up, you know, that's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. If we don't say, fix it, a bunch, you know, it's, it's we got a dilemma, and I'd like to try to make the best choice I can, you know, to protect people, oh, millions of people, if they mess up. Uh, and Rasmussen says, well, you want me to tell you what's going to happen? And Picard says, well, everything with Starfleet uh, says I can't ask you that. But he goes, 20 million people says I should do something. And Rasmussen says, well, geez, I guess this is uh, depends on your convictions. Uh, and Picard says, he, go, he goes, well, this is the first time I've had access to this kind of information. So I have to re-examine, he goes, if I'm going to re-examine my beliefs, then I have to look at this as an asset, uh, 
So it would be irresponsible not for me to deal with this. And Rasmussen's like, well, just have, whatever, however you want to spin it, Captain. I'm comfortable with me. And he goes, really, just comfortable sitting back and watching. And Rasmussen says, well, what if I tell you, you know, he gives like a, like a pretty weak, uh, you know, logic argument. I don't even dignify it and understand it. And regards to geez, we learned that kind of moral dilemma in freaking grammar school in France, buddy. And Rasmussen says, geez, well, wait, you know, don't you know about it? You could change the future, which is, this is a really powerful discussion when you get to the end. And he goes, I can't let you uh, mess with history. I'm too responsible a professor. And Ricard says, okay, I have two choices, but uh, either way, history will go forward. He goes, either the history you're in or another one. And he goes, who to say which is better? He goes, I am living today with two million lives. He goes, that's an incentive. And Rasmussen then gives another weak argument. He goes, well, every life ends, so who cares? Uh, Really cold stuff. And Ricard says, well, we got the prime directive, which we can't interfere with the evolution of alien worlds. He goes, I swore to uphold it, but nevertheless, you know, I've ignored it on occasion. Really good acting here. His face and the times he gets irritated are really good. He goes, if you're holding some temporal equivalent of that directive, he goes, can't you make an exception here to help? And he Rasmussen says, it's not a choice. You're trying to change the future. And Ricard, he goes, every choice we change the future. He goes, the dance or vacation, person's life, their future hinges on a thousand choices. Living is making choices. Now, if you ask me to believe that, you know, one choice or another is going to affect your future, he goes, I don't care. He goes, your pay future, I don't know, something. He goes, I'm writing the future right now. And that's when Rasmussen looks like like it was sad. He goes, "Geez, I can't help you." But it was like, what you realize is, uh, I don't. I actually don't know what we realize. And then they get to work, and then Rasmussen says, "Well, what are you going to do?" And Picard says, "Well, by not helping me, he goes, you left me with the same choice I had to try or not to try, uh, to take a risk or play it safe.'" And he goes, "Now I realize how precious the right to choose is." And I've never been one to play it safe, so I choose to try. Let's do it. And I love that because that's really some sobriety has given me the choice, the right to choose, which I gave up for a long time. Really powerful choosing. So they get to work. Everybody's working as a team. Uh, Phasers are going. Sequence is locked in. Let's see what other notes I got. I choose to try. Very Goonies-like. Uh, so there's a, there was an ad, and the Enterprise turns to the planet. That's when they do their last chance. You know, this is our last chance to help this planet. Uh, Jordy stays behind in the planet to help, which kind of raises the personal stakes of the ship. It, then they asked myself, I think the first time I said, was the professor gambling on all of this? And again, we have a lot of great effects as they clear the plasma off the planet. Even, like, uh, what's his name, is sitting on the edge of his seat. Well, that's why I was asking if he was gambling. Like, he didn't know the outcome, but he had a bunch of money on it. And then it works. And they go down to Robert Reich and Jordy, and they say, we're still breathing down here. The sun is shining, and all is well. Oh, this was also me and my daughter liked this when we watched it. They say, when they call, Jordy's like, I'm going to stay down here and help. And then Data says, he could totally help down there. 
And Picard says, it's a big risk. Uh, there's no guarantee this will work if it fails. And Jordy says, there's no guarantee it's going to fail, Captain. And I, I, I liked that. I, I, I need a Jordy. I need that Jordy in my life. I don't know some of the other, but that, that Jordy, uh, to say, hey, there's no guarantee it's going to fail. Scoots, come on, buddy. It'll be like LaForge, you butterfly in the sky. So there's that, and then so they save the planets. And, oh, even Matt says LaForge remained below. He's still doing his little um, commentary. Then the, this is when everything gets fixed. And then this this was a, such a great ending. This was really, I mean, for a subtle or more, um, well, there's a couple things while, while I'm talking. One, it's interesting when there's a guest appearance episode versus just a shipboard crew episode versus a traveling off the Enterprise episode. But I was so proud of the way this episode ended. Very um, powerful, powerful ending and realist and not vanilla. Like, I was just so happy with this ending. And, you know, not the nicest ending. Like, I just say bravo. So let's see what happens. So the Enterprise turns to the planet. Uh, everyone's waiting. This is our only shot. Uh, let me see my notes. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll skip the story stuff so I don't. They got their one stop. Professor is connecting. Uh, Jordy stays behind to help. Uh, also, it's a Burger King greenhouse back on the planet on uh, Penthar 4. Uh, right off where all the scientists work. Uh, no guarantee it's going to fail. Professor's making faces the whole time. Uh, Riker glares when he says, Little Forge and remain below. And then Ellie Tuppercart says, Proceed, Mr. Data. And then there's EPS planets, EPS taps online, plasma, very good, good effects. They said the reds and the blues. Then they smoke, and the Enterprise goes blue and shakes for a minute. And then Matt worries. All's clear. Uh, very Earth-like. I thought I saw the Red Sea for a minute. Um, uh, when, like I said, that looks like the Red Sea on a globe. Uh, sunshine, Sea Captain. There was nothing to worry about. Jordy says, and they say, okay, let it. Let's cool. Let's let this thing cool down on its own. And then Matt says, hey, it's time to go. And he's really tickled pink. He goes, see, she did it all without my help. Uh, and he waved, pause, you know, you're, uh, oh, he goes, he goes, I got to go, checks his time. Then he hit a weird pause where he says, geez, you're taller in person, Commander. And I, I don't know what that was. It just weirded me out. I said, that doesn't make sense. Uh, and then as he leaves, as Matt, uh, Matt Professor Berlinghoffer leaves, uh, Riker shares a look with Worf and then, uh, him and Riker. So then they, he goes to leave, and then they're all waiting for him. He goes, geez, look, everybody's here to say goodbye. And they go, no, 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 we're going to look inside your ship. He goes, oh, too, too curious. He he won't give up the ghost or whatever they say. He won't let, like, end the lie. He goes, oh, no, no, I can't let you look on. It's a ethical issue. And Picard says, well, there's a bunch of shoplifting going on on the ship. And Rasmussen says, geez, like, I'm not looking for relics. I'm sure they'll turn up uh, you know, like that you're stealing them because they're priceless because they're so old. And Worf says, if you don't open the vessel, I will. And Rasmussen goes, I don't think so. And then Riker, double, they double team him. Riker goes, if you don't get in that thing, if we don't get in that thing, I guarantee you won't either. I really liked that. 
And then Rasmussen says, well, she's only, maybe only data can come aboard because it's very sensitive. And Riker says, why? And then Picard does the exposition. He goes, data won't tell if I command him not to. Future stuff, even though they could see onto the ship. Uh, and he probably created an ethical conundrum for data that may burn out data circuits one day. Uh, but then they say, back in a minute, he gets on the ship, it's got a hand, like a touch ID. <laughs> And uh, they get on and all the stolen stuff's there. And Data says, I do not believe any of these belong to you. He goes, he had no no shoot, Data. He goes, neither is this phaser, buddy. I'm taking you with me. And Data goes, why? For a museum? And Data Rasmussen goes, nope. Uh, he goes, in the century I come from, they haven't been invented yet. And then Data says, well, he goes, it, it, it was weird because your temporal, he goes, you just, uh, and he goes, oh, this is a time pod. He goes, it's from the 26th century. This poor guy showed up in New Jersey, he ran into me, and I stole his ship and his clothes, then figured out how to use his ship. And then Data goes, so you're not a historian. He goes, no, a failed inventor. You know, those, uh, you, do you know what an infomercial is, Data? And Data says, what are your intentions? He goes, well, uh, well, originally I was going to just take this stuff, but now I'm going to take you too. He goes, this ship's going to automatically transport. Uh, he goes, and then I'll get rich off, uh, you know, reverse engineering you. He goes, in a few minutes we'll be back in a place called New Jersey. No wonder. He goes, but you're going to be asleep. But then the phaser doesn't work. And then Data has a tough move. He says, I'm a, I assume your handprint will open the door whether you're conscious or not. And then Rasmussen gets taken off the shuttle with Data. And Data says, you're right, but he's not from the future. He's from the past. And then Picard's pissed. He says, oh, really? And you're protecting the future. What a jerk. And Rasmussen's still trying to sweet talk, but he knows his ship's going to leave. So he goes, just a misunderstanding. Let me just get back in my ship. And Picard says, well, why would I do that? And he goes, Data says, Worf, get the items. And Crusher's mad. She goes, nice performance. And he goes, no, no. He goes, I did have a crush on you, Crusher. And Data says, he's from the 22nd century. He's an inventor, Captain. And Picard, this was just so good. It was so realistic how they would really deal with it, I think. And I think this was more of a story conundrum to let the guy off easy or to give him the real deal. And they give him the real deal. Picard says, pity you weren't more inventive. Because if you hadn't stolen so, so much stuff, we would have never caught you. But he goes, he goes, the only stumbling block was your ship. You know, we couldn't look in there. But as soon as you opened the door, the computer could see all the stuff you stole and turn it off. And Rasmussen says, I just got to get on that ship. I got to go. It's gonna, and then he goes, nope, we're li- you're under arrest. Uh, Riker, uh, Riker says, Worf, take him to the... Uh, cell, and we'll tell Starfleet we're dropping off at Starbase 214. And he goes, yep. And then he goes, please, please. Rasmussen, obviously, he's like, holy cow. And then his ship goes away, which really solves the other conundrum that, you know, they can't keep the ship because that would be a danger to, you know. So it works out great. The ship just goes off by itself. Or again, wonderful writing and story design. Uh, but yeah, like Rasmussen, he's really crushed because they say, no, no, he goes, I don't belong here. And then the ship goes and really good acting, really good acting. And Picard, he goes, and then when the ship goes, he goes, no. And he's devastated because he's now trapped in the future. Uh, but, you know, no way to get back now ever. 
And, I mean, talk about mind-melding. I mean, holy cow. And then Picard says, I'm sure that there's more than a few legitimate historians who are eager to learn from you. Welcome to the 24th century. They cracked my daughter up. She was laughing at how, how twisty that barb was. And that was a great, great Star Trek episode. Really good. Really good. And not in, not in any, like, uh, highfalutin way. Just really enjoyable television. All right, good night. All right, I want to thank everybody that helps out on uh, PayPal. John N., thanks and good night. Suzanne S., thanks and good night. Christopher S., thank you and good night. Max G., thank you and good night. Craig B., thank you and your good night. Heather C., thank you and good night. Mark Z., thank you and good night. Uh, Sarah D., thank you and good night. And Karen N., thank you and good night. Uh, over on Venmo, I want to thank uh, Mandy, thanks and good night. Alexis, thank you and good night. Mary R., thanks and good night. Caden, thank you and good night. Jason, thank you and good night. Uh, Tom, thank you and good night. Thanks, everybody, for helping out the show. And I want to thank people over on iTunes that reviews mostly Fit Mount from Canada, 4 a.m. Savior, No Trouble at Bedtime. Nothing consistently successful helping me get back to sleep. Thank you, Mostly Fit Mom. Uh, then 111, Tim1111. Thank you, Scoops, from Australia. want to thank you. Works for me. I've had so much trouble sleeping. You help a lot of people. Thanks. Thank you for the thanks. How about Melody2213? Can't sleep without a podcast. A lifesaver. If you're skeptical, just pick, pick an episode, get in bed, and hit play. You can thank yourself in the morning. Thank you. How about Emma G. from Australia? Sheer brilliance. Brilliant like a gentle friend who's gotten me through a hard time. Thanks. Uh, Jam 8282. 8282. Better than expected from Canada. Thank you. Jen Len. Love it. Listen every night. Silly, witty relaxation through us. Storytelling and rambling. Thank you. Uh, Soapy in Nova Scotia from Canada. That's in Nova Scotia. Canada. Anyway. Uh, sleep with me. First, I was skeptical. What the heck is this? I thought. Then I tried another episode, and now I can't imagine going to sleep without it. If you can't sleep, this podcast is for you. Two years up. Thank you. Uh, Just K up. Uh, uh, really saving. Truly, just realized I never reviewed. Uh, shame on me. And never listened. I've not listened on and off. But I've been going through a lot, and. Uh, this distracts my brain so I can rest. Thank you for your weird, wild skills and imaginative mind. Thank you. Attorney Beachbum, uh, highly effective voice drones on lulls me to sleep. I think it's, uh, it's a contradiction, but it really like to show. Uh, D-Jum from Canada works like a charm. Thank you. Download it from Crow. Uh, thank you. It never fails to put me to sleep. Too hilarious ASI user, but still four stars from the U.K., how could I fall asleep when doubled up in hysterics? Yeah, don't worry. It probably already wore a war, the whole hysterics were wore off on them. They're asleep now. Sun and Air 22. I usually get about 10 to 15 minutes and I'm off in dreamland. Thank you. Grumblebeast says counterintuitive. I ex was expecting a four or five stars. A cheesy conversational hypnotist. But then I got the gravelly monotone, and I was pretty skeptical, but shocked that he did put me to sleep in fast. He's your boyfriend, to borrow a term. And now I listen every night. Thanks, Grumble Beats. 
fall asleep in five to ten minutes every time. No matter how awake I am, I fall asleep in five to ten minutes. That's from Alicia. Alicia, thank you. Michigan girl in Missouri says the podcast is awesome. Trouble falling asleep. I find myself worrying, stressing, but now I fall asleep in no time. Thanks. Uh, Tombi works. Uh, I don't remember how I stumbled upon this podcast, but I've subscribed to a while. His voice is odd. His cadence is strange. He stutters. He interrupts himself, and half the time I'm laughing. But the weirdest thing, he really does put me to sleep. I've never made it through an entire episode. To start an episode, tell my phone, phone to turn off 30, 45 minutes and close my eyes. Give it a try. Cacao Masi says, my sleep savior. When I was in high school, I used to sleep over my friends, and we'd lie in bed laughing, talking, discussing things and songs and movies. Eventually, we'd fall asleep. It was a more less stressful and more innocent time in my life. Scoots takes me back to that time. I deal with anxiety and uh, trouble falling asleep, and now I have the creaky dulcet tones. Uh, thank you. Uh, Kaylee uh, says, best sleep aid. I have diagnosed insomnia, but this is the uh, best sleep aid I've tried. It never makes it through an episode, which is huge. Late at nights when I'm having a hard time and I'm out in 20 minutes. Uh, thank you. And then Gene Dreams from Australia, sleepy confidence, waking up in the middle of the night to a baby or a toddler. Scoots gives me confidence. I'm back to sleep. Earplugs in. I'm out in minutes. Thanks, Scoots. Thanks, Gene. And thanks, everybody, for reviewing the show. Good night. Okay, so here we are. Welcome back to another episode of Sleep with TNG, everybody. And I have my full setup here, and I'm getting ready to play the video. Or stream the whatever you want to call it. Well, no, it didn't go. It didn't go there. So we'll give it another try. Uh, it's downloaded, so it should it should start playing now. It's spinning. But cause and effect. This was quite the episode, and it opens with, right with action, which is the first time. And there's a, like just like what was going on in River City. T r u o b l e. Trouble in River City. It starts with a. Uh, C, like it started, like I don't know what it starts with on this episode because it's moving fast. This is like the fastest I've seen an episode move. And this is like a bit of a Groundhog Day, but we see a lot of teamwork going on because uh, the Enterprise is having some uh, stability issues. It brought up escape pods, which I, for some reason, I thought the trans, I didn't think the Enterprise had escape pods. Uh, the one time I looked into it and. I think this is the story run through. I think we'll probably run through the uh, opening. Uh, Riker slips uh, during one part, and uh, let's see, they say, uh, uh, hey, this is a bridge. Everybody get to the escape pods. The core, you know, we've co- we got to get this core. We had, like, we have an antimatter containment. Jordy wants to eject the core. Uh, core breach is imminent, so Captain Picard's like, everybody get off the ship. All hands abandon ship. And they don't manage to abandon the ship. So this is like a, a Groundhog Day. So this is a, we call it Failure One. It's then the episode opens, and the captain's log stardate 45652.1. Enterprise is in the Typhon Expanse, uh, the first Starfleet vessel to chart this region. And that was the first time I've noticed that foreshadowing. We're the first Starfleet vessel to chart this unexplored region. 
Yeah, then we have a card game. Now, pay attention. There's a lot of, uh, like, uh, a lot of interesting stuff when you watch this episode a bunch of times. Um, let's see, data shuffling. Riker's like, I wonder if he's stacking the de- deck. And Data says, I assure you, this is important dialogue. I assure you, Commander, the cards are sufficiently randomized. And Data has a sweet visor with iridescent sparkles, like that, uh, you know, uh, you see on old school. Po- like, I, like I, I, I don't like using overusing the word cute, but it is cute how Data's adopting. I, I don't know. I just really like, uh, he really tries hard. But in this fun kind of way. So he has his visor on. Uh, Dr. Crusher's play. So it's a poker game. It's Worf, Riker, Data, and Dr. Crusher. But Dr. Crusher looks distracted. And they have to tell her, hey, it's your bet. And what does it say? Calm, prudent, parental, but prudental, but sad. Maybe it's the look on Dr. Crusher's face. Calm. Uh, something but sad. Uh, she says, thank you, Data. And then uh, at some point, Worf says 50. Uh, when he bets, he says it kind of like in a high voice, like I use when I answer the phone. Hello? Hello? Can I go to the store? Like uh, he says 50? Uh, when he, oh no, Riker raises Worf or Crusher or somebody, and Worf says 50? And the little, uh, but like, I don't mean to criticize because, and I don't, I don't know that much about poker, but I know there's something called pot odds, P-O-T-O-D-D-S. And there's a lot of betting going on. And I would have to, I have to maybe object to data's card play and, and the, like, cause at some point the pot odds become so great. So what do pot odds mean is like, there's the money in the pot, and then there's the money you need to put into the pot at any given moment. And if the pot is like $200 and you need to put only $10 in, I think you're getting pot odds of, what, 20 to 1, 200 to 1, yeah, 20 to 1. And so, like, like I don't know what the pot odds were, but I just wondered if Data was making the right decision when Data folds. Uh, yeah, because there's a $20 bet, and at that point, there's a lot of money in the pot, and data folds. It doesn't make any sense uh, unless he, he knows that someone's going to raise after him, which maybe he did. He knew Riker was going to raise uh, or assumed it, so he's putting that into his pot odds. Also really fun is that data's doing this commentary as he's dealing. Um, like, dealer gets a four, pair ladies for the doctor. Uh, that, that's that's very fun. Like uh, when Data has fun, I have fun. And Data, I guess I didn't even realize this one. He says, "Too rich for my blood." I didn't even realize that that was the thing. And this is showdown between Crusher and Riker. She calls him. He's raising. He's playing very aggressively, and she calls him down. Like uh, they're playing. Uh, I think they're playing. Oh shoot! It changed. I think they're playing some sort of. Um, they're playing stud. I, I, I think. You don't know if they're playing. I can't remember if they're playing five cards set or seven cards set. But uh, but Riker calls it down, and he's showing like he could have a straight or something. But even Worf's like, I don't think he has the straights. And Crusher's like calls him out. She already has bare queens. And let's see, she calls like Riker with glee. Then she gets called to the sick bay. Jordy's having some trouble. Uh, with his vision, he says that she's a, like a, uh, 
it got some vertigo, vertigo. Like, uh, Crusher says, geez, it seems like you have an inner ear infection, but uh, you don't. Uh, maybe you're just working too hard. And Jordy says, you got it. You're telling me this Typhon expanse is a serious work. And she gives him 20 cc's of vertizine, I think. And I said, that, that'll clear up the dizziness. But she says, maybe find some time to relax. And she says, Jesus, has this happened before? Uh, and Jordy says, uh, no. And she goes, are you positive? He goes, yeah, why? She goes, I feel like we've talked about this before. And I thought I gave you a, a hypo spray for dizziness. And Jordy says, no, you're thinking about somebody else. She goes, no, I'm sure it was you. And she says, we'll get some rest, and I'll talk to you in, uh, later. And then we see, um, like, we really get a glimpse into Dr. Crusher's evening routine, which is important for those of us that have trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep. And she does seem to have a very, she's in a room, she's singing or more humming uh, to herself, and she's clipping some orchids, I, I think. She's in her jammies. So she's doing something like, like meditative, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe it, like we didn't see what she was doing before it. So I don't know if she got in bed and she said, well, those orchids need to be clipped. Or, she, I mean, she was humming in a way that she was relaxing while clipping them. She has pink jammies on with a ribbon in her hair and a nightcap, like a, not a nightcap on her head, but a nightcap, a little drink in a little drinky poo glass. Uh, she puts her book in her bed but her book is in her bed. Oh, like she had a book in her bed. That's why I was confused. They said, why is her book in her bed if she's not in her bed? Like almost like she'd gotten into bed and gotten back out. Like her book's in her bed and she picks it up and she puts it on the table. So she was never in her bed with her book, but her book was in her bed. And then she goes to go to sleep. She puts a book. She's got a bowl of a blue substance. I don't know if that's like, what are those things called? Essential oil fuser, diffuser. Yeah, but it's this blue substance. Like, she has a blue a bowl, bowl of blue stuff next to her bed. And then she kind of hears some noise. It sounds like voices. It wakes her up, and she knocks her glass over when she's turning on her light. Then we have Jordy at a map of the Typhon Expanse, who's Jordy's talking about how big it is. If we want to chart it, we're going to launch a probe. Riker wants to know about luminosity studies. The flux spectrometers are down, and they're not back up, and the stellar d- d- dynamics labs, then the data says, how about a gravitron polometer, polometer? And they said, Here, that's my favorite. I love gravitrons. And Picard says, make it so, data. If Scoots loves gravitrons, it, you know, see if you could shoot some um, dark matter into Scoots' brain. Make it so. And then once again, we see how respected mental health and treating people with respect and dignity goes on this ship. Because Crusher says, yeah, I got something I want to report. And they go, go ahead. She goes, I heard some voices in my room. And she says, first I thought it was my imagination, but 10 other people heard them. And Troy says, well, what are the voices saying? Crusher says, I couldn't tell. And the record says, did the data sensors pick into anything data? And data says, not anything anomalous. And record says, check the logs then. And, and then they say, Ricard uh, says, Counselor Troy, what do you think? She says, nah, I don't sense anything. Jordy said, well, maybe it's the comm system. And then Worf calls. Worf calls from the bridge. He goes, we got some weird stuff. Uh, get up here, everybody. 
And then we're kind of picking up where we last left off or not. Uh, they're on, everyone's on the bridge. Uh, and Ensign Rose on the bridge. And she says, geez, we're on top of this weird phenomenon, localized distortion of space-time continuum, according to Worf. Uh, let me just double check. Unusual readings to the bridge. Uh, teamwork. Another great set uh, of teamwork. The only thing was it was a really slow teamwork because then another ship comes out of this space-time cloud. And it's like everything's happening like fast, but everyone on the ship is going slow. It was maddening because uh, they say, okay, but like Ricard says, okay, let's back up from this cloud. And then Rose says, oh, geez, the thrusters aren't working. And then Data says the field's fluctuating. Then the main systems go down. Power levers drop. Riker hits a red alert. And they say, geez, there's an energy buildup. And then Troy, Troy senses something. She says, we got to break, you know. You got to get out like Jordash. And then Captain Data says, then there's a smaller ship comes out. And they say, shields up. Let's try to get out of the way. Shields won't work. And Data says, you know, we got 36 seconds to figure something out. And Picard says, hail him. War says, nope. And then Riker says, suggestions, which I love how collaborative he is. Uh, so Riker says, hey, geez, shields up. Let's try to evasive maneuvers. And War says, no shields. Uh, so Riker says, well, why don't we decompress the main shuttle bay? And that reaction will take us out of the way. But Data says, what about the tractor beam to push the ship out of the way? And Picard thinks about it. He says, okay, make it so, Worf, presumably on the tractor beam, which Worf does. Uh, but they bump at one another. Riker says, damn it. So this becomes fail number two. Because uh, Riker says, she's damage report. And then they say, geez, we got trouble everywhere. And uh, we're venting drive plasma, core shutdown. And we see the same thing happen again uh, from slightly different angles. I think there was an ad, like, at some point, like, before the real action hit. Um, let's see. Po oh, no, no, no. Then there's an ad. Uh, then it says, then Captain's Log repeats, they're in the Typhon Expanse. Uh, so, yeah, things don't work out. It does, it fails, they fail again, and then they repeat. Uh, so they're playing poker again. The Captain's Log, we're in the Typhon Expanse. And Riker says his line, sometimes I wonder if he's stacking the deck, and Data says it's a randomized bro. Uh, and Worf's studying his chip, but that was one thing I forgot to note the first time that I was enjoying, is Worf's really paying attention to his poker chip and his hand fingers. And Dr. Crusher's definitely having fun, but then she gets the queens and she pauses, and she it looks like something's wrong. Uh, they say, pair ladies for the doctor. And then the, the data gets a nine and says, Doctor, you, you, know, you have the highest hand. Do you want to bet? And, said, huh. and she goes, and they say, no. She goes, no, I'll bet 10. And then Riker raises, and then there's a super close up of uh, Crusher's face, and uh, like where it's like, uh huh, like, uh, and then they kind of play it out, play it out, like, uh, she, uh, uh, Riker says, you're going to call my bluff, aren't you? Uh, and she goes, how'd you know? And he goes, I had a feeling. She goes, yeah, me too. Then she gets called to sick bay again uh, to tend to Geordi. Uh Even Worf, though, looked uh, unnerved at this scene, like uh, when it was like that something wasn't right. 
So then they talk about Jordy's inner ear, but no physical. And then Dr. Crusher pauses. She says, come to think of it, we've had this discussion before. And then she kind of says, well, what about those headaches related to your visor or something? I can't remember. And they think headaches related to your visor. Jordy touches it for effect when she mentions this visor. And I said, geez, it must be, Jordy says, it must be deja vu. And she says, both of us like having deja vu? Maybe we should check the medical logs. Or maybe they did check the medical logs. But yeah, that's when she says it was your visor. Yeah, then it's bedtime in Crusher's room. And let's see, she's in the same pink PJs. It's shot at a different angle, trimming the flowers. She has her nightcap, but she pauses at her sip and puts it a, uh, Puts it, puts it, puts it down, or puts her book down, and gets in bed. But she does not close her eyes, and then she hears the voices and it knocks over her, tra- her drink again. Her drink was in a slightly different place, though. And then she calls John Luke. She says, "You got a minute, John Luke, in the middle of the night for a chat?" He goes, "Oh yeah, come on down." And then this was interesting. He, uh, right, Picard is cooking up some steamed milk for his Aunt Adele's steamed milk recipe. I thought it was Earl. He's in gray. He was having book deja vu and it has nutmeg in it. That's all we know about the steamed milk. It's steamed milk with nutmeg and some other secret ingredients. He's trying to perfect the recipe. That's what Picard does when he can't sleep. Maybe I'll try some warm nutmeg milk tonight. And let's see. Crusher says, geez, it was the weirdest thing, you know, when the, when I, she was, I, I knew I had done this all before. And that's when Picard says, yeah, I felt like that was my book. And Crusher said, I felt like this way for hours. And then with the voices, and Picard says, well, it might just be a result of a sleepless night, but let's be sure. We'll do, again, respect, we'll run a shipwide diagnostic, uh, and talk about the results tomorrow. And she says thanks for everything. And he says thank Adele. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Crusher is in uniform. Uh, but still has the pink ribbon in her hair. That was some other. Uh... Also I liked Picard's good night voice. Also when she was sitting on his uh, couch. She had her knees up on his, uh, her chest. And then when Picard says, well, I liked how he took a deep breath. Uh, uh, so then they're at the staff meeting. Worf calls Jordy uh, uh, or Dana and Jordy are like, geez, we, there's no scans. So then Worf calls uh, from, he says, get up to the bridge. And there's a pull into Crusher's face. Like, okay, this isn't, this isn't good. He's like, we got a damn, you know, report. And then I felt like Crusher was, uh, she'd watched the movie The Matrix. She was, she has awakened, I put. And then I, I don't understand this. It's a very video game, like, deep doing it over and over. I don't know what that meant. Oh, like, I guess, yeah, no, it reminded me of video games, like, because then they have fail number three, like, with a different angle of the Enterprise, same teamwork. Uh, but things still don't work out. And remind me of playing video games when you just got to keep it, you're trying to solve a puzzle or get past a level or, you know, take out a boss, like a big boss battle, and, and you keep doing it over and over again. This is kind of what it feels like the Enterprise is doing now. Then there's an ad, and then we're at round four, 
And then they say, like, uh, then there's a little foreshadowing, which has been foreshadowing, because they say, uh, Jesus, are you stacking the deck, Data? And Data says, no, uh, these cards are sufficiently randomized. And Worf says, I hope so. And then Worf's the one that's like, hmm. Like, Worf just feels off. And they put, oh, oh uh, and they say, Jesus, something wrong? And he's, Worf says, yeah, I'm experiencing Nibapo. Uh, like the feeling I've done this before. And Riker says, yeah, every Tuesday. And Worf says, that's not what I mean. And Crusher goes, I know what you mean. I'm having the same feeling. Keep dealing, Data. And Crusher starts naming the cards before they're dealt. She goes, you're going to give me a queen. They're going to give a four. And she goes, keep dealing. And Data says, no one's bad. And then she says, forget the bad. Ten, seven, queen. Then Worf says, nine, jack, four. Riker knows, do six. And Data says, this is highly improbable. And Riker, Riker says, how do we know that? And Crusher says, hold on. And then they call her to sick bay. Oh, no, she calls sick bay. She says, Jordy in there? And they go, no, oh, wait, he just walked in. And then they, she examines Jordy. Let's see, let's see my notes. Oh, let's see. There's like a Riker, Riker and War shared a look uh, when uh, Crusher knows the cards. Uh uh, data, like there's a, data's like shot high, then there's a zoom on Wharf, then there's a zoom on, oh, highly improbable. But there's like a great zoom on Wharf when he says Jack, nine, four, and then a nice zoom on Riker at two, when he says two, six. Uh, then Picard meets him at Med Bay with Crusher and Geordi, because they say, gee, something weird's going down. Like, have you got any deja vu? And Picard goes, yeah, when I was reading, why'd you ask? And Crusher says, the ship, everyone on the whole ship's having deja vu. And I knew Geordi was coming into sick bay. And I knew the tests were going to be negatives. But I did an obstacle di- optical diagnostic, and something's going on with his phase shift and his visual receptors. He's seeing blurry after images. It's something with the Dachyon field, and it's trouble. And he said, Dwarf's, Jordy says, could be the warp field generator. I'll check it out. And Ricard says, run a subspace scan, too. And Jordy does a lot of quiet nodding. Uh, and then the Enterprise. And then Crusher's in a room. She's fully dressed, though. She's not in her jammies. She's standing and reading. She's clearly nervous. No plant clippings. Uh, she picked up some, picked up something, puts it down. Maybe she picks up her drink. She picks up something, puts it back down, rubs her hands, sits on her bed, grabs her drink, and is like, a, like a, no, that's not right. Moves it across the other side of the room, then turns out her light. She hears her voice as she hits record, like almost like she's like, um, like some sort of paranormal investigator. Like she's like a ghostbuster almost. And then she calls Jordy uh, something about a sensor stage. Uh, you don't know what that means. That's what it's, it looks like. Sensor stage. I don't know. Jordy says, on my way. Oh, or Jordy says, yeah, we're working down here. Come on down or something. She knocks over her drink then. And she meets with Data and Jordy. They're talking about, uh, Jesus is, uh, they get six seconds of audio. Let's clean it up. And, uh, clearly you weren't hearing, you were hearing something that was real. 
and uh, we picked up a Decaon field distortion. He in subspace, so maybe they're related. Data like does an analysis, uh, gets rid of all like uh, vocal, non-vocal conform. Then data like listens and like uh, you know he does his own audio. He would be great at editing podcasts. I mean, it probably wouldn't be the best use. I wonder who'd be better. Probably data. C three PO. Data, I think, has a little more artistry. And Data is listening to the things. He says, okay, there's a thousand voices, the voices of the Enterprise crew. Uh, his head was like his head, like his head was turning, like he was like a dog bird or something, and like uh, something. And then there's a zoom to Crusher when he says, "The voices of the Enterprise crew are voices," and she's like, "What?" And then they go to an ad. Yeah, then there's a staff meeting, and Crush is sorry about this early meeting, but uh, we might have an explanation. It's going to sound pretty wild. And when you say that, I put for them exclamation point. When it's wild for the crew of the Enterprise, like, uh, uh, that's it's pretty wild, you know? So, um, like, I mean, because they've seen so many things, it's so, so it's like, it's like for them to say it's a while. I don't know. I, I was just struck by that thing about all the adventuring they've been doing. But Jordy says, okay, we're stuck in a causality loop or something. Like, a, we're, this particular fragment of time we've been repeating over and over again. And Troy says, so it's causing deja vu. And Crusher says, yeah, but more than that, like, in deja vu, you think you're repeating events. We are. And Jordy says, yeah, here's, and they even have like a little uh, slide deck or whatever. Jordy says, yeah, we begin the loop, uh, something happens, and then we start over again. But we don't remember what happened. So each time through the loop, we think it's the first. And Riker's like, so we've done this a dozen times already, maybe? And they say, possibly a hundred, a thousand, who knows? Uh, and Crusher says, if that's what's true, you know, it could have been, those voices could have been echoes from the other loops. And Jordy says, I'm seeing after images in my visor. And Picard says, well, if you're right, what, what caused it? And Data says, well, I got a hypothesis. He goes, this is what I heard when I listened to that recording. Most of it was ordinary, 150 discussions about ship operations. 252 conversations of personal nature, five couples in romantic encounters. So out of uh, 1,000 ships, 1,000 people on the ship, uh, 10 people are making sweet love. And Picard says, Data, get to the point. And Data says, then something happens. Uh, Like you you say everybody abandoned ship, Worf, they play the audio. Worf saying, we got a localized distortion of space-time continuum. You got data saying collision course. And then Picard saying, everybody off the ship. Uh, and then they say, okay, well, maybe it was something with that distortion and we're, we're stuck in this time loop. And Picard says, well, geez, if that's right, then maybe whatever happens, we got to avoid it. And Jordy, Jordy says, yeah, it's our guess. And War says, maybe we should change course. But then Riker says, no, 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 that could be what leads us to, 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 the, to, to the trouble. And Picard obviously says, you know what, we can't second guess ourselves. We'll stay on course until we need to change it. Let's do everything we can to avoid a collision. 
And LaForge says, Captain, we might not be able to figure this out in time. Uh, so Picard says, well, what do you think? He says, well, could we send a message to the next? I mean, this is my favorite Jordy episode. He's really solving problems. Because Jordy says, well, maybe we could send it to the next loop. And Riker says, how? And they talk about the Decian field, maybe put an echo into Data's brain. Troy says, like, a message in a bottle. And they say, yeah, just a short, like, almost like a tweet. Like, we're placing it shorter than a tweet in Data's brain, like a Morse code. And Riker says, well, how will we know next time? And they say, well, if it, we'll receive the information, uh, Data will receive it on a subconscious level, what you'd call that. But we don't know how we'll perceive it, like a post-hypnotic suggestion. And Picard says, well, we got to try, so let's do it. Dismissed. Uh, let's see what else. Worf refers to distortion. Perhaps we could reverse course. Uh, more ideas. Uh, send info. Okay, so that's it. Um, then we see Data's brain. And Jordy's, Jordy's like, geez, Data, do you think we did this a thousand times already? And Crusher says, do you think so? And Jordy says, no. And she goes, neither do I. Maybe that's a good sign it's our first time. And then they test it, and it, it, it seems like it's working. All we need now is a message. So Data has, like, he's wearing, like, a thing to program a message to send into the next loop because they don't know what to send yet. Seems like they could have had a meeting about that, but it works out uh, to, to how it does. So then we have fail number four, um, where the ship comes at them. It seems like they're catching, like they're building up speed and like solving problems. Uh, but as the other ship comes, it like data is like right at the last minute he starts programming because he realizes that following his advice didn't work out. So. Uh, like a last second after he realizes he, he's programming into his Decaion emitter, because uh, fail number four happens, and uh, then they repeat it. Uh, Typhon expanse, Captain Log, charting the unexplored region. Then we're at the poker game. Uh, it's at a little bit more of a distant cam- uh, camera angle. The banter's a little bit faster. Uh, Worf has Nippo again. And Riker says the same thing. Crusher says the same thing. She starts calling. But this, man, this show is good. The writing is good. It, like, really fooled me. Because Crusher says, okay, I know what the next cards are going to be. Eight, ace, queen, and four. Deal the cards. Everyone gets a three. And Data says, wrong. Everybody got a three. Crusher says, geez, I knew I was positive. And Worf said, so was I. And Riker just says, deal some more. And then it ends up everybody has a three of a kind. And Crusher says, that's, that's weird. A three, then three of a kind. And then they get called down to sick bay for Jordy. She talks to Jordy like, uh, you know, I got, got dizzy. She says, inner ear infection, but nothing physical. They put data's fast type. I don't know what that means. All three, oh, da, just data's fast dealing, maybe. Data deals fast. But she says, geez, so let's check the medical logs, Jordy. Have we talked about this before? And Jordy says, no. Deja vu, she says, no. Let's check your opticals. Uh, have you changed your visor lately? She goes, no, you're having a visual shift. Uh, 
then they call Picard and they say, get to sick bay immediately. Doctor says, uh, you know, Picard says, no problem. And Christian says, he's got these blurry after images. And we ran a scan to see what he's feeling, seeing. And I say, well, geez, it could be the sub, you know, warp generator. And then Picard says, run a subspace scan and keep me advised. And then, uh, uh, Jordy says, uh, data run the, uh, the, the, the subspace scan, uh, do a level two diagnostic. And data says, uh, certainly, but there's all threes coming up. Uh, like, oh, this is when data's t- typing fast, maybe. And data says, I've been running to the number three an inordinate number of times. Uh, and they say, yeah, we got Dekian field f- fluctuations. And that's when Crusher hears the voices, and Jordy says, yeah, we've seen something, too. And then she she says, I'm on my way down, and then she breaks her glass, uh, and she says, I'm fine, don't worry. And then they have the same staff meeting where Jordy Data's talking about the recordings and of Worf saying, you know, space-time distortion and then impact and then abandon and they're trying to figure it out, and then they're like, well, geez, uh, they, Jordy does figure out, maybe we're in a, a, a like, repeating loop of time. And then Picard's like, well, maybe we could avoid it if we figure this out. And then Worf says, reverse course. Riker says, no. That was like, uh, and Picard says, no, 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 let's not second guess ourselves. And then Jordy says, also, Captain, there's been the number three all over the ship on consoles, poker game. 2,085 conspicuous examples of the number three, according to data. And they're like, that's not an accident. And then Crusher says, maybe we're trying, somebody's trying to tell us something. And we got data's brain kicking out a decayon field modulation. And they say, what could be causing it? And then Jordy says, well, if I wanted to send information, that would be how I do it. And they, they say, well, what? And then... Jordy says, well, Jesus, like, that's how I, like, and the Troy says, that's, do you think we sent ourselves a message? And Jordy says, maybe, maybe we're trying to tell ourselves something. And then Picard says, well, why the number three? And Riker says, maybe we should run a level three diagnostic. And Jordy says, okay, that's a good idea. And then that's when uh, they say, hey, Captain, get down here. We got uh, trouble on the bridge. Uh, let me see what else we got. Um... What does this say? Picard in room. Oh, it, like, uh, when Picard gets the call, he's in his room totally relaxed. He's got two or three tea-like drinks or candles not lined up next to him. And he seems like he's perplexed, running through his book, like trying to figure something out. And that's when he gets called to sick bay. That's when Dade and Jordy see all the threes. Uh, then the bridge to Picard. So then we get a nice shot. I don't put the time. Oh, no, 40-10, I did. Like all the staff marching onto the bridge in a very serious demeanor. 40 minutes and 10 seconds. Really cool. And then they we go through another run-through uh, of, of what happened, which is basically like, well, I'll give you the, this will be the first one. You know, they say, geez, we got some weird thing off of the starboard bow. And we just, we just, you know, then it's distortion of time-space continuum. Riker says, how do you think we did this before? And then Picard says, well, back up. And then they say, thrusters aren't working. Uh, Data says, we got this field fluctuating. 
And they say main systems down, power levels out, uh, energy buildup. Uh, and Troy says, let's get out of here. Then the ship comes out. Riker says, shields shields up, invasive maneuvers. They say, shields won't work, helm won't work. And then Data says, we got 36 seconds. They hail, that doesn't work. Picard says, suggestions. Riker says, decompress main shuttle bay. Uh, the reaction will get us out of the way. And Data says, how about the tractor beams? And Picard says, make it so. Yeah, it seemed like they were running through this faster, but Data thinks for a few seconds right before... He looks at uh, Riker's neck and sees the three dots on his neck. And in a lightning, it, like totally, like this is like, uh, what do you call that? Not blasphemy, but whatever uh, you do on a ship uh, when you don't follow commands. But, you know, Picard likes, uh, Data says the tractor beam will not be successful. I'm just decompressing the main shuttle bay. And that totally works. They get out of the way and... Uh, we'll clear the distortion. Uh, let's see, Crusher, like, yeah, he overrides the order. Crusher was holding her arms across her chest, uh, I noticed. And they say, geez, what, what, what was that? Worf says, we're clear of the distortion. Picard says, Data, what happened? Data said, at the last moment, I speculated that the three might refer to the number of the rank insignia on Captain Riker's uniform. This indicated to me that a suggestion might be the correct course of action. And then Jordy says, geez, Data, you get, that was a message from the last loop, and you stacked the deck in the poker game without realizing it. So he did stack the deck just the last time, but like subconscious projection or whatever they said, suggestion. And Data says, yeah, it's possible. I might have made all these threes pop up on the ship, too. And Picard says, Worf's put off that red alert and uh, get a time base beacon and see what time it really is and how long we've been in this causality loop. And Worf says, uh, we're off by 17.4 days. And that kind of gets everybody's attention because everyone's like freaked, you know. And then they say, what ship is that? Uh, like, and they say, they're calling. And Worf says, it's a Soyuz class, a USS Bozeman. And Jordy says, Soyuz class? They haven't been in service in 80 years. And Picard says, open a channel. And you, my, my, my head was spinning because it's uh, Captain Morgan Batesman. But I put WTF double explanation point because it's Frazier F and Kane. From two hit sitcoms, uh, so we're looking at this bearded visage of uh, um, Kelsey Grammer. I couldn't. I was like, oh, "What a great surprise!" I love Kelsey Grammer. And they say, "Hey, Captain Morgan Bates, Bates, and says, can we render you any assistance? We're on the Federation ship Bozeman." And Picard says, well, I'm on the Enterprise. I was going to ask you the same thing. And uh, uh, Grammar says, uh, well, I don't even recognize your ship. Uh, and Picard says, do you have any idea what happened? And Bateson says, yeah, there's a temporal distortion. And then our ship saw yours. And Picard says, we've been in a causality loop, a temporal one. And I think you have too. And Bateson says, no, no, no. He goes, we just left Starbase. He goes, look at this beard. He hasn't grown an inch. And Ricard says, then everybody starts to look sad on the Enterprise because they say, do you know what, Captain, do you know what year it is? 
And Bateson says, yeah, it's 2278 or 2017. Uh, so, you know, to, like not that far in front of us, 250 years or so. And Picard says, maybe you should come aboard our ship. We better, we got something we need to talk about. And you could tell Picard really feels for him and the whole crew. And it was, I mean, and then the hardest part was that there's no sequel to this episode. So it's like, that was hard. I was like, there's no sequel to this, uh, more Kelsey Grammer. I mean, I think it was cool because I guess like, uh, he was a big fan and he really wanted to be on the show. And they also try like, uh, like whatever, like, that's cool. I thought that was cool. So then that was the end of the episode. Quite an episode, very groundhog day. Uh, very well, very well done with, with the last, uh, the last couple twists I really liked. Uh, all right, good night. All right, I wanted to say thanks and good night to some people that support the show on Patreon. Tara P, thanks and good night. Jen K, Leah, and Travis, thank you and good night. Kara, uh, Olivia, and Eric, uh, thank you and good night. Uh, and uh, w, Bridget C, and Tracy L, thank you and good night. Uh, Christina C, Joanna T, and C, Anon, Anonymous C, thank you very much and good night. Uh, Rachel, Claire, and Killy, uh, Killy with a K I L L Y. I don't know if that's not to do with thanks and good night. Uh, Allison, uh, Tori, and Susan, thank you, thank you so much and good night. Uh, Vincent K, uh, Christina M, and Grace, uh, thanks and good night. Uh, Gloria, Yannick, and Carl, thank you, thank you, and good night. Katie, Ryan, and Alex, uh, thanks and thanks and good night. Uh, Anne S, Susan M, and Paige, uh, thank you and good night. Uh, uh, Jennifer O, Anna M, and Alyssa B, thanks and good night. Uh, Adam D, Marjorie C, and Glenn W, our buddy Glenn, uh, thanks and good night. Thomas H, uh, Jessica B, and Matt H, thanks and good night. Brandon B, Max B, and Bennette B, uh, Bennette L, thank you, thanks and good night. Uh, Carly. Uh, thanks and good night, Tom, Shlomo, and Mikkel. Thank you and good night, uh, Catherine. Uh, Catherine, uh, thank you and good night. Rebecca W. Thanks and good night, and Rita. Thank you and good night. And I want to thank over on PayPal, Megan C, Ashley J. Thank you, thanks and good night. Lisa C. Thank you and good night. Donna S. Uh, thank you and good night. Aisha, thank you and good night. Margaret, thank you and good night. Karen B, thanks and good night. George C, thank you and good night. Anna T, thanks and good night. Uh, David K, thank you and good night. M MPR, thank you and good night. Uh, Lisa S, uh, thanks and good night. Christine K, thank you and good night. Lorraine, thank you and good night. Carrie, thanks and good night. Angie K, thank you and good night. And Sarah H, thank you and good night. Uh, so thanks everybody, thanks and good night for supporting the show.
All right, everybody, we're back with the time for Trek Talk, uh, Sleep with TNG, uh, Season 5, Episode, that's uh, a good question, uh, I think it's Episode 21, original air date, uh, it's 27th of April, 1992, holy macaroni, and the title of this episode is The Perfect Mate, and I don't know if I've seen an episode like this before, this was a really interesting one. And again, I guess it because like uh, 1992, uh, like, like I, I don't know, I was a little detached from planet Earth a bit, but it makes me wonder what the reaction, again, I, I guess I should read some of the press around these episodes. Like, was this, because uh, this episode was, uh, it wasn't steamy. I just love how subtle Star Trek can be with some of this stuff, uh, because I don't know what the average time of day this show was playing at. I, I want to say between like between dinner, uh, like I said, I think I talked about it, like sometime around you know later than say by the bell, but before prime time. But I could you know I could be wrong a lot about a lot of things. But let's take a look through here. Uh, let's see, it's peace trip. I think this is like the story. Let me just read through my notes. I won't like. Uh, uh, to help with something, they're doing a peace trip. They're on the peace train, and they're helping. They got some special cargo. Then they get a. This is like the the beats. Uh, maybe I don't know. Ferengi distress call. Uh, the guests they must remain. Oh, like uh, Ferengi, and then the Ferengi say this is too easy. So that was just like trying to get an idea of the story of the episode. But it starts with uh, Green Planet, uh, Captain's Log, uh, Stardate 4576.1.3. Uh, they're trying to end the war between the Krios and Vault Minor. We said, what, ha- what happened to Vault Major, first of all? See, I could play I, I could play a Vault Minor. I, like either, am I, this is I'm a, M-I-N-O-O-R. But I could play a vault miner. This has miners in it, this episode. That's interesting. But they're having a ceremony of reconciliation uh, that they're going to hold on the uh, Enterprise between the two star systems. And as it opens, they see two, it looks like two Earl Greys, uh, two Earl Grey Tees, a gloved ambassador, uh, the Valies, Valise, Valies. It's uh, like a. Uh, they're delayed. Picard's talking to the ambassador. They're drinking tea. They they had to pick up these stranded miners at Herod 4. Uh, but the counselor or the ambassador is just happy. You know, the Federation's helping. And Picard's like, Jordy, the captain of the forge help you with the cargo and everything. And they say, oh, yeah, but uh, can we keep the cargo bay off limits? And Picard says, why? Is it trouble? And he said, no, 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 it's just fragile and irreplaceable. And then they say, then Riker calls. He goes, hey, Captain Picard, we got some Ferengi shuttle in trouble. We're going to go. And then Picard says, let's go help him. And the ambassador says, we got to get to Alric. You know, is that what I said, Alric? Is that what I was having trouble with? You know, we can't get delayed. And Picard says, don't worry. I'm Jean-Luc Picard of the Enterprise, uh, dude. Don't worry. Uh, let's see. Riker calls. The car goes off limits. Ambassador's worried about the timing. They save the Ferengi. There's two, two, two Ferengi on board. They say energize, you know. Uh, this was also funny. Uh, 
So they, so there's the Ferengi shuttles in trouble. They rescue the Ferengis. They energize them aboard the Star Trek. What do we got? The Enterprise. The Ferengi shuttle goes bye bye. And Picard said, or uh, Riker says, get him a room, Worf, get him a room, not near, nowhere near mine. Was, and this is season five, but again, I haven't watched all the episodes. So I'd love to, I'm looking forward to learning more about, uh, Riker's particular disdain for the Ferengi. I mean, though I'm not surprised, even after this episode. Uh, then we have, uh, they're in the hallway. Ferengi are walking down the hall with Worf. They're, they're much shorter than Worf. And Worf says, unless you can pick, get your own ride, get somebody to come pick you up. Uh, that's really what he says. Unless you can get your own transport, you know, you guys stay on board the ship till our mission's done. And they say, "Oh no, no, don't worry. We can't wait to hang out on this ship." They have like a twin. They have multi, They don't have twinkle in their eye. They have twinkles, and um, like like these Ferengi, they really are good comic relief. And then like they they're like clasp they like clasping their hands, and they get to the room. They like kind of fight each other to get into the room. They're both trying to go through the doorway at the same time as Worf. Worf looks very irritated by them. They say, hey, when can we eat with your ca- captain? Uh, like, uh, we want to eat dinner with your captain. Is he going to invite us to eat dinner or what? And Worf goes, the captain dines alone. And, and I, I guess that's not true. Like, I did, like, I did, like, I, I was confused by that. Like, does Worf mean at dinner? Because we see that the captain does not dine alone. And within, the, like, right before the ad break, the, uh, the Ferengi, Worf really leaves the room and they say that was too, uh, they say, oh, a pity, uh, that we can't dine with them. And then Worf leaves and then they say that was almost too easy. <laughs> so we know the Ferengi are up to no good. Then the opening, uh, post story, like the episode opens, Cheetah Marks. Oh, yeah, I noticed all these, uh, Valesian and Valesians or whatever they are, um, upper vaults, minor vaulted vaultians. They have like cheetah-like marks on their body. There's a temple Akadar, a hand something Krios in the vault. Uh, there's something about the love. Uh, and we see sneaky Ferengi. Also, big news: we learned that there's dolphins on board the Enterprise. I never knew that till this episode. And I didn't have time to Google it, so I don't even understand it. Then an orb gets broken. Uh, Enterbrace, Enterbrace, eye contact, emergence, eye contact. I am for you, Arik of Vaults. And then uh, the episode ends. <laughs> the episode doesn't end. The, the episode goes, sorry about that. It's been a little while since I recorded. It's been like a week. Okay, so the, so they come back from an ad and... Jordy Picard and uh, Jordy Picard and uh, the ambassador are walking down the hall to go to look at the temple, and uh, they say, "Yeah, we work." Jordy's like, "We've been working with your drawings, ambassador. I hope we're in the ballpark." And really, a strange colloquialism. There'll be two of them in this episode, actually. So I, I don't quite understand. Uh, like I don't like I don't know. Like I said, Jesus, they talk about a dated expression, and Picard has to explain it. Sorry, it's uh, in the ballpark means achieving what you wanted, and then they go run holodeck program Creos one, and it's just really cool temple, like a stone temple. 
It's the temple of Akadar, Akadar or something. The temple that bonds Krios and Vault. I guess Vault, regular Vault, Vault Minor and Vault Major. And something like the, the Spartans and the, you know, like the whatever Paris, uh, because they say two brothers ruled a vast empire from the site, but then, you know, their love for an extraordinary woman tore them apart, and this is where the wars began, and this is where they'll end. And lots of nice details. Uh, then we see one of the Ferengi sneaks out of the cargo bay. He sne- sees this, like, so, like floating golden orb, uh, like very uh, a big, big, big ovular orb. Then we see some of the details of the, they're looking through all the details of the thing. And, you know, they say, the commander's like, okay, Jordy, I'm going to have, I got a couple of things you'll have to work on. Chris says, don't worry, Jordy's on it. Uh, Jordy says, yeah, let me know what you need. And the ambassador's cool too. He's like, okay, I'm going to look at some historical volumes and then we can reconvene later. And then oh, this was what I, I don't have the timestamp here. And my, oh, my iPhone 4S isn't working anymore. So I, I don't have the episode playing. I'm working on a solution. I will have it next week. Uh, but so this Ferengi comes creeping up on. So it's Picard, Jordy, and the ambassador. And this Ferengi uh, person says, excuse me, excuse me. Is there, is there a Creosian ambassador on this vessel? And the ambassador says, yeah, how can I help you? And Picard says, whoa, whoa, whoa. The ambassador is very busy. And the Ferengi goes, it's so passive. This was awesome. He goes, oh, uh, do you schedule his appointments? I think that was like both a brilliant piece of acting, directing, and writing. Like, it's so funny. He said, oh, do you schedule his appointments to Picard? And whatever the motivation for the Ferengi to say that, whether it's just a natural, they're just naturally irritating, whether whether he knew it was Picard, so he was messing with Picard, whether he's trying to gather, whatever reason he said that there's the most perfect piece of dialogue on top of being funny. Uh, and Picard goes, no, no, I'm the captain of the ship, dude. And he goes, oh, by the way, he goes, I'm Par Lenore of uh, the Ferengi trade mission. We're so happy, Ambassador, that you got this peace thing going. Going to be good for trade. Always good for trade, unless you're an arms merchant, just uh, cracking jokes, making himself laugh. And Picard says, you know, okay, thanks, but we got to go. And the, he's like, did you hear the joke I said, arms merchant? Uh, then they go back, and the other Ferengi is uh, tra- like this floating thing. Uh, he's like building like, uh, oh, also Jordy was very silent there when he says, do you schedule his appointments? Picard's exasperated. Uh, so yeah, then the other Frankie is like setting up barrels to like, uh, look at the or the floating orb. Then we go back to the Lenore, Par Lenore and the, everybody. And he's like pitching, hey, what, what do you think about us having uh, trans, transport rights for Creosian products and uh, going to vaults? And Picard says, maybe later, uh, after we make the peace agreement, maybe. And then the ambassador says, oh, yeah. And then Par Lenore is like, oh, no, no, no. And then they put Jordy in charge. And Jordy goes, have you seen the dolphins yet? And I said, I'm sorry, what? There's dolphins on board? Is that a holodeck thing or a real thing? Because Jordy made it sound like it was a real thing. Like, almost like dolphins are the pandas of the future or something, which would make, I mean, would probably make sense. 
uh, though, I mean, with a lot of stuff about dolphins, they say, wouldn't they be flying? Like, I thought, you know, so I don't know. But that was just, he said, have you seen the dolphins yet? They're on deck, you know, the entertainment deck, the zoo deck. So then we have Picard and the ambassador on the lift. Uh, Picard's really not happy. He calls Worf. He says, by the way, there's uh, Ferengi screwing around on the ship. And Worf says, oh, God, I, got turned, I forgot to turn find my friends, find my frenemies on my, uh, you know, pad display. And Picard says, keep him on a leash. And as soon as Worf looks down, he goes, oh, great. Uh, we got to send security to the cargo bay because that's where the other Ferengi is. And Riker says, Riker says, what's that? He goes, oh, one of the Ferengi's in the cargo bay. And Riker says, I'll call Picard. Uh, let's see, dolphins yet, Picard and Lyft. Uh, okay, so then we go back to security. Like, they sent security to Cargo Bay 1. The Ferengi's, like, looking at the... Uh, oh, he has a scanner out, and he's scanning the um, orb, but he's, like, leaning over it. And Worf really blew it here, but I can't imagine him doing anything else. He opens the door, and there's, like, a silent moment. He goes, what are you doing to the Ferengi who Jin throws his scanner up because he's Worf surprises him and he falls right into the orb and then whatever the engine on the orb that keeps the orb was floating with three little jets uh, the engine goes out the orb falls and then it goes from a gold, gold orb uh, they kick the Ferengi out and a woman emerges uh, from the thing and at some at some point um Picard and the ambassador come in and, you know, Picard's like, what in the heck? Uh, like the, the other Ferengi's like, I thought this was a barber shop. And that's when they say emergence. And then this woman, a beautiful woman, uh, emerges uh, from the, the orb. Uh, fam, I can't say her name. Uh, fam, like, like, a beautiful, like a very famous actress whose name I can't say because I'm like a... Uh, I already embarrassed myself, uh, but her her name is Kamala on the show. And, like, it's literally love at first sight. She's got this huge smile, and you see Picard, and he's stunned. His mouth, like, is open just a sliver. And she smiles, and she looks at him, and she walks right up to him, and she goes, I am for you, our Arik of Vaults. And Picard's speechless. And uh, then there's an ad... Okay, so then after that, it's like, and so Picard has to say, I'm not Auric Vault. It's complicated about, you know, fundamental rights of human, you know, of, uh, sentient beings. And I don't need to be revived or something. I don't need to be preserved. Per, 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 uh, I'm the key to peace. I'm a metamorph. A perfect mate is my sole purpose. Then Beverly lays it on Picard, and then Picard checks on Kamala. So that's kind of the next uh, few things. So what happens is they come back uh, from the ad, and Riker's in the background, and Picard and the ambassador and Kamala are talking. And it's like, no, no, this isn't Arik. This is Jean-Luc Picard. And she goes, oh, yeah, you didn't look like your holographs. But I could sense your authority. I assumed you were, you know, because you're very in charge. And Picard's like, yeah, what's happening? And Kamala says, yeah, Ambassador, why am I out of stasis prematurely? And he said, accident, it's complicated. Maybe we should be talking without all these super supervision. And Kamala says, it's not complicated at all. A captain has no tolerance for provocation. 
which I think I told myself to look up. I didn't. Maybe I'll look it up later, but uh, uh, maybe I'll pause it. Okay, I looked it up. It means evasion, which makes sense. Prevocation, like being evasive. Uh, let's see. Uh, so Picard says, they say, oh, it was an accident. Yeah, she says, I'm a, oh, she says, it's not complicated. Don't try to evade it. I'm a gift for Arca Vaults. And Riker goes, you mean you're using the ship to, to uh, transport a sentient being as property? And uh, the, uh, the ambassador says, no, 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 it's a gift. It's not property. It's a present. I didn't think you'd understand. And Picard goes, you're, you're darn right. We don't understand. And Kamal says, why are you angry? And Picard says, we protect uh, fundamental rights of individuals. Uh, and you're on board this ship. And she says, by the way, I don't need to be rescued. Uh, like, it's nice of you, but uh, you're not here. Your job isn't to rescue me. And then the ambassador says, she's the key to peace between both worlds. And then they say, well, back, do you know what you remember Paris and the, that whole thing? And they say, no, tell it to us in a different way. And she says, well, there used to be a woman called Gareth who was loved by Creos and Vault, uh, you know, and then, the, 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 you know, the empire fell because... Uh, Krios uh, uh, took Gareth and uh, to his planet or something, and she says, "But like her, I'm an emp em empathetic metamorph, uh, first he female metamorph born in a hundred years." Picard says, "A meta what?" Uh, and she says, yeah, "Like uh, I have the ability to sense what a potential mate wants and uh, give them the great, you know, give them great pleasure." Uh, I'm sure, you know, you've, you maybe you just, you know, the, the, she goes, read between the subtextual lines. And Riker says, subtext? What do you mean? You change yourself to whatever person you're with? Uh, and she goes, well, until I reach the bonding stage, then I imprint myself on the requirements of one person to serve as the perfect partner. And then the ambassador says, you know, male metamorphs are common on our planet, but females are not so common, so they're sought after. And the Riker goes, that's what the Ferengi were after, is no one would mate with them. That was subtextual. Riker didn't actually say that. And then they say that then the ambassador says, this has been planned since when she was born. And Picard's like, wait, say, what are you? He goes, you're doing this by choice uh, to Kamala. She goes, oh, it's my sole purpose. And then he goes, well, just take her to some quarters, Riker. This is ridiculous. And then the ambassador goes, I don't want you leaving your room, Kamala. So really hard to, to navigate this. Uh, but I don't know if other shows even, I mean, I guess in the golden age of television we have now, there's television dealing with this. But I guess like mainstream primetime television uh, to deal with the, the, this issue uh I mean, a broad range of issues. This isn't just one issue uh, about fundamental rights and uh, uh, patriarchy and even the deeper stuff. Uh, I don't know. Like, to, to it's really a bold, bold move, uh, especially when uh, they're not, like, uh, they're leaving it open-ended and, and just exploring it, uh, just like the TV show explores uh I don't feel like it's like pedagog. What is that? Pedagogic or di didactic or whatever. Like they're just exploring it. Uh, uh, even the characters. I don't know. I, I I really think it's an interesting way to deal with this. Uh, as exploring this issue, the issues that, that are brought up in this episode. If you watch it on your own, 
And says, you know, so, okay, so let's see what happens. Uh, male metamorphs, uh, Frankie, Frankie interest, I, I like that. Okay, so it's some good acting, uh, right, like good Riker facial looks. So Riker and Kamal are walking down the hall, 1305. She talks about pleasure uh, and pheromones and how provocative it is. Uh, uh, like, uh, let's see, Riker uh, has this uh, twisted smile when she says pheromones. And then uh, he says, I-, I think you have me at a disadvantage. Uh, and it's just funny. Because, uh, yeah, oh, he says, well, I'm not an empath. She goes, oh, you're more empathetic with women than you admit. Uh, and that's when Riker says, you have me at a disadvantage. Then they go in the room, he shows her, hey, you can control the lights with your voice, uh, and you can ask the computer if you have any questions. Then they kiss, uh, or she kisses him, I don't know, there's a kiss, and Riker's kind of stunned, and he says, geez, I'm beginning to sense these elevated pheromones you were talking about, uh, and she goes, you're curious, aren't you? And he goes, curious isn't exactly how I'd describe it, it's really funny, uh. And she goes, do you know what's really remarkable about empathetic metamorphs? And Riker's even spinning. He goes, you mean there's something even more remarkable about you? Or he's swept up in the moment, I'd say. And they have another kiss, but Riker fights his desire. Uh, This is really, really like it's not it's a serious subject, but this is a funny scene. You should really see how strong Riker is, like with like uh, at least in this situational duty. He says, you know, he, can't, he goes, no, I can't, like, I can't do this. Uh, and she goes, well, it's going to be a long voyage. And uh, Riker goes, it certainly is. And then he leaves the room. He goes, uh, Bridge, I'm going to be on holodeck four for the next 3.5 minutes. Uh, you know, like, he didn't say that part, but he did say, I'm going to holodeck four. So just great, real, uh, I mean, just so, I don't know, really funny. Uh, then we have Bef- what I termed a be- breakfast with Beverly. Uh, they're tearing up croissants. It's Beverly, Crusher, and Picard eating together, so the captain does not eat alone. And uh, uh, seductive coup de grace. What is that? Lovely breakfast. Uh, oh, this is just uh, like, and then uh, throws a napkin. Beverly throws her napkin when she leaves. And then we have a scene, lots of scenes with Kamal in the mirror, which I said, what would Berger say, Jean Berger, <laughs> about Kamal looking at herself being looked at in the mirror? Uh, but Beverly and Jean-Luc are having breakfast, and Crusher's basically like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, uh, this is wrong. This is like, uh, you can't gift, uh, like, uh, this is like patriarchy at its worst. And Picard says, well, arranged marriages have been around for politics for a long time, even ours, Earth, Earth stuff. And she goes, jeez, John Luke. And he goes, she knows what she's doing. And she goes, no, she's been conditioned uh, as part of a belief system to think, it, you know, she exists for pleasure. And Picard, like, so this is a nice presenting of an argument, uh, open-ended and Picard says well maybe this was like the destiny or what she was born to do and that's when Crusher says and bred by people to seal a treaty with the seductive coup de gras and then Picard says okay fine let's just throw the prime directive to the winds like we do every four episodes and uh, we'll keep her here we'll mess up the peace treaty interfere in their societies and their customs 
And then she goes, you know, she's not allowed to re- leave her room. And Picard goes, really? And she goes, you should know what's going on with your ship, Jean-Luc. Uh, and he goes, I'll look into it. And she goes, thanks for breakfast. And she throws her napkin and leaves. Uh, he goes, indeed. Then Picard goes into Kamal's room. Let me just see. Layla came. Berger says, uh, yeah, so so she Picard goes to Kamala's court. She says, come in. And then we're watching her, watching. It was kind of confusing, but, like, we're seeing her through a mirror. And let's see. And, yeah, that's when I said, it was, she says, oh, what a nice surprise. And he goes, how's things going? She goes, no, you know, the circumstance is not bad. And he goes, are you supposed to stay in your quarter? She goes, yep. And Picard goes, against your wishes? And she said, the ambassador thinks it would be disruptive uh, for your crew. And Picard says, I don't care about my crew. She goes, oh, you care about my well-being. Thanks, Captain. He goes, I care about the ship and what happens on the ship. Uh, and then this is, like, funny. So he, he, she goes, uh, yeah, I know. The ship's very important to you, isn't it? And Picard says, oh, yes, oh, yes, it is. Like, I really liked it, how enthusiastic. And she goes, uh, are all captains' lives solitary or just yours? And Picard goes, no, no, don't do that. This uh, empathetic uh, seduction or whatever. And she goes, yeah, I'm sorry. This is just, uh, she goes, this is kind of how I'm wired. It's this, Nonetheless, this is who, who I am. You might ask a Vulcan to forego logic or cling on, you know, to be peaceful. You know, I can't change until I bond with my permanent mate. Why does it bother you? And Picard says, well, it's tough to think that a sentient being can only live for someone else. Uh, and she goes, well, that's what gives a metamorph pleasure. Picard says, what about what you want? And she goes, like, this is a, like a deep argument. Uh, or is it? I don't know. I guess some people might say this is just it's barely scratching the surface. So I, I mean, I don't know. But it's just interesting how it plays And she said, well, uh, I, you know, I do, I'm fulfilled by giving to others. And Picard says, well, what if you're alone? And she goes, then I'm incomplete. Well, she goes, these are curious questions, Captain. And Picard says, well, I just wanted to learn more about this situation. And she goes, you know me better than you realize. I'm independent, forceful, brilliant, and adventurous, just like you'd like me to be. And Picard says, okay, I'll talk to your ambassador about, you know, letting you out of your room. And she goes, okay, thanks. And Picard kind of, like, backs out of the room, and uh, she goes in the mirror and looks at it thoughtfully and then kind of turns her head and smiles. And then we have the captain's log. They've arrived at the coordinates and are waiting for Auric or whatever. And Picard's like, dude, you can't, like, the uh, Birium or whatever, the ambassador is playing the xylophone. Or, uh, and Picard's like, you can't confine her. And not every something, oh, uh, they say, well, you can't have around any men like, uh, like, uh, there'll be the pheromones. And Picard says, well, not every man. And then we see Data, just funny. And then we have seen with, like, Data, the Empath's Wharf, and the Miners, and Picard meeting after another cut something. One condition, you visit me. Uh, knowledge and curiosity about empathetic powers, and then will you visit me? Uh, something, if, uh, and then we see the ambassador gets a bribe offer from a friend. Geese. 
So, yeah, so there's xylophone practice in the temple. Then uh, patriarchy off. What does that mean? Oh, because of data, chaperone data. Oh, I guess because Picard and... So who's more patriarchal, Ambassador or Picard? I, I don't know, because I don't barely know what I'm talking about. Uh, then data's walking with uh, Kamal. He says, as an android, I have emotion. Then they get to the bar, and Riker and Worf are already there. Riker's like, I got to get out of here, man. And she rolls in smiling, like feeling the power of her um, attraction, I guess. Worf kind of watches as the miners kind of act like um, scummy miners. This reminded me of like a bit of weird science, the party of weird science. And Data says, geez, you're being extremely rude. They almost fooled Data. They're like, oh, the uh, um, whatever you think, the, the compressor's out. We can't get any more drinks. Because she's like, what are you drinking, boys? And they're like Eldorian ale. And then uh, they go, Data, can you fix the rec- re- replicator? He goes, N- yeah. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. He almost, he, he like knows better. He goes, I believe I'll stay. And they're still starting trouble, and Data's trying to figure out what to do, and Worf says, is there a problem here? And everyone's like, oh, no, 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 no problem. Like, just one look from Worf is, no, no, no. So Data's like, okay, let's get going. And she kind of growls at Worf, uh, which attracts Worf. And then uh, uh, Data says, thanks, the crowd seemed too ebullient for comfort. And then Data says, how about a visit to the Arboretum? Love that word. I love Arboretum's tree place. And I liked how Worf growled and smiled back. Uh, then we have Kamal and Picard talking again. She goes, maybe I do need to, you know, stay in my room. And Picard goes, well, my crew has control, but I guess the civilians and the guests. Uh, and she goes, well, I'll stay in my room if you visit me. And Picard says, well, why would you want me to visit you? Uh you know what? It, and she goes just to talk, dude, not because of what you're thinking about. And Picard says, "Well, I'm not thinking about anything. I swear." And she goes, "Okay, really." And then she picks up like the symbol. She goes, "Jesus, this is a Ven- Ventanian thimble." And Picard, Picard goes, "Yeah, yeah." She goes, "Have you seen that Ventanian woven art?" And Picard goes, "Really? Woven, intact woven art?" It's, some of this reminded me of a James Clavell novel, uh, like like how much she's learned uh, uh, to kind of keep a conversation with, that would keep a card's interest. Um, not sure which one. Never saw those miniseries. I think it was before my time, but I read the books. Uh, was it Shogun? And uh, I don't know what the other one was called. But Vicar goes, oh, yeah, these symbols are great. And he goes, how do you know about them? She goes, I know a lot about a lot of things. Uh, Ventanian archaeology or the dark woman of raven brows and mournful eyes and Shakespeare's sonnets. Or the gardens in, in France near where you grew up. Uh, Vicar goes, really? You, you know all that from empathy? And she goes, no, no, Data told me some things. She said, I can only see a man of deep passion and conviction, but too controlled, disciplined, because uh, I want to know what lies belief. And Picard goes, nothing lies beneath. I'm dull. Fall asleep every night with a book. I said, wait a second. I, you mean I have a chance? Because uh, I fall asleep every night with a book, uh, old book in my hands. And she goes, will you visit me? He goes, oh, no, no, no. And she goes, even the walls of Jericho fell. 
And Ricard says, why are you doing it? And he goes, she goes, because they can tell some part of you is in, enjoying this too or something. Uh, and Ricard just has this stern look. Uh, then we see the, uh, whatever, what are those guys called? Whatever these two dudes were called, Harlan Orr and the other one. Uh, and they're pacing back. One's pacing, the other one's like rubbing. They're like worrying, waiting uh, uh, for something. And then the ambassador shows up, and they're like, uh, "Ambassadors, what are you trying to bribe me?" They go, "Oh no, no, that's just a sample. We got ten thousand uh, coming your way. Uh, you know, purest gold in the galaxy. We know, we know all about you." He throws some money. He goes, "Okay, well, yeah, they're really enjoying the bargaining, uh, the Ferengi." They go, "Well, what about twenty thousand? If you throw in the metamorph, we give you twenty thousand. She's answered a Ferengi prayer." They say, oh, you drive a very hard bargain. Oh, and I love how he placed the coins in his hand. Uh, I can't remember how he does it. Uh, he, he says, like, he's counting or something. Um, and he, then, I, I don't know, you got to watch it. But it's just really funny. They, like, put in the hands. Of the, these Ferengi are very delightfully um, crude people. They're also in St. Patrick's Day-style outfits. They have, like, green highlights and everything. And, like, their tattoos are sparkly green, I think. Uh, but then they get in a disagreement about the bribe, and uh, uh, the the ambassador has to take a nap, and they get dispatched via shuttle to Starbase 111 during an ad. Oh, hands-to-face nervous. I don't know what that was from. Med lab, irident. I don't know what that means. Or multi Oh, there's a radiant. Iridescent, or was it a multicolored silver blanket? And Crusher's like, okay, the, like, what are we going to do now? Like, uh, the doctor's sleep or the ambassador's sleeping. And Picard and Kamal are there. Picard says, well, we'll postpone it. And she goes, no, it's not possible. You know, I got to imprint on a mate's, uh, like, right away. Because uh, I got, like, uh, she goes, I have two days. And Picard goes, well, there's a bunch of, like, subtle things. And she goes, you're familiar. You know, you, you could help, uh, Rickard says, I don't know. And she goes, well, I could, I could t- tutor you. You know, time is of the effin- essence. And they are both happy, I put. Uh, then 29.15, this is gold. Uh, Picard's playing a, like a bamboo uh, xylophone synthesizer. He's practicing it. Really good, really good, fun scene. Uh, she's playing it, actually. And Picard's playing air syn- Like, he's playing it in the air while she plays it. Like, he's practicing air xylophone synthesizer and then he gets it and he goes ah he's so happy like he just like it really uh, he says ah i got it uh it was a bit bit sound sounded a bit like the game simon like that uh you would play like once or twice uh uh, where you should follow the patterns of lights and then there's some subtext like uh, they talk about uh piano lessons and performance anxiety and letting down your guard, and uh, Picard tries to distract her. Well, just let's let's get back to work. And she goes, "Are you afraid of me?" And Picard goes, "And what?" And she goes, "Are you not attracted to me?" And Picard says, "You're unavailable." And she goes, "I'm sorry, but we got a." She goes, "Well, I took piano lessons and every instrument, and even these horns that smelled sound like moon beasts uh, that serve like calm Valtese men." 
And then she said, and then she talks a little bit about how sad it was. She goes, you know, that, but I didn't live with my mom. You know, I lived with this team of people training me. And Vicari says, well, she says sounds lonely. And she goes, well, no, no, no. Uh, she goes, I had people at my side at all times uh, teaching me everything. And she goes, but I've been thinking about everything you've been asking me. You want to know who I am? And she goes, and I wonder, all, all that goes through my head is, I'm for you, Arik of Vault. Uh, she goes, in a couple of days, I'm going to bond with a man I've never met, and then I'll turn myself into what he wants me to be forever. And Picard says, are you sure you're doing this of your own accord? And she goes, I'm an emissary of my people for peace. Uh, and she goes, it's ironic that on the night of this whole thing, I would meet someone like you. And then they then they get interrupted. They're having a moment, and then they say the other ambassador's here, Riker calls. And let's see. Oh, his voice changes uh, at some point when they're talking about things. A really good scene. She walks and sits on the throne talking about stuff, who I am. And then they this is a replaying of the scene again. And then they talk face-to-face. You once asked me. They have like a silent gaze right when Riker calls. Then Picard goes to meet Ulrich of Robert Ulrich, Robert Ulrich of Waltz, uh, and he grins because he's like, "Wait a second, I'm better looking than this guy, and I'm taller." And the only thing I could think of, like, it, like Picard is such a sigh of relief. And I was thinking, like, can you imagine, like, if if this uh, if you watch this episode, imagine if you're going in there and it's called Drogo instead of this Ulrich of Waltz. Like how deflating that would be to see like this uh, ultra masculine, uh, handsome, like giant warrior type instead of like a, like a small kind of uh, uh, weird looking business person. Like, can you imagine like if you were in love with Danny and you never, and then she said, well, well, I don't, I haven't met my husband. Why don't you go meet this called Drogo? And, you know, let me know how you stand up and be like, okay, well. Great. It's a call Drogo scammy. I don't like he's him. I don't even know if he's, I don't speak that language. So whatever horse people is or whatever. So like the only thing I might be funnier than a call Drogo, but I can't, I probably can't tell. And probably it doesn't matter because he's got hair. He's got it all muscles, like authority. So Picard didn't have that reaction because he has the edge on this dude. Probably even funnier than the dude. Or whoever this like Robert Ulrich revolts. Yeah, Picard has his arms at his side. Ulrich has his hands behind his back. And she says, I suppose they sent the metamorph for Kamala. But Picard says, yes. Uh, he goes, well, more into trade than metamorphs. Uh, Picard kind of glares at him behind his back. Uh uh, then we see a shot of two ships, and we're at her room, Kamal's room. She goes, what's your first impression of uh, my husband? And Ricard says, well, he's, he sells his way like thoughtful man, informed. And she goes, did, she, did he ask about me? Yeah. She goes, what'd you say? He goes, that you're, you're totally, totally cool. And she goes, well, when am I going to meet him? He goes, tomorrow. And this, I think this is a theme, uh... In in people's lives and literature and art of like uh, like isn't this just kind of what happened in Casablanca like this uh, um, unavailable love triangle uh, where you're dut- dutifully seeing the other person off even as you carry feelings for them 
I mean, I know I wrote a bunch of poems about it back in the day. So, uh, uh, maybe 20, but so, uh, Picard's doing, I think both of them are kind of doing that, uh, but, uh, Picard says, okay, well, you better get ready for your ceremony. She goes, well, why don't we have some tea? And Picard goes, he's like, I got to get out of here. Uh, and she goes, please don't leave. Uh, and then Picard, this actually puts a podcast episode on. She goes, you could just talk to me. I love the sound of your voice. I'll turn out the lights and just listen. Uh, and they said, whoa, holy cow. This is like episode of sleep with me. And Picard goes, well, the lights stay on. And then she goes, Earl Grey tea, hot, extra hot. And then Picard goes, where'd you learn that from data? And then they sit down and Picard goes, well, now that I know you like my voice, I can't really, uh, he gets, a, they, they, he just gets embarrassed. And then she, they flirt. I mean, she like, uh, she touches head. I think she does. And then, uh, Picard tries it. She goes, uh, am I the most interesting life form you've ever met or one of them? Picard goes, yeah. And that's when she touches his head. And then he goes, I got to get out. He goes, she tries to douse it, uh. He goes, I'm not, she goes, well, she goes, uh, he goes, aren't I discouraging that? And she goes, you're playing hard to get or something. Picard goes, I'm not. And she goes, uh, she goes, that's why I like you or something. And Picard goes, we got to be up early tomorrow. I'm out. And she, she goes, tomorrow's light years away. I thought that was a nice line. Uh, then, uh, is tea with Beverly. Uh, middle of the night, uh, 37 22. And Picard's kind of staring off like he's kind of leaning out against the couch, his head's on his fist, uh, quiet. They're drinking tea out of a tea, 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 what are those things called? A teapot instead of straight tea. And I wondered how they, how you decide that when you're replicating tea. Because it seems like the replicator makes the glasses too. She goes, a penny for your thoughts. So that's the second colloquium. Or she just says, penny. Uh, and he says, what? She goes, a penny for your thoughts. And Picard says, do you have one? She goes, I'm sure the replicator could uh, find it. And she has like this cat-like grin on. And he goes, can I take off my uniform? And she goes, oh boy, Captain. And he goes, no, no, really, I'm serious. And this is kind of another set of awkward, a different kind of awkward conversation. And you can almost sense it. I mean, I don't know if it's projection or unbelievably excellent acting, but that there is some tension for Beverly on a couple different levels. There's this, uh, like, uh, this uncomfortable situation she's trying to address from her viewpoint with Kamala's sta- sta- status. And then there's whatever her relationship with Captain Jean-Luc is. And then there's her friendship with uh, Jean-Luc. But he basically lays it on her. He goes, uh, I mean, he doesn't say I'm in love with the metamorph, but uh, he gets pretty close to saying it. He goes, uh, uh, he go, you know, he goes, I've been hoping when I'm alone with her, I hope no one else comes in the room. Uh, and he goes, and now she's going to go live with a man forever, and I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, Beverly goes, she said, I wish I could know, I wish I could help uh and he goes, well, I just needed his shoulder. And she goes, well, it's there for you, Sean Luke. It's always been there. And before he says it, he barely can make eye contact with her. He's looking away. And then he says, the metamorph Kamala. Uh, it just really, really, another great scene. I said, like, around 37 minutes, like I said. Uh, then Picard rings into her room again. 
And she's, Picard's dressed, they're both dressed up. She's in a wedding dress type thing, and he's morose. He's got his arms at his side. He's a full dress uniform. And she goes, you got any questions? And Picard goes, oh, I got a bunch. Uh, and she goes, well, I'm not, I don't love him. And Picard goes, well, you haven't met him. And she goes, it doesn't matter. Uh, she goes, I wish you could know what it's like to be a metamorph and to feel the inner strength of someone and that to realize being with him has opened your mind and your heart to endless possibilities. To hear yourself say, I like myself when I'm with him. And Picard says, well, you know, I wish, she goes, there's no greater wish for any metamorph than to bond with the kind of mate I have, uh, like I bonded with you. And Picard goes, what? And she goes, the person I am today, I'll be forever. And then Data goes, Captain Jean-Luc, time to go. He goes, no, no, no. And he goes, it's ready. And Picard says, you can't go through with this. And she goes, what are you going to, um, what am I going to live on the ship with you? And then we're going to keep, she goes, the prime directive. She was having bonded with you. I know the meaning of duty. He'll never know. I'm empathetic. Uh, I only hope he likes uh, Shakespeare. And then they go down to the temple. The Arik or, or Ulrich's in his throne. He jumps up. He's like, whoa. And Picard hang, hands off the bride. She says, I'm for you, Arik of Vaults. And then they kiss. And Picard's just kind of watching them kiss uh, closely. Oh, no, there's a close-up of Picard at 4305 and sad music. And, uh, like, uh, that's it. Picard's heart's broke, I mean, for at least this episode. And then Picard sees off the ambassador. That's, like, the closing scene, and the ambassador says, Geez, thanks a lot, Captain. And Picard says, Glad you recovered from your little nap. Uh, it was simple. And Kamala helped get me through the rituals. And the ambassador says, well, geez, can I ask you a question? And Picard says, sure. He goes, you know, they picked me for this mission because I'm 200 years old and I'm not, you know, my, I got low T. Uh, so I wouldn't be tempted. But even I was, uh, like, uh, affected by the pheromones. Uh, and you worked with her side by side for days. How did you resist her? And Picard says, uh ambassador you know have a safe trip i'll see you later and then that's it so good episode another one with ricard in, in a romantic uh kind of romantic situation uh you know where you kind of feel for him you feel for your commander jean Luc. uh i don't know i really like this episode and uh enjoyed it and i hope you did too good night yeah, I want to thank everybody for supporting the show over on PayPal. Uh, Lisa, Christine, thanks and good night. Thanks and good night. Lorraine and Casey, thank you and good night. Angie and Sarah, thank you and good night. Uh, Ryan and uh, Georgia, thank you and good night. Uh, Sa- Sally, thank you and good night. Janet, thank you and good night. Uh, thanks and good night to Neil. Thanks and good night to Dakota. Uh, thanks and good night to Emma. Uh, thanks and good night to Trismagista. Thanks and good night to Matt. Uh, thank you and good night to David. Cheryl, thank you and good night. Monica, thank you and good night. Crystal, thanks and good night. Kendall, thank you and good night. Uh, Nancy, thanks and good night. Thistle and Thorn, thanks and good night. And Sherry, thank you and good night.
Ian on Venmo. I want to thank Lewis. Thanks and good night. Mary R. Thanks and good night. Max. Thanks and good night. I want to thank Craig. Thank you and good night. Uh, Dante. Thanks and good night. Laurie. Thanks and good night. And Derek. Thanks and good night. Thanks and good night. Uh, everybody supporting the show there. Okay, I just want to thank if you uh, be over on, uh, what is this? Uh, did iTunes reviews? Alyssa43 falls asleep in five to ten minutes, and no matter how awake they are, thank you. Thanks to Grumble Beats, who says counterintuitive, expecting some cheesy, soft spoken hypnotist. And when I first listened, I was pretty skeptical, but uh, it did put me to sleep in fast. He's your boyfriend to borrow a term. Now I listen every night. Thanks to Grumble Beats. Uh, Sun and Air 22, uh, usually 10 to 15 minutes, they're off to sleep. Thank you. ASI user uh, from the UK, too hilarious. They couldn't fall asleep, uh, but they enjoyed it anyway. Thank you. Download it. That's from KRO. Uh, thank you. Never fails to put me to sleep and distract uh, the racing thoughts. Thanks. Uh, thanks to Martin Timeslip from Canada, the real deal. has really improved my life. Great on many levels. Fun to hang out with Scooter. Relaxing, funny, positive, and you can tell how much work, uh, care, and effort gone into each episode. Star Trek's the fave. Thanks. Only podcast that has ever worked. That's Kelly L. Uh, tried numerous hypnosis and meditation podcasts with no success with this amazing uh, have a problem with my mind racing, and it's hard to fall asleep, but uh, slow enough, and that I've yet to make it to the end. Uh, Diet Soda says the best podcast. Listen every night, puts me right to sleep. I love the way you talk and the streaming consciousness way. Definitely my favorite podcast. Thank you. Adanama, Adanama uh, says I really do love this podcast, but the Apple podcast have needs to be Improves so they listen on YouTube. Uh, puts me to sleep every time. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they, they, they say that they don't like the autoplay. So, uh, yeah, they love, uh, YouTube works. Good. Lucky 1834. Wow. First, I was thinking, wow, this isn't that good. But uh, then uh, I woke up. Uh, excellent. Actions from Aaron from Canada. I can't recommend this enough. Uh, uh, wait, be Cassidy. They don't like the podcast, and uh, you know, then and, um, and then Forrest Rook from Canada. There's no way you can't fall, can't not fall asleep. Imagine if a senile Billy Goat could talk, uh, but didn't have anything to say. Then you have this podcast. You start to drift off because you can't make sense of it. Uh, it's easier to fall asleep than to try to form a cohesive mental image of this verbal Jackson Pollock. Thanks, Forrest Rook. Uh, then we got a couple of rough ones. Uh, John is not great, says this guy's annoying. You know, they, they find it annoying. They're from the U.S. Then from the U.K., Jaybird says this only works if you're American. Uh, but then the cutest cat ever says the best podcast ever. Uh, recently discovered it changed things. Uh, uh, it's potent to get you to sleep, it puts you relaxed, uh, just gauge enough to keep your attention, but not so as demanding can't drift off. Nansky loves the podcast, uh, loves my boyfriend, uh, smart, dream-provoking, just press play, let's scoots to the rest, thank you. Star uh, says, gender roles are the worst type of bread. Okay, if I could be totally economic, uh, you know, if I could support this podcast, I would. 
but they're undergrad, uh, so they just wrote a nice review. That's a great help. Thank you. Uh, L. Hun uh, says, helps race, calm racing thoughts and make you sleepy. They've developed a deep affection for the podcast. Simultaneously gentle and gentle entertain, gently entertaining helps lull you to sleep. A sincere desire to help others uh, flavors all the episodes. Thank you. And finally, E.M. says, uh, strange and beautiful thing. Uh, it shouldn't be a surprise, you know, because hypnosis is something I can talk to sleep. What's surprising is this exists at all. Why make things that are designed never to be heard? Why work so hard three episodes a week when just a single recording would be enough? There's this one episode where I woke up briefly and heard him talking about something interesting, but I only half remember it was if it was a dream. And I keep really listening to that episode, trying to hear it again, but I never make it. It's a true work of art, something strange and beautiful and inex- inexplicable nobody's done before. Well, Thank you very much, uh, EM. Thanks so much. And thanks, everybody out there supporting the show in whatever way you choose. Thanks and good night. All right, so here we are talking about a measure of a man. Uh, let's see. I'm still having trouble balancing. I don't know how many episodes we've done. I still feel like we don't have a total groove on the structure of uh, my readbacks. But this one, I was kind of going back and forth between the story and the thing. Uh, so the story before the opening, it starts off with poker, poker face is an instinct, uh, we meet an old love of Picard, and uh, then the episode opens and they talk about, hey, what are you doing out here, good law, pride versus a court-martial versus vindictiveness versus the truth, then Maddox, this dude Maddox makes a proposal or has a proposal. The Admiral checks out the Enterprise. Uh, they're close to the neutral zone. A proposal is to disassemble data uh, to replicate uh, to replicate this. Uh, data is referred to a lot of times in that way by this Commander Maddox. It. How will you do this? Someone asks. Well, there's risks, and they say, "Well, I can't allow it." So then Maddox says, I would get transfer orders for it. Uh, I just realized I think a lot of my other notes are in another notebook. So I don't know if we'll go to the story notes anyway. But uh, so this is a big time episode. It really, uh, a really rich and deep uh, thematically, really covers a lot of ground. Uh, and for season two, episode nine, a really like uh, impressive and intense uh uh, like no, well, not intense. As for, I, I don't know. I, I think I like. I, I'm not kidding. Like I teared up uh, the first time I maybe watched this, and I watched this like maybe six months ago on the recommendation of uh, Max from Cards, uh, the, the great medium write-up that maybe I'll put in here a link to. And Max is now doing a lot. It seems like like uh, I don't know Max, but but like that he's doing a lot of stuff with. Uh, uh, EF, like, like, uh, just interesting stuff. Uh, uh, Cards Against Humanity, the Max, that Max, Max T. So, this is a big episode. So season two, episode nine, uh, Captain's Log, uh, 173. Well, that doesn't make sense. Uh, I don't know if that's a minute, seven, I guess there's no minute 73 either, Scoots. Oh, Starbase 173. It's a new star base. Uh, they're going for a port call, crew, crew rotation, and offloading experimental modules. 
And, oh, just in case everybody knows my setup, I'm just using my regular phone now. So the episode is playing uh, for continuity's sake. And it opens with a poker game. And uh, Brian has a lousy luck. Uh, Scardy starred. What does that say? I don't know what that says. Scaredy star. Data's got a frosted visor on. Looks almost like a bathroom window. Like the glass you'd use on a bathroom window to, from the outside so people can't see you in the bathroom. Uh, like the frosted wavy glass. Uh, this poker room is much darker lit than the poker rooms of the future Enterprise. Uh, like, and, 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 uh, just much darker lit, very, uh, uh, very poker, I put, or X-ray poker. Riker go, Riker has a heads up with Data. Data looks spark, I put very sparkly this season, question mark. Is Data more sparkly this season? Does anybody chart that? I'm sure somebody on the internet does. Uh, uh Data's very green at poker. He makes a lot of excited moves. Like, he's got a lot of good, uh, like, he's leaning in and looking at Riker's cards. Riker's doing some bluffing. They're playing five-card stud, I think. And I I didn't know. I thought Data had a full house, uh, but I guess not. I'm looking now. I thought Data had a full house, but Data has just two pair. So Data folds. I was wondering if Data had a full house because I said, doesn't a full house beat a flush? Uh, but it turns out it's true. Uh, he gets bluffed through. Jordy laughs. Uh, and Riker shows his cards, like, uh, which is kind of, I guess, in a casual poker game, I guess that's for fun. But kind of when you're bluffing, kind of like, uh, I guess they're trying, I guess maybe not in this situation, they're trying to teach data. So Riker's really being helpful. We also have, like, Pulaski. I, I, I don't know if she's an admiral. She got three pips. Uh, what does that make? I, I don't know. Uh, Riker, like I think she's on the same rank. Lieutenant Pulaski, I guess. Lieutenant Riker, Lieutenant Pulaski. I don't know a lot about her. I haven't watched enough of these. If she's just a guest, uh, uh, I put triple question mark. Pulaski definitely knows a lot of poker lingo. She says uh, she picks a game seven card high low with a buy on last card and just to make it interesting, the man with the axe takes all. I would, I would say, I, I'm sorry, I don't, you'd have to explain that to me. I used to play a lot of poker, but um, I haven't really played very much since I stopped drinking, because I used to drink, you know, uh, it pretty much has to start from scratch. Uh, so then Picard goes to the bar, a, 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 or the, I guess the T-bar, whatever the heck you call it, it's Starbase 173. Uh, like uh, drinking uh, Earl Grey. I, I don't know. I wonder if the Earl Grey tastes different. Uh, I don't know a lot about replicators. I, w- I would bet it did. It, like, it, like, it'd be, like this is, I guess, the thing I have with radio and uh, streaming services. I guess with replicators, it'd be the same thing. So, future scientists think about this. So, like, if a replicator and I order, order Earl Grey, ideally, there's some sort of algorithm to randomize it slightly. You know, and some different things. Uh, like, I don't want to, like, I, sure, I could say, well, give me a Northern European Earl Grey, you know, from uh, whatever the freaking best city that is Earl Grey in Northern Europe is. But I'd like it, even that to be randomized. You say, well, let's admit, you know, just a little bit. You got this, like, because uh, that's what I miss about radio, like streaming songs without a DJ. 
I don't know. It, it might be tough to, to, to make those two, you know, but, it, but you know what I'm, I think you know what I'm saying. Uh, but Ricard is at the uh, bar and a woman walks in, Philippa Philippa, and he says, my God, you're back in uniform. Ten years, uh, seems like 50. And then Ricard says, this is very forward. He says, if we weren't around all these people, you know what I'd like to do? And she says, well, uh, what? He says, uh, she, then she says, ain't love wonderful? And then they sit down. I guess that doesn't seem very professional, though. I think like the, like any workplace that would get you written up. Uh, so I don't know. But, you know, it's a TV show, so give me a break, Scoots. But then he says, what are you doing out here? She goes, I'm in, I'm the, like, in charge of the JAG office out here, 23rd Sector. No staff but one ensign. You're going to make some good law out here on the, uh, on the whatever you call it, uh, country or whatever you heck. And Ricard says, so he came back uh, starfully. And she goes, yeah, yeah. And he goes, you shouldn't have left. She goes, they forced me out. He goes, no, you were too proud. And then they talk about the Stargazer Court Martial, which is a little, like I don't have enough Star Star Trek knowledge yet to understand all this. Uh, but one day I'll understand it. But there seems to be some, like she tried uh, Picard about uh, the Stargazer Court Martial and he's not happy still. He kind of feels like it was vindictive and related to their relationship or some flaw he saw in her where she was too stubborn. And he says, well, geez, I hope you learned, you weren't, you know, you, you enjoyed the, ad, the adversarial process more than anything. Maybe you learned something. She goes, it's good to see you. She goes, I'm glad you're still pompous ass and a damn sexy man. And I was watching it with my daughter. She was like, uh, she couldn't believe that. Then the Admiral uh, Admiral Nakamura comes in, and they say, you two know each other? Oh, yeah, we're old friends. Uh, and she goes, by the way, uh, Jean-Luc, you can buy me dinner. And then they has got this guy with him, Captain Br- Commander Bruce Maddox. And he goes, Bruce Maddox has got an enterprise proposal. Let's check out the enterprise. Also, I noticed at the bar or whatever, there was an armless statue, like a little bit like uh, Venus de Milo or something. And outside the window looked really good. Oh, also, when he, he's sitting with Philippa, uh, strange that she, one of them has a white cup, I think Jean-Luc, and she has a black flute uh, they're drinking. And then, yeah, the Admiral rolls up with a nervous guy. Uh, she says, Picard, you could call me, buy me dinner or whatever. Then they go to see the Enterprise. They're on the bridge. Data right away senses trouble. And he's getting weird looks from this Commander Maddox guy. Uh, let's see, Wesley's at Data's side. The Admiral's very happy. And he says, Commander Maddox has got some important uh, stuff. Right when he says that, there's like music from a movie. And uh, there's like this Twilight Zone mood. The music's from another movie, but uh, kind of like a Twilight Zone mood. And Maddox is like, yeah, I got this... Uh, uh, like, uh, whatever, uh, I'm going to do some work on, uh, the Admiral says, do some work on your Android. And then Max says, how you been, Data? And Data says, my condition does not alter with the passage of time, Commander. And then Picard says, you two know each other? And Max says, yeah, I evaluated Data. 
And they said, yeah, he was trying to keep me out of the academy. And then Maddox says, well, what are you, or Precarious says, what are you going to do? Data? That's what Maddox says. Well, disassemble data. I don't know. I thought there was an ad there, but data looks unhappy. Riker looks skeptical. Uh, so they go, they sit with Picard's very serious, uh, and they kind of have, like, Picard says, what, how, what's going to go down? He goes, well, geez, I've, uh, Maddox is referring to data as it, and he's, I'm a, a student of Dr. Noonien Sung, data's creator, and I'm, I'm close to making a duplicate of this, uh, data, but I got to disassemble it and study it, uh. Picard says, Data, what do you think? And he was intriguing. And Riker goes, well, how do you proceed? And then he goes, well, I'm going to offload Data's brain into something else, a main brain, mainframe. And anybody who even tried to update a computer would know this. Is, and Data, then Data says, uh, do you have a positive? Data totally blows this game up. He goes, so you got a positronic brain? And Maddox goes, yeah. And Data goes, really? How did you get that electron, electron resistance with the filament stuff? And Maddox says, well, if, uh, I'm working on that one. And Dave says, wouldn't that be the first step? And Maddox says, don't worry. Once I see the inside of your brain, I'll be able to make your brain. And Data says, if the answer is not forthcoming, your model will not function. And Maddox goes, anyway, guys, we got to wrap this up. No problems. But Riker goes, you're vague on specifics, bruh. And Ricard goes, what are the risks? And Maddox says, negligible. This guy could work and, you know, he could, this is a politician, this uh, Maddox. I think he is like a, I think he's in the house now. And Ricard Data says, this, he goes, this guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about to support an experiment of this magnitude. And Ricard goes, Data's a valued member of my crew. I can't, you know, no, not, no dice. And Maddox goes, I was afraid of that. He goes, there's transfer orders for Data to go to my ship, so uh, I'll see you tomorrow morning, Data. Um, yeah, Data blows this game up with two questions. Uh, Riker, uh, then there's an ad break. Then uh, Picard is at his computer. Data rings the bell. Picard uh, gets up to greet him. Goes, you sent for me, sir? Goes, yeah, Data, sit down. He goes, well, we got a problem. And Data goes, yeah, I find your, myself in agreement with your assessment. He goes, I don't want to lose you. And Data says, I love this, but this is one of my favorite scenes. Data goes, I will not submit to this procedure, sir. And, like, uh, Data really has to advocate for himself. I, I'm really proud of Data, to be honest with you. Or Data, I don't know if you'd say. Because the first Ricard doesn't quite get it. He goes, yeah, I understand your objections, but it's Starfleet's interest as well. So if Maddox is correct, you know, it'd be great. We could make more Android. And Data says simply, uh, sir, Lieutenant LaForge's eyes are superior to human eyes. Uh, why aren't all human officers required to have their eyes replaced with cybernetic implants? And, uh, like, at first, like, oh, here's another note. Uh, at first, Picard's very uh, patronizing and paternal, like, patriarchal, uh, fatherly, but in a I-know-best way. But then after Data says, lays this I stuff on him, this is at 1253. Picard's totally floored. Great, great acting. Uh, he goes, uh, he doesn't even say anything. Uh, 
He goes, uh, Data says, I see. He goes, it is precisely because I'm not human that you're, uh, and Picard says, that will be all, Mr. Data. And I don't know, like, if Picard was, like, staring at the floor, I don't know, serious or angry. There's music. I don't know what I put, something music. And then he, Picard says, computer, give me all relevant info about this transfer stuff. Uh, then Picard, he rolls in very serious entry, like an irritated pacing speed, into Philippa's uh, office. He's fiery. She goes, my gosh, uh, twice in as many nights. He goes, I need your help. She goes, oh, that's a, she's passive aggressive, I guess, or just sarcastic. Oh, you need my help, kind of. And Picard says, Jesus, they're making, they're transferring data uh, for an ill-conceived experiment. I want to stop it. And she goes, well, uh, you can't stop the transfer. And Picard goes, well, it's not going to, I don't trust the semantics, dude. And she goes, well, we agreed to certain risks when we joined Starfleet. And Picard says, yeah, uh, just acceptable, justified risks. This isn't either. It's unfair. He has rights. And she goes, a passion over a machine. And he goes, well, what are the options? She goes, well, there's one option. He could resign. And Picard goes, huh. And she goes, so you came to me for help? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the, you're the JAG officer. I didn't have any choice. And she goes, I didn't mean it that way. I'm glad you came to me. And she says, geez, I didn't mean it that way. I'm glad you could come to me. Picard says, the word trust isn't, he's really, he goes, uh, can't trust me. Nine out of ten for expert effort. And she goes, well, geez, I wish things were different. He goes, yeah, I wish you could believe that. What is this? Not over it. Oh, yeah, Picard is not over it. Not underlined over it, underlined it, over, underlined. He's not over it. Oh, there's some Star Wars music about Data's packing. And uh, we see a projection of Tasha from season one. I don't know when she left the ship, but... uh, we see his medals. I put, is he have eight medals and a book? Double question mark. Uh, and Maddox just barges right in and starts like looking through data stuff and looking at the inscription on his book. And data burns him again. Also, I wonder what what's up with these little cases they have on the ship. Picard used one when he went to France. Uh, they don't look very like they're tubes. In their heart, I don't. I don't think a tube is the best way to pack stuff, because uh, most of the stuff data's packing square. Uh, but again, I didn't. You know, I didn't graduate from Starfleet, so. Uh, but Maddox reads with disgrace and fortune in men's eyes. I'll all alone weep my outcast state. And he says, "Is that words to you, or just meaning, or do you fathom the meaning?" Uh, I think that's from Shakespeare. Because it says it here, and uh, Data says, "Total burn." Isn't is it not customary to request permission before entering an individual's quarters? Also, uh, let's see. A ge- there's a geode. Oh no, is this? Uh, let me see. I'm I'm off here. Okay, I jumped ahead. Sorry about that. Um, Maddox is acting all dramatic. Uh, he says, she said, I want to talk stuff out so I could persuade you. It's going to be fine. You know, you'll remember everything. And Data goes, yeah, just the memory. He goes, reduced to the mere facts of the events, you know, the binary code, zeros and ones. The substance, the flavor of the moment could be lost. Uh, 
And he tries to harken back to the poker at the beginning of the episode and how you can learn poker, but reality doesn't resemble the rules. And Maddox says, well, what's your point? And Data says that I don't believe it's possible to download the information in a positronic brain, or maybe it is. You don't have the expertise to do to preserve the essence of those memories. There's an ineffable, ineffable, ineffable quality uh, to memory, which I do not believe can survive your procedure. And Maddox says, ineffable quality. And he goes, well, we're going to have to do this the hard way. I'm in charge here. And Data goes, nope, I'm not under anyone's. I resigned from Starfleet. And Maddox says, you can't resign. And Data says, I did and I must. I'm the culmination of one man's dream. This is an ego or vanity. Noonien soon created me. Uh, like he added something to the universe. And if by your experiments you take me away, something wonderful will be lost. And I can't permit that. i got to protect his dream. And Maddox is just a jerk. He goes, keep packing because you're going to be reporting. And then, uh, I, don't, I don't know what this says, Prost, maybe in post-ad, oh, yeah, there's Captain Log. Uh, Maddox is, you know, of course, making a legal case of it. Louvois uh, wants my, me there. And we go in mid-scene, I think, and Maddox is like, uh, uh, you're being irrational. Picard goes, irrational? He goes, you're making data into a human because he looks human. If it's a box on wheels, you wouldn't be doing this. And Philippa says, uh, overt sentimentality is not Picard's, uh, not Picard's thing. And Picard says, Data's a valued member of my crew. And Maddox says, well, I can make a ton of these dudes, uh, you know, and they could do all the dangerous stuff. And Philippa says, that's great, uh, but get to the point. And Maddox says, Data can't resign. And Picard says, he's got rights. And Maddox says, rights? I don't care about rights. Uh, what about my rights? Uh, to my light, This is my life's work. Uh, and Philippa says, well, we got the law of rule. Uh, you can't just make androids do stuff, I don't think, you know, for your pet theories. And Maddox says, like, uh, you're going to, he goes, this is too good an opportunity to pass up to study this data. And Picard says, who do you think you're working for? Starfleet isn't like some organization, you know, you just pick which regulations you follow and they're convenient. Uh, whether you like it or not, data has rights. And then Maddox says, let me put it another way. Would you let a computer decide if it wanted to be, like, uh, updated or whatever? And she goes, well, that's an interesting point. The computer, But the computer's enterprise property is data. And Maddox says, yep. And she goes, well, maybe you're right. And then Picard says, well, we need a trial because this is like in a set of precedents. And you better like use the same zeal you did in the Stargazer Court Martial, Philippa. Uh, let's see. I also notice Louvois, she has a little android in her, just the way she was behaving. There's a slice of a geode in her office. It's white and gray with a black. Uh, a lot of geodes, I think, in Star Trek. Uh, Maddox is a bit breathless. He probably needs to do some running when he's trying to, he's sick of rights. I loved pet theories too. And, uh, who do you think you're working for? Uh, Maddox changes his tactic. Uh, there may be, uh, there may be law, but then find it. 
I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Picard says, she said, oh, there might be a law. And Picard says, then find it. She really raises his voice. And again, Picard's still not over the stargazer, uh, court-martial. 2053, do yourself a favor and watch this scene. If you're a big fan of Willy Wonka, I don't think I've seen anything unwrapped as delicately since then as when, you know, Charlie unwrapped that chocolate bar. Uh, that had the golden ticket in it, but Data's unwrapping a present uh, uh, is really good. He's unwrapping it. Uh, some of them, you know, we all movies do it all the time, but it still is fun. The silver paper, very deliberate, even more than a grandfather. Riker looks a little drunk. Uh, uh, something about a bowling ball in there. Because uh, they say, just rip off the paper. And Wesley goes, you're missing the point. And the book was uh, Dream of Fire by Karatak from Worf. Uh, and Worf was like, yeah, that's when the, this uh, Klingons made this novel, you know, top notch. Uh, and Pulaski, Pulaski says, no, 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 I disagree. And then Data goes over to Jordy, who's kind of sulking. I mean, they're best friends. Me and my daughter watch this scene. Very touching scene. Uh, he see Data says, Jory, something wrong. He goes, yeah, you're leaving. And Data goes, yeah, no one regrets it more than me. And Jordy says, yeah, I just don't like it. It's not fair. I don't like how you're being treated. And the Data quotes Dr. Pulaski. So she definitely has an influence. He goes, well, just like Dr. Pulaski says, life isn't fair. And Jordy goes, that doesn't help. And Data says, I shall miss you, Jordy. And he says, yeah, me too, buddy. Must have been a bowling ball in somewhere's joke. I don't know where that was. I wrote that down. Bowling ball in the... So, I don't know. Maybe Riker made a joke about bowling balls. That's why I thought he was drunk. And him and Jordy share a moment. Uh, Data kind of has a goofy stare. Uh, then Riker and Picard in Lovaz's office. She's basing... She, she said, I read the Acts of Cumberland. Data is property. And he doesn't have a choice. And Picard says, well, then I'm going to challenge the ruling. Uh, then I shall challenge. Uh, and she says, well, we'll have a hearing, but we don't really have anybody out here. It's a new base. and no staff. Uh, and he says, well, you'll have to figure it out. And she goes, okay, well, uh, officers will have to work at it. You in char- you'd have to defend data. Picard says, perfect, sounds good. And then the, the prosecutor would have to be the next in command. Uh, that's you, Commander Riker. And Riker says, no way, Data's my comrade. Uh, I respect him and I'm friends with him. And then uh, she says, well, Jesus, like, uh, some t- this is the kind of adversarial system we have sometimes. And Riker goes, well, I don't believe Data's just a machine, so I'm not qualified. Uh, I know better. And I'm not willing. You'll find somebody else. She goes, well, just rule against Data then. Data's a toaster. Report to Captain Maddox immediately. Riker goes, okay, so I don't have a choice. Uh, She goes, yeah, and you better do your due diligence or whatever. If you don't, I'll just end the trial. And Riker says, you don't got to remind us of our duty. You remember yours. And she goes, I have never forgotten it. Not then and not now. Riker's right up in her grill. And Riker leaves, and uh, and the, 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 what does this say? Data's a toaster. Ricard and Riker look at one another. I see. Oh, that was earlier. I have no choice, Riker says. And Riker storms out, then Picard storms out. 
then they get a shot of the space station after a commercial break. Picard's in his office. Uh, and I put here, why doesn't, couldn't Data run or go rogue? I mean, I, I guess not. Maybe they have the remote shut off uh, or, you know, a tracking device. So that would be good fan fiction, though. Data goes rogue. Uh, but Data's face actually shows some motion here. Picard goes, Data, um, Captain Louvas says your property of Starfleet, you can't resign. And Data says, I see from limitless options, I'm reduced to none. Or rather one. I only hope Captain Maddox is more capable than it would appear. And Picard says, no, 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 we're going to fight this. I challenge the ruling. We're going to have a hearing. And uh, she's still a fair person, so we'll put the rest of the question of your legal status for once and for all. And he goes, I- I'm supposed to represent you. Is that cool? And Data goes, I have complete confidence in your ability to represent my interests. And Riker's in some, like, weird computer. I don't know if there's a library or whatever. We also get Riker's password if you need it. It's Riker William T. Theta Alpha 2737. Uh, blue, and then you say enable, you know, is enter. And Riker's, uh, I guess he's in a library or like a like some sort of a pod, research pod, uh, doing research uh, on data. He's also drinking, I don't know what he's drinking. I thought it was chai, C-H-A-I, like some sort of milky tea-based beverage, maybe. Maybe it could be a, a white Russian, though. Uh, a hot cocoa, oh, butterbeer. These are the other things I thought it could be. Uh, and Riker smiles because he kind of figures something out, but then he realizes he figures something out, so then he frowns. Uh, then the hearing opens. Uh, they convene it, and, uh, and Riker calls uh, Data uh, to the stand. Uh, it's verify. Uh, like instead of a Bible, they got some hand reader. And it identifies data and starts reading off his things. Uh, Decoration for Valor. Riker says we could skip it. And Picard goes, no, 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 no. I want all his medals read. Valor and Gallantry, Medal of Honor with Clusters, Legion of Honor, the Star Cross. So then Riker says, geez, what are you? And Data says, you know, I'm like an android. You You know what I am. I am's what I am. And he goes, no, no, actually, uh, an android, according to Webster's, is uh, an automaton automaton made to resemble a human being. And Riker goes, by whom? Nice, nice, Riker's got his language down. Dr. Noonien Sung, foremost authority in cybernetics, a human. Riker says, who is that? He goes, a human. And he goes, what's your memory? Data goes, 800 quadrillion bits, uh, uh, 60 trillion operations per second. Uh, then he makes Data bend some steel. Picard objects. He goes, there's other life forms with mega strength. I said, wait a second. There are? I would. Lo- I, I said, objection. I'd like to know who, whom, what other life forms have mega strength. Uh, then Riker takes Data's hand. They couldn't figure out where he was going with this. Uh, and Picard tries to object, but then he says, never mind. Uh, 
And he goes, Riker makes this strange, this part's strange. He goes, he goes, day commander is a physical representation of a dream, an idea conceived by the mind of a man uh, to serve human needs and interests. It's just a collection of neural nets and heuristic algorithms, uh, responses dictated by a software program written by a man. It's hardware built by a man, and now a man will shut it off, and then he turns off Data with some secret button. Data goes to sleep, or, you know, goes into sleep mode. And Riker very dramatically says, Pinocchio is broken. The strings have been cut. Uh, and then there's, like, total shock, uh, uh, let's see, takes out Data's hand. Yeah, total shock. Uh, Riker, Riker even rubs his hand down his face and his beard over his mouth because he's, uh, before he says Pinocchio, I think, uh, Riker's just stressed. Uh, then there's a commercial break. Uh, then right, Picard's at the bar. His hands are on the bar, 10 forward or whatever. And Guinan brings over two Earl Greys, you know, hot, medium hot or however Picard likes it. Uh, and she kind of holds her drink at an angle and looks into her tea as she lays it out. Like, very good use. Of, again, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg's a great actress. Uh, so I just liked uh, the way this, this is, I mean, this is one of the biggest scenes, I think, uh, as far as trying to like uh, to say, huh, this is like an important current issue, you know, to address current uh, social situations uh, in a direct way, but still be indirect, uh, really relies on the writing and the acting and the directing at this point. And I think they really did a great job. Uh, and I just think these little things like the way... A uh, guy who was standing and, and I, don't, I don't know, like kind of like uh, laying it out for Picard, but try, like, I, don't, I don't know. You'd ha- you have to watch it yourself, I guess. Uh, but she holds a drink at her angle, angle, looks into her tea, and lays it all out real slow and subtle. And I'll go through the dialogue, but then she gets cool when she, like, uh, even cooler with her talk, like whole generations of disposable people. And then she takes a sip, and then Picard has this. Uh, uh, dawned on me, look, uh, and she doesn't have to say anything more. So basically, they're sitting next to each other, and Guy says, Well, Jesus, so the argument it didn't go good. And Picard goes, No, Riker's great. And she goes, Yeah, you got a hard argument. Uh, D- data is a machine, kind of. Uh, and Picard goes, Yeah. And she goes, You're worried about him? And Picard goes, well, I put him in worse situations. And then Guinan says, sure, it should be fine then. But you could tell she's uh, she's too wise. So she's really, and she goes, Maddox could make a bunch of data. It's very valuable. And Picard goes, yeah. And she goes, yeah, he's valuable to you. And Picard goes, yeah, I can't even. And she goes, yeah, whole uh, team of people uh, that are property of Starfleet, that's real valuable. And Picard goes, well, what do you mean? And she goes, well, geez, you know, you know, history, human history is not so hot, huh? With disposable creatures doing the dirty work, uh, difficult, hazardous, uh, in an army of disposable. You don't have to worry about their welfare, their feelings. And Picard goes, you're talking about slavery. And she goes, well, that's a little harsh. And Picard goes, it's not harsh. That's the truth. Uh, he goes, we've obscured it with an easy, comfortable euphemism, property. But that's not the issue at all, is it? 
But I liked how Guinan set up the situation so Picard could discover it, I guess, and the audience could discover this thematic turn. It, it, I mean, I think it even sounds like even I'm doing it ham-handedly uh, compared to what they're doing. So then it's just up, we're back in court, it's just uh, time for Picard to take this home. He's kind of sitting there almost cracking his knuckles. Uh, and at first he's almost monotone. Uh, he goes, you, Riker did a great job. Data's a machine. Do we not deny that? No, uh, it's not relevant. That's why. He goes, we're machines, just machines of a different type. I mean, do yourself a favor. This is one of the best scenes in Next Generation in episodes uh, just for pure acting. But this one, the square room scene, uh, you realize in this scene, it really, okay, like, and this isn't an offense to anyone having anything to do with this project that, uh, while Patrick Stewart, uh, is just, uh, tra- tra- transcendent. I mean, uh, he just added, I don't know. I don't want to take anything around West Ray. I don't know. You just, uh, you're like, oh, okay. This is why it's so beloved. Uh, but so he says, yeah, do we deny that? No. He goes, uh, Riker said, well, it was made by you. Date is made by a human. Well, yes, yeah, so so what? Uh, children come from their parents. Are they property? Uh, no. They call Data to the stand. They show his medals. He goes, why do you keep your medals? Uh, he says, why do you keep your medals? Well, logical purpose they serve. Data says, I don't know. I just wanted them. Is that vanity? Amphicard goes, why do you keep this book? He goes, well, it's a gift. Data says, well, it's a gift from you. Amphicard says, do you value it? He goes, yeah. He goes, why? He goes, reminder of friendship. And then he busts out the hologram of Tasha. He goes, uh, he goes, why, why do you have a picture of Tasha and nobody else? Uh, Amphicard Data says, I don't want to answer that. I, I made a promise. And Amphicard says, under the circumstances, I think Tasha, I don't think Tasha would mind. Uh, also he had in there something that looked like a Game Boy Advance, uh, and behind data, there's a departures board. And this is at 34, 32 around, but he says, what's up with Tasha? He goes, we were intimate. They do three reaction shots. Uh, uh, they do a reaction shot of, uh, I think it's like, uh, Riker, the Louvois, she sits up in her seat and then they Maddox. Oh, they do Louvois. First, it's Louvois. She sits up. Then she looks over to Riker, who lowers his eyes. Then it goes to Maddox, who rubs his own arms. And they say, like, uh, intimate. Uh, no one says that. And then uh, Ricard says, thanks. I got no more questions. And then she says, you went across examining Riker? He goes, no. And then Ricard says, I got a Maddox up here, hostile witness. And then they start to go through his qualification. Picard goes, anyway, anyway, it's nonsense. He goes, uh, he goes, you're an expert. Uh, so you say date is not a sentient being and doesn't get the rights of sentient life forms, right? Maddox goes, yeah, and he's not sentient. He goes, okay, what is required for sentience? And Maddox says, uh, intelligence, self-awareness, and consciousness. And Picard says, can you prove I'm sentient? And Maddox says, oh, of course, you, we all know you're sentient. Uh, and he goes, okay, so you're saying I'm sentient, but date is not. And he says, yeah, yeah, why? Maddox says, well, you're self-aware. 
And Picard says, ah, the second of your criteria. Let's deal with the first. Is intelligent? Is Commander Data intelligent? And he goes, uh, yeah, he goes, he could deal with stuff. Uh, and he goes, self-aware. What does that mean? Why am I self-aware? And Maddie says, because you're aware of your conscious of your existence and your actions. Uh, you're aware of yourself and your ego. And he goes, Picard goes, Data, what are you doing now? He goes, I'm in a legal hearing uh, to determine if I'm a person or property. And he goes, what's at stake, Data? And Data says, my right to choose, perhaps my very life. And Picard, oh, so good, this acting. He goes, my rights, my status, my right to choose, my life. Seems pretty self-aware to me, Commander. I'm waiting and Max goes, well, this isn't easy. And Picard says, do you like it, Data? He goes, well, I don't know if I like it or dislike it. And Picard goes, oh, do you admire him? He goes, oh, yeah, it's an extraordinary piece of machinery. And he goes, you really interested. You study these cybernetics your whole life, uh, right? And now you want to dismantle them? And he goes, yeah, so I can learn from it and construct more. And Picard has him now. He says, well, how many more? He goes, well, hundreds or thousands. There's no limit. And Picard goes, a single data, forgive me, is a curiosity, a wonder. He goes, thousands of data, wouldn't that be a race? Uh, wouldn't we be judged how we treat that race? Uh, now tell me, Commander, what is data? And Maddox says, I don't understand. And Picard says, what is he? And he says, a machine. He goes, is he? Are you sure? And Maddox says, yes. And he goes, well, he goes, we met two of your three criteria. So what if he meets the third? Consciousness, even in the smallest degree. What is he then? He goes, I don't know. And then he goes, do you? And he says it. He looks right over at Riker. And then he says, do you? Uh, to Philippa. I think maybe the first one he says to Maddox or the last one. I don't know. Uh, but there's like a lot of zooms. So let me just double check. Uh, they put holy gravitas. Though I also put Drew look up the definition of gravitas. Uh, when Picard first called Maddox this stage, he crossed his legs. Seems seasonably self-aware to me. That's when uh, Maddox breathes uneasy. Uh, when he says uh, there is no limit, Picard goes ah. And that's at 3524. This is when the dramatic part happens. Dramatic music. What is he? What is he then? I don't know. Do you? It's very swift, I put. Uh, he turns to Riker. Do you? To Lovat. Do you? And, that's, and then he says, well, that's a question you have to answer, Your Honor. The courtroom is a crucible. In it, we burn away irrelevancies until we are left with a pure product. The truth for all time Sooner or later, somebody's going to replicate data, and the decision today will determine how we regard this creation of our genius. It'll reveal the kind of people we are and that he's destined to be, and it'll reach far beyond this courtroom and one android and define the boundaries of personal liberty and freedom, expanding for some, curtailing them for others. Are you prepared to condemn him and all who come after him to servitude and slavery? And then Picard's still not done. He says, Your Honor, Starfleet was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. And he points at Data. And he goes, You wanted a chance to make a law? 
Well, here it is. Make it a good one. And Ricard is done. And, you know, he's just basically, that's like total mic drop. Uh, uh, Ricard sits down. Maddox holds the arms of his chairs as Louis says, well, it sits there looking at me and I don't know what it is. The case, this is dealt with metaphysics, uh, questions for saints and philosophers that I'm not really qualified to answer. But I got to make a ruling to the future. Is data machine? Yes. Is he property of Starfleet? No. We've all been dancing around the basic issue. Does data have a soul? I don't know that he has, uh, Louvois says. She says, I don't know that I have. But I've got to give him the freedom to explore that question himself. It is the ruling of this court that Lieutenant Data has the freedom to choose. Uh, I love that. The freedom to explore that question himself. And Data stands and faces Maddox. With, it was kind of like a confident smile. And he says, uh, like, uh, Picard watches. Uh, Data says, I refuse to uh, undergo your procedure. And Maddox says, I cancel the order. And Data says, thanks. And keep up your work. When you're ready, I'll be around. Uh, I find some of your ideas intriguing. And Maddox kind of seems touched. Uh, Picard watches. Uh, touched right down to the bottom of the soul. That's from uh, Nothing Song. If it, uh, see, it does work. See something, it does work. I, I don't know what that says. Oh, that's when Maddox says, he's remarkable. And Philippa says, you didn't call him it. And Maddox leaves. And then she says, see, but John Lucas, sometimes it does work. And he says, she goes, goes to leave. He goes, Philippa, dinner. This kind of seemed patriarchal to me, a little bit honest, like, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and she goes, you buying? And there's a little nod. And then we have, like, uh, this was, scene was funny for Riker. I thought we have this last scene where Riker's looking out the window. And I think he's trying to rewrite the events a little bit because uh, Data says, geez, man, uh, why aren't you at the party on the holodeck? First of all, what kind of party can they have on the holodeck? Sounds sweet. Uh, and Riker says, I have no right to be there. And Data says, because you failed? And he goes, no, Data. He goes, that was the best case ever. He goes, did you see me in action? He goes, I pretty much won, and it would probably beat anybody but John Luke. Uh, he goes, that's the most brilliant uh, orator ever. Like, uh, and he goes, so it almost, he pretty much almost lost you because I'm so good. And uh, Data says, yeah, but he goes, you had to do it. Otherwise, she would have ruled against me. And Riker goes, yeah. And he goes, well, so you injured you yourself to save me. I won't forget that. And Riker's so happy. And he goes, now I, w I was the best order other than John Luke and Data. And you're still friends. And uh, he goes, you're, he collapsed Data on the back. He goes, you're a wise man, my friend. And he goes, not yet, sir, but with your help, I'm learning. And, and the, you, Riker collapsed Data on the back, and they head out. They roll out to the party. Big back slap. Uh, and the episode comes to a close. Uh, all right. Uh, good night. Okay. I want to thank everybody who reviewed the podcast. And Mallory really works over the past few months. The podcast has been consistently great at helping me get to sleep when I wake up. But thank you. Good old Jay Gold. So sleepy. You've replaced David Attenborough. As the person that helps me talk to me sleep, thank you, good old Jay. This one comes from Australia, part-time expert. So you know you can trust them. They're part-time experts. 
like uh, the nighty night uh, Yanni Poo. Good old Yanni Poo 427. This is so soothing. Hardly ever write reviews, but definitely worth it. It does exactly what it says it'll do. Humphin Feet Down Under 1001. They're from New Zealand. Who put Scooter to sleep? Because we're all sorted. But hey, thank you. Uh, Kathy O says, amazing gift. Uh, uh, your knowledge is eclectic. Your voice is not creaky, soothing, and calming. Thank you. We treat insomniac patients. Now they prescribe my podcast. Oh, thank you. Uh, thanks so much. It's very nice of you. How about Junior One Dancer? And now the Tiny Dancer. This one's a Junior da- Tiny Dancer. Junior Dancer. Hey, I watch Almost Famous now. Uh, knock me out cold. I deal with anxiety, especially when trying to get to sleep. This voice is like the most boring teacher you had in high school. Uh, puts me out like a light. Thanks. How about b- Bluria? Bluria? A podcast in my dreams, literally. I live in a large cloud city and have trouble getting to sleep. A sound machine, a fan, essential oil, none of it worked. Stress, noise, work, anxiety all keep me up, but I put this podcast on and I'm out. Couldn't even tell you what he talks about. Woke up about three times in the middle of the night, uh, but I just put on another episode. Thank you. How about Bopinella? Bob, 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 Bopinella. Went to a dance, so I take a chance, saw Bopinella writing a review on my podcast, Pants. Uh, oh, that creepy dulcet voice. Puts me to sleep every night. First time I listened, I thought it wasn't going to work. That sounds like a common refrain. Uh, generally, sleep comes before the story. Waking in the morning so much better. Thanks. Okay, this one's not so nice. From Ireland, Sally G. Worthless. I uh, don't know BS. This guy's babbling. It was horrid. Worst podcast I've ever listened to. So, you know, that, you know, that, you take the good with the bad and then the really bad. Uh, amazing. That's where's my head. Uh, I didn't want to write a long review, but this podcast is uh, incredible. Stumble on this. Can't make it 20 minutes in without falling asleep. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you for writing a review. It's very nice. Uh, uh, Colt Darling. Colt Darling? I'm going to write a review about this podcast. The best pi- falsely podcast ever. Perfect. Thank you, Colt. You're Darling, Colt. I'd like to thank you 45 times uh, with uh, um, somebody else. I can't even think of who I'm. Uh, Drift Away. That's from BSC Court. Uh, insomniac impacts my sleep several times a week. If I have my phone or TV, I'll be up for hours. But I can put this podcast on and... Uh, Keep my eyes closed, they listen but not engage. Uh, thank you. Uh, Psychotron from Canada, or Psychoron, Psychotron, Psychotron, there's no T in there. I just, I guess I saw it, but it's not there. Knocked me out like I'd blacked out. Thought this podcast was a joke, uh, but then I went in, went in with a good deal of doubt. Woke up in the middle of the night because of a cough, but I didn't even know how I got to sleep, uh, Amazing, thankful. Thank you, Sacron. Uh, Mishi Alley says, a new listener, I have to say this is the best podcast. You can't think your own thoughts with someone rambling. His voice and stories about nothing will lull you to sleep. Thank you. You know, some people dream of genies. I dream of bubbles, uh, writing reviews. I love scoops. This works. Uh, genuine, super nice guy, golden voice. Thank you. How about this one? Quad F, Fafarin. Fafarin, sleeping indeed from Canada, uh, is amazing and funny. 
That will last as long as five minutes. No idea what the rest of the show is about. Thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, D123 quadruple or five Zs. Uh, so relaxing. That's from Ireland. Uh, puts me to sleep for 20 minutes. Thanks. Uh, sleepy uh, MFM fan uh, says, George, our good friend, talks about this podcast. Uh, wow. I'm so grateful for this human. Constantly ruminate, but thanks to this podcast. Been sleeping with that over and over. Also, they love. Uh, that we're welcoming to everyone beyond the binary. Thank you for your kind review. Uh, I see Walter, best podcast I never hear. Thanks. Uh, sleep phones also work well. Thanks, see Walter. Nof Construction puts me right out to listen every night. Thank you. This is a critic of long nights at work in the uh, uh, funeral industry. Become accustomed to long, sleepless, lonely nights. Uh, sleep with me gives me a voice. Give me company. Thanks, that's a nice review. Uh, Medusa's, Medusa's Ellipse uh, says, the life change. I never thought a podcast could be life-changing until this. Suffer from insomnia most of my life, usually a result of anxiety. My mind, you know, a lot of stuff on their mind. This is a really nice and long review. Uh, and they just talk about how the podcast works. I'm like a Salvador painting in a blender with Larry David's riffs. So oh, thanks, uh, very nice of you. Thanks, Medusa's lips. I, I would uh, blow them a kiss if I could. Uh, Jamie Lay uh, says, brilliant. They're from the UK, and uh, they're nice uh, to me. Not every, uh, most people are, though. 100% recommend this podcast. Wish I found it sooner. How about Care Bear? Not Care Bear, Care Bear. Sleepy, so thankful for this podcast. Uh, thanks for putting it. No problem. How about M.M.? M.M.? E.M. comma M. from Canada. Listen all night long on my iPad. So pleasant to hear the voice urging me to rest. Always been a light sleeper. 65, and I can't tell you how thankful I am for the podcast. I'm thankful you wrote me such a nice review. How about B. Balam? Aziz. Only made it through a complete podcast once. And normally there'd be an insult, but for this, it's a compliment. Only it hasn't worked once. Listen every night. Uh, thanks. Thanks so much. Five stars, two thumbs up. Thank you. How about Ernie T? Very brilliant. Uh, listen fairly regularly for the past six months when we sleep. It distracts the mind. Thank you. And Mr. Brother, uh, best in the business. It works well. And thanks, everybody, for all the reviews. And good night. All right. Hey, everybody. We're talking about... Uh, Let's see, I don't know, episode, hmm, I don't know exactly, it was season five, episode, I'm not sure the episode number, actually, uh, but the episode is The Game, and I don't know, I, I watched this quite a while ago, so, so like, I mean, not super long ago, but, you know, maybe two or three months ago, and so I kind of barely remember it. And I don't know if it was on Max's list of uh, Trek shows or it was just that it was. It's interesting with, with the Google Glass they had maybe a few years ago. Uh, so it's an interesting episode. But it's from season five, early on in season five. I think it came out in 1991, maybe October. I think I saw that somewhere. But the opening sequence is very funny, uh, very good. It's Riker is on leave and he's in a bathrobe. And he's with his L-O-V-E-R, and she it's a very flirty uh, situation. She steals his communicator. They're on Risa, R-I-S-A. Her name's Atana. 
And then she, like, there's this great moment. I'm watching right now, 54 seconds into the episode. She steals it, so they're kind of chasing each other around this apartment uh, or hotel or Airbnb. And very, like, uh, they're both, like, uh, like they like each other a lot, and uh, they're having fun. And she's playing with his communicator, and she's like, Commander Riker, come in, or whatever. And then she just throws it right out the window of the uh, the apartment. Oh, she says, I have a terrible problem down here on Risa. And he can't believe it. She goes, go get it. He, and he's like, I can't believe it. And she goes, believe it. And then they kind of take the flirting to another level. Uh, uh, don't believe it. I don't believe you just did that. Uh, Riker's in a bright blue robe. Very nice. And total fun, flirty passion. Very passionate. You can see. And then she puts his headset on Riker's head. And he's like, what is this? Uh, like, first you think they're going to do, you know, uh, you know, they feel, it seems like they feel like making do-do-do-doom, you know. But she puts it on, the headset on his head. And, but it has these things, uh, like, uh, these, uh, pieces, like, just like Google Glass, like, pointing at your eyes. And she says, what's this? And she goes, it's a game. Everyone's playing it. And Riker goes, what do I do? Open my eyes or close? And she goes, open. And then Riker kind of sees a playing field with, like, uh, kind of like Tron, like, just circles. Like, it's not too important. It's, like, a low, like, not that great of graphics, but, uh, very basic game. There's just, like, a a blue funnel and a red disc. And he sees that. She says, he says, what do I do now? And she goes, uh, put the disc in the cone. And he said, wait, I says, well, you no, know, with the game, my dear. And she laughs and she says, uh, just do, do that. And, and you just relax and, and you'll get it. And at first he doesn't get it. Then he gets the second one and he has this like, uh, uh, o face, like where he almost moans uh, with pleasure, and he goes, "What was that?" And she goes, "That was your reward." Uh, and he goes, "How far does this game go?" And she goes, "As far as you could take it." So very, it's on the notes dialogue, subtextual dialogue, but it's more funny because it's against the. the it, they, I really think this is really like a uh, high level storytelling, to be honest with you, because uh, it's not subtextual because they could just be, you know, they're already in bed. You know, they've already been with each other. So I think it's just fun. And uh, she goes, as far as you can take it, are you ready for level two? And then the episode begins and, you know, they say Captain's Log, Riker's back from uh, break uh, on Risa, and we're headed to the Phoenix Cluster. It's a historic first look at the region. And I think it starts on the bridge. Riker, yeah, Riker, let's see. Two, Riker's been gone two weeks, I think. I put two weeks. Uh, Will is in charge of the science team. So I think uh, they say, like, uh, Picard says, dude, you're in charge of the science team. We've got a ton of science teams from the Zukov. Because uh, we only have two weeks to explore this Phoenix cluster. Oh, that's what they say, two weeks. That's not enough time. thought we had five weeks. They go, well, we got diplomatic stuff on Oceanus 4. So Picard says, well, you know, deal with the scientists. And he says, well, that's going to be a juggling act. And he goes, well, here's a piece of good news. Wesley, Cr- we're gonna get- Wesley Crusher's coming for vacation. And Riker says, that's great. We'll put him right to work then because we need his help. Uh 
And let's see, Crusher's coming for a visit. Then we see, of all people, uh, the famous actress, uh, Ashley Judd. And this was really a delightful surprise for me the first time I watched it. I said, that's a, like, it's a, like I said, that's Ashley Judd. And she was kind of popping open a console in engineering. And it looked like she was taking out some gadgets. And then Riker kind of rolls in there with the Riker struts. Uh, not too, like, actually, he's looking more business, like business. He's really moving. He's not strutting. I'm wrong because I'm rewatching it now. He checks in with Jordy. They talk about the exobiologists, or uh, it seemed like they're a pain in the butt or something. They got some cartographers, 15 science teams, two weeks, only one long-range array. So they do some uh, chatting, and then he's, uh, Jordy says, I want you to meet Robin Leffler, uh, mission specialist Robin Leffler, by the way. And Jordy goes, we just promoted uh, promoted mission specialist Leffler uh, because she's so good. And Riker says, congratulations. And so Riker puts her right to the test. He goes, what's our sensor status? She goes, well, we're working on the bandwidth, so uh, we can use the scientists can use more sensors. We're going to multiplex it. And Riker says, can you get it done fast? And she goes, you, you can count on it, sir. And he goes, keep it up, Leffler. I like that name, Leffler. Very, uh, just Leffler. It, it, it's uh, like a sleep podcast. And then, uh, yeah, so she gets to show off her knowledge. Then he leans into Jordy. Leffler walks away. And he goes, I brought something back from Risa. You have to try, man. And Jordy goes, dude, I got about, I got to do a sensor calibration in 10 minutes. Uh, so, you know, and he, can I catch you later? And he says, no problem. Then we have another epic scene, uh, very f- another epic fun scene. About seven minutes, uh, you get we're at ten forward. Deanna Troy's eating a chocolate sundae, so just like a call back or a call forward uh, from last week when uh, I guess it was a call forward because that was season three. When we know when uh, Troy's stressed, she likes to drink chalk or eat chocolate fu- or uh, sundays. I don't know if it was chocolate sundays. But Riker rolls up behind her as she's just about to eat her sundae, and he says, she's chocolate ice cream fudge, chocolate chips, are you depressed? She goes, I'm fine. But maybe she isn't, you know, because he was just on, like, a lover's holiday. And Riker goes, should I leave you two alone? And she goes, no, you can join us. And then she offers him almost the first bite, and she's smiling the whole time. And then it gets very seductive. Uh, Riker, me and Riker, I never know we had so much in common. He doesn't like fudge, and neither do I. I don't loathe it, but I, I'm not out going out of my way to have fudge on anything. I mean, maybe on, the, on someone on the planet, Risa, I, I would do that maybe, but uh, it doesn't work out so hot this episode anyway. But Troy says, I never met a chocolate I didn't like. And then it really gets... Uh, Seductive. I don't know how else to say this. Uh, Riker goes, she, she's uh, like slowly working her uh, Sunday. She's doing like some shaping of it, and it's slow and smooth. And she really goes, I, I called it the Choco Sunday experience because uh, she goes into depth on it. And uh, she shows her whole method, and this really gets Riker's attention because it is essential. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. And, uh, uh, like, uh, I guess it's another part of this whole episode. 
Uh, but she goes, it's, she goes, it's just not a matter of taste. Uh, it's the whole experience. First of all, you spoon the fudge around the rim, leaving, leaving only the, uh, ice cream in the middle. Then you spoon around the sides like you're sculpting it. Relish every bite. Make every one into... I think Sting, when he was into this tantric stuff, you know, I think this was in his book. Relish every bite. Make every one an event. And then, with the last spoonful, close your eyes. And Riker and Butcher, and he goes, I had no idea it was such a ritual. She goes, chocolate is a serious thing, bruh. And then Riker says, you think that's serious? I brought something back from Risa. Better than chocolates. And then he says, she says, oh, what is it? And he goes, just a game. And whatever he says, it makes her smile. Like, I don't know if it was like they used to play games together or what, uh, but, 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 but they have a little exchange. Yeah, big Troy smile, better than chocolates. Uh, and then there's an ad, and then we see two spaceships after the ad break, uh, the Enterprise and another one. There's no commentary. And then we see Wesley uh, energize in. He's all grins. O'Brien's there. Wesley's wearing black pants with a shirt with a blower, lower black uh, three qu- three quarters and then a red upper. And he's like, "No, O'Brien, no one's here to greet me. He's a little disappointed. He goes, where's my mom? And he goes, by the way, congrats on your baby. So O'Brien uh, has had a baby that looks just like him. Uh, but he goes, uh, don't know. Everybody's in a meeting. You got to just go to your mom's room. And he goes, could I just stop by the meeting and say hi? He goes, uh, let me check. And then they call. I mean, I started to get the idea something was happening. And O'Brien says, uh, Worf answers, yeah, what do you want? And O'Brien's like, Wesley Crusher's here. He wants to stop and say hi. And Worf says, Expo- exp- ex- uh, suppose that's acceptable. So then they have a surprise for him, you know, spoiler alert, uh, but they're going to be spoil. They're spoiling Wesley. And as you know, how much I love Worf and data, uh, it's a really good scene. 10 minutes in. So they surprise him, you know, his mom, obviously is the first one to say hi and hug him. Uh, then Troy and, uh, Jordy, then Picard wants to test him on his Latin, which is good. And then, uh, you know, they say, oh, like, Jordy has kind of almost ruins it because his mom said, says, you look great. And Troy's like, you're handsome. Uh, or no, his mom says, your uniform looks great. And Jordy says, I bet you're driving the girls wild. Uh, but War saves the day. He calls across the room with pride. He goes, Wesley, Tavorkian pound cake. I made it myself. And Wesley's like, thanks, Worf. And then Worf looks back at Riker's cracking up. I don't know if it was not real or whatever. And then Data says, Wesley, was your attempt to, to was the attempt to just make you uncomfortable effective? And Wesley's like, yeah, kind of. I, I did. And he goes, so you were pleased by our deception? And he goes, yeah. And then Riker goes, what are you, are you here to work or play? And Wesley goes, what do you need? And he goes, well, we got a lot of stuff going on uh, I know you want to go down to the holodeck and try out Crusher 4 or whatever you call your secret, you know, holodeck stuff. But, you know, we could use some help. And Wesley's like, that's great. Uh, And then Jordy goes, okay, get down to engineering as soon as you unpack your stuff. Uh, And then uh, Jordy heads out with Data. 
And then uh, they think they're asking, I think Crusher and Troy are talking about the game. And Troy's like, come on by. Then Data and uh, Wesley are in the hall talking kind of about school and social awkwardness. Let me just check this other set of notes here. Uh, blank pants. Oh, Wesley has a typical plastic circle luggage. Made it myself to Vorkian pound cake. Uh, oh, Data also cluck clucked like laughter when he was talking about the surprise. Yeah, then they're in the hall with Data. I said, geez, he didn't even give him time to eat his cake. Uh, but uh, Data says, how's the academy? Uh, and Wesley goes, it, I thought it would be easy, but it's, you know, a lot more than just ship stuff. Uh, and Data goes, yeah, I did good at school, but, you know, it was socially tough. Uh, you know, practical jokes. And Wesley goes, yeah, this Adam Martoni sonic showered me with mud, but I got him back. And then Data goes, by the way, yeah, social stuff like the Sadie Hawkins dance uh, was awkward. And Wesley's like, yeah, I can't even dance. Uh, and Data goes, well, why didn't you learn to, you know, your mother's an expert. And Wesley goes, the dancing doctor, even she couldn't treat me. And then Data does a sales pitch. He goes, I'm happy to teach you dancing. I've programmed a comprehensive 17-part course with uh, holographic partners. And he goes, actually, I cross-referenced some of the people in Crusher 4. Uh, so, you know, it would suit you. Uh, but I said, that's like a pitch on the Internet. You know, oh, come to my site. I got a 17-part holographic course. You know, come to my webinar type thing. Uh, let's see. Social data. Oh, data did it odd. Good for you. It was a little bit odd. Uh, then uh, he goes straight to work on the signal flow. Uh, then Ashley Judd, Robin Lefter shows up because uh, Wesley's all frustrated. And she kind of schools Wesley. She's like, don't you know how to calibrate stuff manually? Uh, you know, they, you can't just uh, force the deflectors or whatever. You got to do it by hand. And Wesley goes, that's what the computer's for. And she goes, no, uh, law 17, when all else fails, do it yourself. Uh, and Wesley goes, wow, that worked. And then he says, uh. I'm Wesley, by the way. And she goes, oh, yeah, I know. She's got this smile. I mean, she's like, dude, you're the dancing doctor's son. We all know who you are. Worf breaks you cake. Uh, which he, see, he goes, oh, hi, nice to meet you. And then uh, they kind of share this long handshake. She goes, I'm Robin Leffler. Uh, Wesley's biting his lower lip, so it's very on point. Uh, and uh, she's like, totally, like, you're totally famous, dude. And they, he, it's such a long moment. She goes, by the way, your, your neutrinos are drifting. Uh, and he looks back, looks back at her. Uh, then we're on the bridge. Jordy's stressed because all the uh, scientists are, you know, d disagreeing. And he goes, we got to flip a coin, I guess, Data, to get him to work it out. Uh, and Data goes, okay, I'll replicate a coin. And then Data gets called to sick bay uh, by Crusher. Uh, also data or Jordy had like, when they were on the bridge, he had like a flip phone that was like a tablet flip phone, which I thought was interesting. Also when Dr. Crusher called data, she was used, she goes, data, could you please, she had a robotic voice, which is always a sign. And then she goes, uh, she, she, she said she was working on something, but then she just shuts data off. She tricked him. 
And then her, Troy, and Riker come in, and it's very uh, Twilight Zone. They put Data on a bed, and they laser his brain, and it goes to an ad, because she said, she's that's not good, the laser and Data's brain. And then there's ad break, and then we have, uh, the, we're back at uh, uh, Riker, or uh, Picard's room or something, Full-on tea set, silver, he, Riker, or sorry, Picard's broken out the silver and the proper china. I mean, I don't know what sterling silver is, but I think that's what, like, I don't know if he polishes his own silver, Picard. Uh, but it was like a real proper silver in, in uh, China, and Picard's talking about his Hagrid. This was good, like, I don't know, uh, yeah, he's talking about his Hagrid, like, I felt like I was in a Harry Potter crossover. Because Wesley goes, well, I met old Boothby, but he didn't remember you. Or he goes, oh, I met old Boothby. And goes, Picard goes, oh, how is old Boothby? He must have been talking about me nonstop. And Wesley goes, he didn't remember you until I showed you a picture. He's proud of you now. And he goes, is he still keeping up the grounds? You know, was it like uh, just like Hagrid does. Uh, and Wesley goes, oh, yeah, he's still, he took me on a whole tour, showed me every blade of, blade of grass. Uh, and Picard goes, I had the same tour. And then Wesley goes, what does AF stand for? And Picard goes, AF? And he goes, yeah, Boothby said you were carving those initials into an elm tree. And Picard goes, huh, acquaintance of mine, eh? He goes, Wesley, don't do it. Even if you you know fall for somebody, uh, you know, I failed organic chemistry because of AF. Uh, let's see, Cons- but then they get a call to the sick bay because uh, conspiracy de- deepens. Because at first, Jordy, Riker, and Crusher, they stage. At first, they thought they were staging a show for the captain. They go, "We don't know what's along with Data," but then I realized they think they are tricking Jordy as well. Uh, there's also uh, an extreme close-up of a flip pad in case you want to see one. I don't have the exact time. Uh, then Riker kind of draws Jordy in after they check. They said, well, we don't know what's it with data. We better work on him. Uh, but cause Riker goes to Jordy, geez, like, I think you need to unwind. And Jordy goes, yeah, I'm so stressed. He goes, come on, let's go up to 10 forward. I want you to try something. Uh, then we have Wesley and Robin. They're talking arrays and things, uh, arrays and such. I put, uh, and Wesley totally asks her out. Uh, it was great. So they're talking about, you know, they're working on arrays. She talks about her philosophies of life because he goes, you got a funny way of looking at conduit configuration because law 36, that's what you like. I never understood. I didn't quite understand this. I don't know if it's linked to another episode, her laws. But she goes, you go with what works. Uh, Wesley goes, what are these? And she goes, my personal laws. Uh and make up the laws when I learn things. And he goes, how many do you have? She goes, 102. And they work well together. And Wesley goes, why do I get the feeling you already know me? She goes, well, my friends at the academy talked about you, how you tricked Adam Martoni. You're so cool. Uh, you got him with chili sauce. Uh, and Wesley goes, well, that's not the whole story. She goes, is, is it true what they say about your birthmark? You know, and I guess I don't know what part of his body it's on. And Wesley goes, well, that's not fair. I don't know anything about you. And she goes, yeah, Law 46. Wesley goes, oh, life's not fair. And he goes, well, I got to go work on the sensor array, but I'd like to even the score. How about coffee? And she goes, no. How about dinner? 
then uh, we have a captain's log. I don't think there was an ad break, though. And they've arrived at the Phoenix Cluster. But it's going to be a couple hours till they figure out where to do the survey from. And data's still not, uh, you know, doing good. Some great special effects here. Uh, then we have a close-up of uh, Dr. Crusher playing the game. And she's in total ecstasy. So, and then Wesley walks in on her, like, right when, I mean, and she's like, Wesley, whoa, boy. Uh, uh, and she goes, and she's like, you got to try this game. Uh, she goes, I, I was playing it, but it's for you. Uh, it's so fun. And Wesley goes, what is it? And she goes, a game from Risa. Everybody's playing it. And Wesley says, well, later, uh, I got a crush on somebody. Worried about data. Maybe I should go help out. And she goes, no, no, you're on vacation. Take a little break. Uh, and Wesley goes, the lights are down low, Mom, and you're, 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 uh, you're, you're whatever. You have a sheen to you. And she goes, come on, Wes, are you in a hurry? He goes, yeah, I got a date. And she goes, who? And he goes, Robin Leffler. She goes, why don't you come over? We could all play this game together. And Wesley goes, Mom... And she goes, sorry, I just want to spend some time with my son. And now I feel that ache that the parental ache has. Uh, they do, I mean, she's not going through it now because she's under the spell of the game. But Wesley goes, don't worry, Mom, we'll hang out. We'll spend some time together. But she's really aggressive with the guilt to try to get him into this game. She goes, just try one on, just for size, you know, and tries everything, and then Wesley still resists. So then she does this soft sell, and she just leaves the game for him. She leaves it out. But then we see a close-up of Wesley's face, and he suspects something, maybe. Uh, then it's daytime, and they're both dressed very nice. Like, Wesley had—they both had colors that were tough to describe. Uh, and then we also see kind of the sad, emotional side of Robin Leffler. But, yeah, I can't describe what colors they're wearing. Like, uh— Robin's almost wearing, um, like, a melon with, uh, like, some reds in it. And then Wesley has something that's a light blue or turquoise, but not quite either one of those. Kind of like flavorful colors. Like, you would, t I would taste either one of their... Uh, Wesley has, like, a cotton sweater on. So I don't know if I'd taste it. Never mind, I shouldn't be talking about this. But, yeah, Robin talks about... Uh, you know, her childhood a little bit and why she has these rules is because uh, parents' work came first. Uh, that's why I learned you can only count on yourself. And Wesley goes, well, that seems lonely. And uh, th then they talk about the game and it being a fad and seeing everybody that's playing it and neither one of them has tried it, some recent gadget that goes over your ears. And they look at a woman totally zoned out playing it, uh, and Wesley goes, geez, I'd like to reverse engineer it before I try it. Uh, and Robin's like, that's a great idea. Like, let's do that. And Wesley goes, yeah, we could, like, look at it in the med lab or something uh, and test it out on a, you know, emulated human. And Robin goes, oh, yeah, we could try, we could use an optical sensor. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so then they go down to the med bay. They run all sorts of tests uh, in the frontal lobe a reticular formation, it's, it causes heavy synaptic activity, and they even speed up the processor to see how it would do over a prolonged like, uh, time. 
It simulates the septal area, which Wes looks like that's the pleasure center of the brain. That's what Wes the Crusher 4 does. Uh, and he goes, this must feel pretty good. And Robin's like, no wonder it's popular. But then Wes is like, look at the serotonin levels. Uh, let's do a chemical analysis. Uh, it's bonding to the neuroreceptors. This is like psychotropic. Robin's like, you think it's addictive? And Wesley's like, There's, it's affecting higher reasoning. I better tell the captain. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's psychotropic. Uh, so, uh, Wesley goes to the captain, he says, come. And uh, Wesley goes, sorry to bother. He goes, that's no bother, Wes. He goes, how's everything going? Wesley's like, well, that's not why I'm here. He sits down, his hands are clasped, and Picard's kind of playing dumb. He goes, have you seen this game? Picard's like, yeah. He goes, it's addictive. It might have some side effects. Uh, Picard goes, really? What have you discovered? And he goes, the serotonin, frontal lobes, you know, brain reasoning, the whole nine yards. And Picard says, well, I'll look into it immediately, Mr. Crusher. Glad to have you back again. And then Wesley walks out, and Picard turns around and puts on the uh, like a headset, and it's like, dun, 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 and it's like an extreme close-up. Uh, so, you know, that's like a very, and I got to tell you right now, I got to take a second. Uh, it really is is like straightforward as this game is, like to have this virtual reality. Like this, uh, the next couple of parts of the story, uh, they really had me the first and the second time because it was so spread, spread apart when I saw it, and my mind is so unretentive is that like at the all or all or nothing like everything is lost moments like oh no what are they going to do for cards into this game i i even the second time i said how are they going to possibly resolve this and so i think like the plotting this i really thought was impressive like really or the uh like that's one of my favorite things about game of thrones is the ability to uh what is that called when you look one way Misdirection was great, and misdirection was really quality on this episode. Of course, I mean, I guess I'm spoiling it by telling you, but you probably, you know, it's for your own good. You just get kicked back. Uh, so now we're at like 28 minutes in the episode. We see Epi- Enterprise. There's some cool star clusters. And then we have the game overlay, like the overlay of the game, like through our eyes. We're seeing it through first person. And then we realize it's so Chief O'Brien because he goes up to Robin, who is still on the date. So this is still, she says, hey, have you tried this? Robin's like, oh, yeah, it's so great. Uh, uh, but she's a little nervous. Uh, and then Wesley shows up. Uh, and Robin's like, man, no one will leave me alone about this game. And Wesley goes, I talked to the captain. He's looking into it. And she goes, well, I hope he makes an announcement because this is really strange. Everybody just keeps playing the game. And then the woman's like, where's your game? And Robin goes, in our quarters. And then she goes, well, use mine. And she goes, no, it's okay. And then she goes, try it. And the Wesley goes, she said, no, thank you. So then they leave. Uh, and then Wesley goes, you know what's strange is that uh, if this game's addictive, the only person that couldn't get addicted to it is a malfunctioning. And Robin's like, Data. And he goes, yeah, how could that possibly happen? We better go check data. And also I noticed that they were hand, they were holding hands at this moment, uh, uh, they could, that they're going on their investigation. I think it was like a short long sleeve was covering so their hands weren't actually touching. So they go to check on data, 
they map his neuros and his servos and they see the cuts to data. They're like, he's been lasered. His brain's been lasered. And Wesley goes, there's only two people on board that could do this. Commander LaForge and my mother. And then they do a lot of exposition, which was funny. But just in case uh, the episode was hard to follow, uh, they lay it all out. They go, well, maybe something is going on here more than we thought. So what if someone's using the game for a purpose other than pleasure? And then Robin says, then Data would have gotten in the way. And the only way to keep Data, if there was Data out of the way, can get us all addicted. And Wesley says, everyone but us. Uh, then we go to the bridge and... Uh, Worf's like, we're at the coordinates. There's a ship on its way, uh, Captain. And Picard is totally understood. He goes, advise them of our status, Mr. Worf, and go and replicate what you need and make sure the devices are distributed. And he goes, and don't forget Mr. Crusher, like all the grown-ups are there. And that was kind of uh, um, Twilight Zone too. There's a close-up of Picard uh, smiling and then Dr. Crusher... And Fado uh, Fado Tater, what does this mean? I don't know. Doctor Crusher and something look f- fake to Fader, fake to Fado Fader. Uh, but whatever. We go to uh, Crusher's quarters, and she's like looking for Wesley. And uh, I think she was with. Maybe she wasn't by herself. Maybe she had people with her. And she goes, Wesley, Wesley, where are you? Oh, maybe that was fake or fake. It's a fake out. I think I was trying to write something was about the fake outs. Yeah, because he goes, him and Robin are pretending to play the game together. Oh, yeah, Worf is with Dr. Crusher. So they're like looking like, uh, you know, they're playing the game in parallel and uh, having a moment. So Dr. Crusher is very happy that her son is under the spell of the game. And then Wesley and Robin are like, okay, well, that bought us some time. Uh, we can't trust anybody. And they go, we got to get back to work. So they think we're at work. And Wesley's like, okay, well, I have a plan. You know, start getting the access codes. Uh, I want to try something. And Robin says, don't forget Law 91. Watch your back. And Wesley says, you too. Uh, then we see a strange ship. And they say we're on the uh, bridge. And Worf says, vessel's coming. All the senior officers, are, Picard calls them to the bridge. And then who do we see on the screen but Riker's date from the planet, Atana. And it's like, uh, WTF, like, you got to be kidding me. And they say, don't worry, we're waiting for your instructions, boss. And she goes, okay, the expansion's going to proceed. Uh, Riker, you go to Kulian and meet Endeavor. LaForge and Troy, you're going to Starbase 67. And then Picard says, we even have a chance to bring it to the Starfleet Academy. And she goes, excellent, get to work. Uh, the Qatarians will commend your efforts and you'll be rewarded. Uh, yeah, then uh, then we have Wesley. Then there's ad break. Uh, oh, no, then, there's ad break. Then she lays out the expansion plans. Uh, uh, then Wesley's in the hall without fake a headset on, which everyone's wearing a headset. Then he goes on the turbo lift. Uh, and he's with a woman, like, who's playing the game and having her moments. So it's like awkward city. And she goes, what level are you on? And Wesley goes, only level 10. She goes, I'm at 47. And Wesley goes, that's great. And she goes, you know what the secret is? Don't force it. If you let it happen, it just plays itself. 
And Wes is like, I'll try that. Uh, uh, then he sees Robin, he says, uh, in engineering, he goes, hey, can you help me override something? But she's in a trance. So this was, again, like uh, the, the, with Picard and then Robin, where the misdirection really had me. I said, okay, they, they, I don't think she's faking it. I think she's really uh, been taken under the spell of the game. Uh, so she goes, Robin says, Wesley, it's your turn to play the game. And then Riker and Worf come out, and Wesley runs. He has to jump over, he has to fake them out, jump over a console. Uh, then there's a little action because they try to contain Wesley, and Wesley uses Crusher 1, the transport program he programmed, to get away. And all the grown-ups are after him. And then Wesley's almost stuck, but then he comes up with this phaser fake-out, which I was like, they let kids have phasers on uh, the start of the Enterprise? Uh, there's these two... Uh, worthless uh like uh inspe- dudes inspecting stuff on deck six where wesley's hiding rando security guards i put uh and jordy is on it so what does that mean oh the, the rando security guards are on it's uh and riker and Worf are frustrated because riker's like where the how the hell did we lose him and Worf goes what about the thermals and they kind of track wesley down and then Wesley goes into like the, the, what do you call it? The service corridor, you know, wherever you crawl through the uh, service corridors or whatever they're called, the conduits, I think. Uh, but then Riker and Worf catch him. And then I said, all is lost. Both times I said, how are they get-? again? I said, all is lost. There's no way out. And then they're on the bridge and Crush is like, don't worry, Wesley. We're just going to, um, and then Picard says, you give us quite a trace, a chase, Mr. Crusher. And then he goes, Dr. Crusher, uh, wait, let me just check uh, my notes though before the almost stuck, phaser fake out, rando security guards. Uh, also, Wesley dropped onto the screen like MacGyver one time when he was in the conduits. Uh, there was action music, uh, good action music. Uh, yeah, then he gets busted, and, and then they say, submit to the game, and they sit him down. And they put the Google Glass thing on him. And they go, don't worry, Wesley, you're going to love it. This game is great. Uh, just let go, let it go, Dr. Crusher says. Uh, just relax and play the game. And then I guess this was Deus, like, like Machina, Machina or something. But really it wasn't because actually right when they, uh, yeah, so they're making Wesley submit. And then the power goes out, and then Data rolls in with a strobe light, which is really unexpected to me. And he's strobe lighting everyone's eyes, and then Picard looks hungover. And then Data starts giving out orders after he strobe lights everybody, and they start to come to. Uh, Data says, you know, put the lights on. He goes, Worf, there's a ship off the starboard bow. Secure with the tractor beam. Raise our shields. And then he goes, Captain, are you all right? And Ricard says, I think so. And then Worf says, the vessel's calling. And it's a ton. And she goes, what in the heck's going on over there? And Picard goes, it's simple. You, your attempt to capture our ship has failed. And she goes, release this immediately. Or, you know, it's a battle. And then Riker, I mean, Riker had to be a little bit uh, embarrassed, you know. I don't know if he told everybody uh just spent a weekend with just uh, 
uh, you know, as played. Isn't this how uh, the whole thing with uh, the whole Battlestar Galactica unfolds in the uh, pilot episode? I think it's the same way. Uh, but what uh, Riker's been, but whatever Riker's doesn't, you know, he's still busy. He goes, uh, he goes, uh, tactical analysis, and Worf's like, this is not a, this is not something we need to worry about. And uh, Riker goes, get her off the screen. And Jordy, and then Jordy's like, I can't believe what we're doing. And we deactivated you, Data. And Wesley goes, like, well, reconnected his positronicus matrix. And then I said, okay, well, at some point off screen this happened, but it was at a sensible point. So it still felt like uh, it wasn't Deus Machina, really. It was just an unseen part of the plan uh, that Wesley and Robin, which makes Wesley and Robin's plan even better because Robin, I think, actually had to get hypnotized. Uh, but let's see. So then they say, Data said, yeah, Wesley's diversions gave me time to modify the beacon, and I figured out the optical burst patterns, counteracted the game, and we programmed it into all the monitors, so all the work, everybody should be fine. And the record goes, okay, send out a medical team to make sure everybody's okay, and then we'll take this ship in. You know, Preckhardt says, let's put these people under arrest. And then we got to get Wesley back to the, uh, oh, no, then the captain's log comes on. Let me just check. Submit to the game. It's open. Yeah, tactical analysis, no threat. Get her off the screen. Jordy feels guilty. Plans revealed. Yeah, then there's captain's log. We delivered the Qatarian vessel to Starbase 82. Now we're going to the Merrimack where Wesley will go back to the Academy. And then Robin and Wesley are, like, flirting in his bedroom. She says, she's I never saw your birthmark. Uh, Wesley goes, how did someone talk about my birthmark? And then they do a First, he hugs her from behind, like a very cute uh, hug. Then they do, like, a double or triple kiss, uh, and then another hug. Like, kind of teen, teen like, a, a parent's dream of teen romance, I'm sure. And she goes, she said, I wish you didn't have to go. Wesley goes, me too. And she goes, you're right. And Wesley goes, well, we'll see. I got to kill these rumors you're going to be hearing about my wild style. And then Riker goes, hey, we're here. You got to get down here. He goes, okay, I got to go. And then Robin gives him a Robin Leffler day, like uh, saying of the day calendar, which I don't know when she whipped it up, but she had all 102 laws, like in a, like kind of a, like a binder. But it looked like a rule of the day calendar. And Wesley goes, what about law 103? She goes, what's that? And he goes, a couple of light years can't keep good friends apart. And then there's like a close-up of him, uh, of her watching him go off, like walk away. So I said, is that going to be, she is in another episode, but just like for a few seconds, I think, uh, but yeah, that's it. It comes to a close, and uh, all's well on the Enterprise. As you know, that's how we like it, or that's how I like it normally. Right, good night. I want to say thanks and good night to Kenneth, uh, Rachel, and Michelle supporting the show on Patreon. Uh, thanks and good night to Debbie, to Leah, and Yolana. Uh, thank you and good night. Uh, thanks and good night to Val, to Alec, and to Sue. Thank you and good night. Christopher P., 
Matthew H. and Nicole W. Thank you and good night. Uh, thanks, good night to Christopher P., Matthew H., and Nicole W. Uh, thanks and good night to Jamie, Lydia, and Mike. Uh, thank you and good night. Thanks and good night to Mike Y., Carrie with a K, and Anthony. Uh, thank you and night to, good night to Liz K., to Susan L., and to Lindsay D. Thank you and good night to Michael I., Sarah B., and Ariane. Thanks and good night to Silky. To Christine and to Christopher T. Uh, thank you and good night to Mary P. Uh, Diane B. and Fatima. Thank you and good night to Liv, uh, to Travis and to Ryan. Uh, thanks and good night to Melissa, to Ruby and Zena. Uh, big thanks and good night to uh, uh, Adriana, to Mike and to Anthony. Thank you and good night to Savannah, to Quentin, and to Jay. Uh, thanks and good night to Elizabeth and Blair and Chelsea. Uh, thank you and good night to Alice, uh, James, and Megan. Thanks and good night. Thanks and good night to Lisa, to Jody, and Leah. Uh, thank you and good night to Christy, to Katie, and to Mariah. Uh, thanks and good night to Dan, to Abigail, and to Bob. Uh, thank you and good night to Bob. Bob. <laughs> uh, thank you and good night to Aaron, uh, to Jess, and to Kelly. Uh, thanks and good night to Michelle, to Lachlan, and Susanna. Uh, thanks and good night to Joaquim, uh, Olivia, and Nalia. Uh, thanks and good night. Uh, thanks and good night to Sabrina, to Zwan, and to Carrie. Uh, thanks and good night to Kate, uh, to Olivia, and to Nancy. Uh, thank you and good night to Pete, uh, to Julie, and to Sarah. Uh, thank you and good night to Julie, uh, to Brian. Thanks and good night to Bara, and to Michael. Uh, thanks to everybody that's supporting the show on Patreon. Uh, over on PayPal, I want to thank Karen and uh, Shnika. Thanks and goodnight to Caleb and Walter. Thanks and goodnight to Brandon and Diane. Uh, thank you and goodnight to Kelly and to Craig. Uh, thank you and goodnight to David and Priscilla. Thanks and goodnight to Elizabeth and Julie. Thank you and good night to Andrea and Nancy. Thanks and good night to Kara and Catherine. And uh, over on Venmo, I want to say thanks and good night to Maddie. Thanks and good night to Melissa uh, R and Melissa. Thanks and good night to Melissa H to J and Rania. Thanks and good night. And Allie, thanks and good night. Thanks everybody who supports the show. Really mean thanks. Thanks. I couldn't. These thanks are for you because the whole episode's because of you. So good night and thanks. All right. So we're talking uh, Deja, Deja Q. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, Sleep with CNG. And it looks like this episode came out February 5th, uh, 1990. So that's wow. Uh, Mind blowing. 
And it's episode three or season three, episode thirteen. I, I need I had I get I had a Q I needed a Q fix, even though the last episode with Q uh it didn't like it like it we skipped one episode I guess. Uh but I said, geez, I, like I need a little Q. I, I need a little Q in my life. Uh, I miss the Q. And so loaded up now. Those of you that listen pretty regularly, you're probably going to want to know about my setup is a little different tonight, but not that different. I uh, I think my iPhone 4S is toast at the last update. I, like I, I have yet to, I got to find a, like an old one of those old cords so I can plug it into my computer. Because uh, it'd be great if it could just use it as a security camera if it's not totally toast. But I do, so I don't think I'll be using that anymore. But I talk about a com- electronics bargain. No, it was four years ago, maybe even five years ago. I bought one of these Amazon Fire tablets uh, for my daughter, uh, a real small one. I think I paid somewhere around, uh, somewhere between fifty and seventy dollars for it. And it still might be one of the best. Uh, I don't think I, I've definitely gotten like like so much value out of this thing, and now I'm getting more value using it for the podcast tonight. Uh, so let's talk about Deja Q. It starts with the captain's log, a blue planet, an asteroid-like moon. Yeah, there's these people they're dealing with that they're trying to help uh, the Enterprise. They're cargo pants, parka people. I called them the parka people because they wear parkas and cargo pants. And uh, they say, dude, like their moon is uh, trajectory is deteriorating. This is Brial 4, the planet. And the the atmosphere is going to take the moon, you know, it's going to take their moon down. And they say, geez, like uh, it's going to mess our planet up. It's not going to be good. You know, so the Enterprise is trying to fix it. They got 29 hours probably. And I uh, don't know. And then, so then Picard's in problem-solving mode. He says, well, geez, what could we get to, what could we do? And, you know, to put the moon, put their moon back where it belongs. Uh, and Jordy says, oh, I don't think the tractor beam could do it. Uh, you know, we, we'd need more power, like an ant pushing a tricycle. Uh, slim chance at best. And Riker says, given a chance between slim and none, I'll take slim any day. And uh, Jordy says, uh, I thought there was one other good line in here. Because uh, I thought they said, well, uh, given the choice, which Riker stood when he said that. Uh, they said the mass of the moon would remain the same even if they blew it up. I think that was another question. And I said, "Holy Einstein!" Data said that uh, that was. I would have never thought of that, but it's right. The mass of the moon would be the same. Maybe I, I mean I don't know if that's true, but intact or unintact. But they say you know make it so. Let's try to move this thing, and they try to call other ships in. And Picard says to Park people, "We'll work on it." And then they try pushing it with a tractor beam, but they say she's just not going too good. Uh, then they get this loud, all of a sudden, as they're working, this loud tinny music starts up, uh, very high-pitched and getting louder and louder. And then we see Q floating in the nude on his side, almost like a model for, like, an oil painting. He's, like, lying there with his, like, 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 the camera's cloaking his parts. Right, that became an issue later in the episode. We'll, we'll talk about that. But uh, 
I said, who, which, uh, what, what is this? I can't think. I don't know if this was one of the Dutch masters that might have been painting him, but uh, he falls and he falls and he's got this big grin on. And uh, what does this say? Red, red, uh, oh, Q has a big grin. He says, red alert. Uh, and then there's music. I wondered if the music that I was playing was the Q theme, but I don't know if it was. Then the, the episode opens. Then there's captains like, GC, we're, we're trying to figure out this moon, and then Q showed up, so we figure Q's the, the cause of it. And then this is, this say, Jordy's uh, kissing butt. Uh, oh, yeah, because he goes, Picard goes, Jordy, what's up? Jordy goes, geez, we've done everything by the book and a little extra. We just need either more time or more power, but we're short on both. Uh, I'll look and see if there are any rules I haven't broken. I thought that was a little bit extra butt kissing. Uh, we've done everything by the book and a little extra. Then Q is there. His arms are crossed. He's pouting like a child. Uh, he's got, like, because he's got this jumpsuit on, which, uh, it doesn't hide everything. My daughter, unfortunately, was watching it, and she, the first thing she said is, she said, Dad, I could see his, uh, and I said, she said the, she said the, the, the anatomy word for it. And I said, ah, I can't hear this. Like, uh, and I said, I said, well, I'm not, what do you say to that? He said, Jesus, like, you just, I don't know. You could, could kind of see his uh, thing through his clothes. Uh, and I said, just so, she said, just don't look there, honey. I, I said, thanks. I said, cues even up to tricks in my life. Uh, trickster God, my, my, uh. But yeah, I was blushing. I'm blushing now a little bit. Uh, but Q, Q, Q doesn't like this episode. And Riker's like, Q, we know this is your thing. He goes, "What?" Do you, he goes, I don't like this outfit. And he goes, what are you blathering about, Riker? And they say, why don't you leave these Parker people alone? They're just trying to wear their part. You know, they're, they they have like a branding opportunity with one of these uh, outerwear clothing companies or something. And, you know, why you got to leave? Can't you leave them alone? And kudos, I don't know what you're talking about. I got kicked out of the continuum. I'm being punished. And Picard goes, so it sounds like punishment for me. And Q said, they said I spread chaos throughout the universe. They took away my powers. And he goes, do you, you don't believe me? Do you think I'd put myself in a human body? And Riker goes, yeah, yeah, if, if you wanted to. And then Q says, I stand before you defrocked, condemned to be a member of the lowest uh, species, a normal human being. Uh, hands on the Q stands, crews, a lot of the crew have their hands on their hips. Uh, uh, what are you blathering? Why? Oh, and then at some point, he cut, when he says human being, though, it cuts to Troy, which I thought was strange. Because she's not human. I think, is she half human or all? Is she half human, half betazoid, right? I don't know who I'm asking. But they, they said, geez, oh, she, Troy goes, you became human as your punishment? He goes, well, no, I chose to be a human. I could have been a sea a lizard or a belzoidian flea, anything mortal. But I only had a second to pick. And she goes, Why? Uh, and he goes, Yeah, I picked here. And he goes, Well, because John Luke's my only friend. And then Data's scanning him. He goes, sure, he's reading, he's fully human. And Q goes, is there an echo in here? Ricard is his hands, this is 615. When he says, you're my only friend, Ricard's got his hands in his head. There's his head in his hands. 
And then Croy says, well, what do you want? And he goes, how about some compassion? And then they just get off the look. He goes, well, how about sanctuary? And Ricard goes, well, we're trying to deal with this moon. How about you do that? And Q's like, I got no power. And Q, Q the ordinary. And go, Ricard says, Q the liar. Q the misanthrope. And then Q says, Q the miserable. Q the desperate. What I, how can I convince you? And what Worf says, ice cold, he goes, uh, die. He goes, die. What do I do to convince you, die? And Riker laughs at this. Uh, and Q says, very clever. Have you eaten any good books lately, Worf? And Ricard goes, you want to be treated human? Uh, get in the brig. And come on, you know, Q doesn't like that. And he goes, Worf could carry you. And he goes, no, no, I'll walk. Uh, he goes, I'm claustrophobic. Uh, and then they get in the lift, and uh, oh, also, uh, Worf, went, Worf was so delighted that he had to escort him out. He, he he pulled down his jacket, and I didn't know if that was like an inside joke or if this was a necessary thing with all the jacket pulling down. I know I read something about it when I was reading about Picard's uniform, but like I've seen Wesley, Reich, I've seen everyone doing that, pull their uniform down. So I don't know if their uniforms bunch up or what. Uh, but then we see Worf and Q are walking down the hall, bored life. So we see Q has some, uh, British boots. Oh, we see like a full, a full shot. We see the brownish boots of Q. Then they're on the left. Q's arms are crossed. He's talking to himself about humanity. Uh, Jesus, like, uh, like, I can't believe I have to wear clothes because of human morality. Because it could be too hot or too cold. I'm going to get old, lose my hair, get sick, get tickled, have an inch, a pimple, pad, breath, bathe. Worf says, too bad. Uh, then they're in the hall, and Q tries to kiss up to, he says, what if I, I should have been a Klingon, huh? Yeah, he goes, I can't stay. He goes, you can't put me in the brig. I don't, he goes, he goes I'm used to traveling the world, uh. He goes, since we're both Klingons, could you talk? And then Worf says, be quiet, uh, or go back where you came from. And then Q does it. He goes, I can't just disappear, just like you can't win a beauty contest. But the be quiet was very loud. Uh, then Picard and Riker are having a meeting. They're kind of trying to figure out what's up with the moon and how to proceed and what to do about Q. Oh, also, Worf locked Q in the break, but that was an MM. So then Riker said, well, maybe, you know, Q's just testing us and he'll save the moon at the last minute. Uh, Riker said, this just could be a coincidence. And Riker says, you really believe Q? And Picard says, well, it's highly unlikely, but I think we should proceed that Q is telling the truth, that this powerless. Uh, and Riker says, great, uh, and then they call the thing and they say, Jesus, now looking great, but we'll try to do something to the park of people. Uh, they say, Jesus, Jordy's not uh, that. And then, like, there's a flash on the ship and then uh, they get Berthold rays or something. The ship's getting scanned uh, or probed or something. And then, the, like, some probe, circular globe goes around uh, um, Q's room. Also, uh, Q, this is way back in the hall. Q, Q, when uh, Worf lost his patience, Q also touched Q, uh, Worf's shoulder. I forgot that for some reason. Also, I like how, like, Picard always says, well, geez, let's proceed as if he is telling the truth. Uh, 
like, let's try to move forward with the information we have. Uh, I thought that was great advice. Uh, uh, then Parkard goes and visits Q, and, uh, like, uh, Q's sleeping, and, you know, first Q's playing around. Oh, you're going to let me out now? And, you know, I mean, you know, got me locked up. I never saw the break before either, so that was a little bit interesting. And Ricard's like, I just, I don't even, I need to know what's going on. We got this moon, and uh, then we just got probed by some Berthold radiation. And Q goes, I have my own thing. I fell asleep. Uh, he goes, I'm weak. Uh, and he goes, how do you deal with this? And Picard goes, you'll get used to it. And then Q says, what other dangers await me? I'm, I'm not prepared for this. I need guidance. And Picard goes, Q, I'm not going to play along with you. Uh, if you want to keep playing games, do it alone. And he goes, so leave. And Q goes, wait, wait, wait. He goes, uh, he goes, I know a lot of moons, big ones, little ones. I'm an expert. Uh, I could help you with the moon. Uh, also, I liked how at some point uh, when he was getting on, uh, uh, like, uh, Picard says, enough, he raises his hand up at uh, Q. Uh, that's when Q says, geez, I wasn't aware that the moon was in trouble and he got probed. He took kind of more serious uh, look. Uh, this is getting on my nerves. Now that I have uh, now that I have them, that's another good line. Uh, I've known moons. Then Picard kind of takes leave. He says, all right, I'll trust you. You go with data. And he goes, Data's in charge of you. You go down and work with Jordy. Then Picard takes off. Q's like, can I get a uniform? And Data's just kind of staring at him. He goes, what are you looking at? He goes, well, I'm trying to figure out if you're telling the truth, uh, that you're human. And Q goes, it's awful. Now I can stub my toe. And Data says, it's an irony. You achieved in disgrace what I've always aspired to be. And then Q's kind of still, he goes, humans are such a such commonplace. They just run run around. They don't know what they're looking for. And Data says, the human race has an enduring, talk about, this is some human jingoism, but I guess, you know, Data uh, like loves humans. Says, yeah, the human has an enduring desire for knowledge and opportunities to improve itself. Uh, and Q goes, oh, yeah, you could improve yourself. Uh, you're a minor species anyway, humans are. Not worth your envy. And Data goes, oh, I'm not envious. Uh, and Q goes, he doesn't, he says, I don't feel envy. I don't feel anything at all. That's my dilemma. I have the curiosity of humans, and there are questions I won't have the answers to. Uh, I won't laugh or cry or experience any human emotions. And then Q says, Jesus, like, uh, they're, they're not what they're cracked up to be. Uh, then they go down to engineering. Jordy's really excited and intense about getting this solved. Ten hours till they get the moons in pedigree or perigee. And they're trying to show Q uh, what's going on. They say, geez, we got one problem. You know, we're going to be too close to the atmosphere. And uh, Q says, this is incredible. It looks like he's looking at the screen. And they say, what do you see on the screen? He goes, no, no, my back. My back hurts. Uh, he goes, what's the right thing to say? Ow. And he says, I can't. And so then they call, he says, I can't stand back up. So they call Dr. Crusher. And Jordy's like, I got bigger problems. We got to park a planet with people in trouble, like millions of people. And Q says, yeah, well, your plan's not going to work. Uh, he goes, you, you need to look at the cause and not the symptom. And Jordy says, yeah, we don't know what it is. Uh, 
And Q says it's obvious, a large object like a black hole passed by at a right angle. And Data says, well, what do we do? And he says, change the gravitational constant of the universe. And then you'll change the mass of the android. And Jordy says, we can't redefine gravity, bro. And Data says, yeah, we can't just do that. It's beyond our capabilities. And then Q goes, oh, huh, well, never mind then. Then Dr. Crusher shows up. Uh, and Q, see, he goes, oh, hey, Dr. Crusher, you're still working with these humans, which made me think that they know each other from pre-Enterprise days. Uh, she comes in. He says, they see Starfleet shipped you back into exile. And then she goes, well, I wouldn't believe it unless I saw it with my own eyes. You got uh, muscle spasms. So she gives him, like, a back rub with some sort of device. Uh, and Jordy's kind of taken and tweaked Q's idea, meanwhile. Meanwhile, Q's like, I got some pains in my stomach. And Crusher's like, those are hunger pains. And then Q and Data go to uh, 10 forward or whatever. They sit at the bar. And Data, Q says, well, geez, I got to eat something. Uh, what do I do? And Data says, well, people choose what they want to eat by the, what they like. And and Q says, what do you like? And Data goes, well, I don't require sustenance. I occasionally ingest a semi-organic nutrient suspension and silicon-based liquid medium. And Q goes, is it good? He goes, it is more accurate to say it is good for me as it lubricates my biofunctions. And Q goes, pass. And then he says, well, what do you go to? So what should I eat, Data? And Data says, well, it depends on your mood. And he goes, I'm in a bad mood. Give me something appropriate. And Data says, well, when Counselor Troy's not happy, she eats chocolate uh, Sunday, maybe. So Q goes, give me 10 Sundays. My my daughter thought that was hilarious. So did I. And the waitress says, 10. And Data says, I've never seen anyone eat 10 chocolate Sundays. And Q goes, well, I'm in a really bad mood. And since I've never eaten before, I'm probably hungry. And so that's funny. Then Guinan rolls in. There's dramatic music. And she's got her hands on her hips. And uh, uh, they, you can tell they don't like each other. She goes, they finally kicked you out. Uh, and he goes, no, it's a career change. And she goes, uh, no, you just one of the crew now. And he goes, one of the crew with the IQ of 2005. And Data goes, we don't know if he's lying or not. And Guinan pokes him. So then he says, ouch. Uh, and she goes, seems human enough to me. And then Q goes, I, you know, I don't know why she gets to be a member of the crew and I don't. Uh, she's no good. And Guinan goes, yeah, it must not be great for you. Totally defenseless all these after all these years of being uh, omn- omnipotent. Uh, and Q goes, I have friends in high places. And Guinan goes, you went around bullying people and teasing people and uh, enjoying that. Uh, and then Q goes, well, maybe I'll do some missionary work. And Data thought he's serious. He goes, that's noble. Guinan says, maybe you could learn from Data. And he goes, the robot who teaches humanities. And Data says, dude, I'm an android, not a robot. And Q says, I beg your pardon. And then she goes, get used to it, you know, apologizing. She goes, the only way you're going to make it is through the charity of others uh, to Q. And then Q says, I'm not hungry. Uh, then the, on the on the uh, bridge, there's like this weird plasma cloud outside. Uh, Q doesn't eat his Sundays. He says, did I say that already? He says, I'm not hungry. And they see this cloud, they say, geez, it's a life form, uh, and it's probing the ship. It's the one with the tachyons. It's sending a signal, but we can't understand it, but it's definitely intelligent life. Uh, 
and uh, let's talk by oh yeah there's like kind of 8-bit sound effects uh, kind of everyone's watching as it goes around the ship uh, Guinan knows who it is she says the Mitochlorians or something uh, I get their name written somewhere but uh, they send in a globe after Q and Data tries to board help him because it tries to float Q away and Jordy tries some harmonics or something. Oh no, that like that time it doesn't float Q away. I don't think. Uh, and Q says, "Oh, help me!" And then he falls down. And then Guyna stands over from, "Oh, how the mighty have fallen!" So then we have Captain's log. Uh, we're having a face-off with the crowd. Uh, you know this uh, Callum Moraine. And they probably have a grievance with Q. No doubt many life forms do. And Q goes, yeah, these, he, there's a close-up of Q tapping his fingers, and they're having a meeting, like, in the staff room. I liked the close-up of the fingers. And uh, he says, yeah, these are, like, ion creatures, and they don't have any sense of humor. And Ricard goes, why are they mad at you? And he goes, there's nothing. And then Riker goes, did you bully them? And Q goes, that's subjective. One torment is another's delight. Uh, he goes, you don't have, you go, he goes, uh, Riker, you have a, a character flaw, a low self humor or something. Riker goes, let's turn him over. And then Q goes, oh yeah, maybe you do have a sense of humor. It's dreadful. And Riker goes, no, I'm serious. Uh, and Picard goes, you came here because you knew people were going to be after you. You came here for protection. And Riker's got his hands behind his back. He's kind of standing over and behind Q. And Picard says, you got all these enemies, and you bring them all here. You say you're a friend, but that's you're really here uh, to use us. And Q goes, well, I know human beings. He goes, yo, I got all that compassion and forgiveness. Uh, can't wait to absolve any offense. It's a weakness. Picard goes, it's a strength. And he goes, Q goes, whatever, uh. But I think you'll protect me. And Riker goes, that sounds like a full-time job, not the one I signed up for. And Picard goes, yeah, yeah, I don't want to deal with this. Uh, we're going to drop you off at the first star base, and they can deal with it. And Q goes, well, I, I'm a valuable member of the team. And Data goes, well, he did have some ideas. Uh, and I don't think Troy liked that. She goes, uh, are, what, are you advocating for Q, Data? And he goes, no, no, I'm stating a fact, Counselor. And they call down to Jordy, and Jordy needs some help. So they say, well, we could get down there and help Jordy, I guess. Also, they did a shot of Troy when they when he says human compassion, because she's like the compassion, face of compassion. And when Riker said full-time job, Q really grimaced on that one. So Q wants to be on the team. Like I said, Data has his back. Uh, so Q and Data go on the case. They're in the hall. Q goes, well, they think I can't cut it. I'll show them. And Data goes, well, I don't think it's your skills in doubt, uh, Q. It's more your ability to interact. Uh, Data could have been saying this to me uh, with the minions, as you call them. And uh, he goes, human interpersonal relationships are complex. complex." And Q goes, I'm not interested in human interpersonal relationships. I just want to be indispensable. And then on the turbo lift, Data says, well, to be in a starship or any human activity, you must form relationships. Uh, and Q, just like I said, it's so hard. 
And more important is your ability to work with groups and cue much like me. I'm not good in groups. Uh, it's difficult working in a group when you're omnipotent. So very uh, ego-based, uh, uh, like stark uh, examples of our some of our negative egos and positive egos. Um, let's see, very ego representative. Uh, me, I don't know what Q says. Me, double question mark. Uh, let's see. The Picard's on the phone with the uh, Parker people, and they're kind of putting. They see Picard, you're our only hope. You got to get on this. Uh, and they say, well, you know, no pressure. If you can't save us, you can't save us. Whatever results are, we know you tried. And they see the Cal Moraine are waiting. So they say, geez, we got to lower our shields to complete the plan. And then they roll into engineering and Q's like clapping his hands like he's the leader. He's like, all right, everyone gather around uh, like the delusional coach. And Jordy goes, everybody knows what they're doing already, Q, except for you. And here's what I need. And Q's still resisting. He says, Jordy, I'm way smarter than you, like a billion times, so just get out of the way. And he goes, I just need you to control the field integrity. And Q goes, that would be a waste of my talent. You know, we've all worked in this situation before. And Jordy says, Q, get to work or get out of here. Uh, uh, Data, I need you with me. And Q goes, you know, Q's sulking. Who does he think he is? And Data goes, uh, Jordy's in charge. Uh, he's correct. Uh, so then they start moving the uh, thing, and it's going good, and uh, they're engaging the tractor beam, Q sulking, uh, but then they kind of run into something, and Q goes, well, uh, there's a, uh, he goes, there's two inertial densities, uh, you got to figure out that the moon has two different densities, uh, and Jordy goes, oh, okay, I can probably adjust this, and Q says, doubtful. And Jordy goes, you don't know what this ship can do, mister. And Jordy goes, I believe it'll work. Uh, let's let's do it. And Q goes, Q's kind of like, well, it might not work, Jordy. And he crosses his arms. Jordy goes, shut up, Q. And Q goes, I won't be spoken to. You know, they go back and forth. Uh, but then it starts working, and uh, they're moving the moon. They get to move like 3%, and then the Cal Moraine come after them. And then they get knocked into the atmosphere. Uh, let's see. Yeah, there's good close-ups on Q during this. Teamwork with the bridge is very good while Q's sulking. Uh, Q's acting like a baby. So, yeah, the Cal Marine mess with them. They overpower the shields. Uh, and then they send in a globe to get Q, like a floating orb. And they try to lift him up, but Data Lake holds on to one of his legs uh, to rescue him. He holds him in place uh, as he's being pulled away. Uh, but then they fix the shields, and uh, Data and Q are both out of it a little bit. And then there's an ad. Uh, then we go back to the sick bay and, or med bay. Jordy and Riker are there. They're trying to reset Data. They're like, we got to do a reset, you know, reboot, reboot him. And Q's trying to be downplay everything. He goes, oh, let's just, let's not overstate it here. He goes, I'm, I'm fine. And he goes, you're not excited that I'm fine. And Ricard says, you've exceeded your own standards of self-preoccupation. You're not worried about data who saved your butts. And Q goes, he'll be fine. And then Crusher goes, everybody get out of here. Um, 
And I say, okay, well, we got to get back to work on this moon, I guess, even Jordy. Uh, and they say, well, as soon as we go to work on it, they're going to come after Q. And Jordy says, Commander, he's not worth it. Then Q goes into Picard's office. He's, Picard's drinking some Earl Grey, and uh, Q sits at his desk. He's been thinking about more mortality. And he goes, you're right. He actually apologizes. He goes, I'm, I was selfish. He goes, it just that's how I'm used to doing things. And Picard goes, well, it doesn't work here. And uh, he goes, don't be so hard on me. He goes, you've been mortal your whole life. Uh, you know all about it. He goes, I'm just getting used to it. Uh, he goes, if it wasn't for data, I would have been out. He goes, I'd have been mortality over. And he goes, no one would have missed me. No more me. And he goes, why was data trying to help me? And Ricard goes, that's his special nature. He's learned the lessons of humanity well. And Ricard goes, well, when I asked myself, I, would, I mean, when Q says, I would, I, would I have done the same thing? He goes, uh, yeah, he goes, I don't think I would have. Uh, and Ricard's and I have, he goes, I'm not your father confessor. You're going to get no absolution from me. You've done nothing but mess with me and my crew. And I'm still thinking this is some puerile joke of yours. And Q goes, it's no joke. It's a joke on me, the joke of the universe. The king who would be a man... And as I learn what it is to be human, I'm more and more convinced I'm not a good one. I don't want to have what it takes. Without my powers, I'm frightened of everything. I'm a coward, I'm miserable, and I can't go on. Uh, also, puerile, uh, which I didn't realize is P-U-E-R, is a silly, childish, or uh, juvenile. I don't know what P-U-E-R is. Is something in Latin or Spanish? I can't remember uh which one? But so that was interesting. Uh, let's see. So, I mean, just interesting word, puerile. Um, so he go. oh, let's see. I'm a coward. I'm miserable. I can't go on this way. He storms out and Picard just takes a long sip of tea. And then Q marches into the med bay as data's getting scanned. And they say, well, geez, data can't talk. His language circuits are still reboating. And Q, like, leans right down to Data, uh, and he almost whispers to him. He's, like, bowing, uh, talking right to Data. He says, uh, uh, there's creatures in the universe who would be, like, love to be an android. No feelings, no emotion, no pain, and yet you covet the human humanity because you're missing nothing. But if it means anything, you're a better human than me. Uh, then Q goes and gets on a shuttle, Oh, wait, when he says that when he leaves, Data turns around and looks right at Geordi and Crusher. Uh, so Q goes and gets a shuttle. Worf says, hey, Picard, somebody's got a shuttle. They call. Q's on the shuttle. He said, hey, I'm going to go to the Cal Moraine and give myself up to them. Uh, don't fall. He goes, uh, they won't, it'll be easier. They won't bother you. And even Riker says, get ready with the shields. Uh, clouds are moving towards it. Uh, and Q says, don't fall in the cliche of uh, saving me in the nick of time. I don't want to be rescued. Uh, I've been a failure as a human. He goes, maybe this will give me a little dignity saving all of you. And Picard goes, there's no dignity in this. Uh, yeah, this is kind of the easy way out. Uh, you know, self-sacrifice. Uh, but Q kind of says this piece. Uh, he goes, otherwise it would have been, you know, he goes... Uh, he goes, okay, well, then I'm a coward, uh, so be it. He goes, I would have been bored as a human anyway. 
And then Picard says, well, we got to save Q. Uh, so then they try everything to save it, but it's all being blocked. Uh, they can't figure out. No tractor beam, you know, no, uh, nothing's working. None, none of the mechanisms. No tractor beam, none of the transporters, nothing. Even when, you know, the, Q, the crew is like rolling their eyes during Q's speech, including Riker. And right before they save him, kind of Q and Riker share a look of like, I don't know if it's bemusement or what, uh, like right before they save him. Uh, then there's an ad break, and after the ad break, uh, the cloud's about to catch him, but then, uh, oh, Riker also says, what the hell, when they can't get anything working. Earlier, uh, Picard had said, what the devil, I think. Uh, so get our what the hell out of Riker. Oh, and then this, so Q's on the shuttle, then another Q comes, and he says, not bad, Q. And then he says, hey, Q, not bad, not, no, he goes, not bad, Q, not great, but not bad. And this Q has never been human, so he's like, like what's he's dressed as he's dressed as a human. I think it was the dude from L.A. Law. I'll look it up in a second. And he says, "You're what are you doing?" The other Q, our, our Q says, "Q," and he says, "What are you doing? You're, you're being selfless for these humans." And he says, "Nah, no, nah, he's just trying to get it. You stop being human because it kind of stinks. Uh, not that great." Yeah, so this is Corbin Burnson. He's another L.A. He was on L.A. Law. I guess a show I've never se- seen before. A very famous actor. Uh, uh, very beloved. Uh, like Heartthrob, I think, uh, in the 80s. Uh, I mean, probably still Heartthrob. I mean, that's taking away his heartthrobbiness. But uh, he does really good here. Very, uh, very funny. Um, but he says, hey, he says, oh, he goes, uh, this is dreadful, these outfits. And he goes, well, what are you doing here? He goes, I've been keeping an eye on you. And RQ says, I always thought you were on my side. He goes, no, no, I was the one who told on you and had you kicked out. He goes, because you're incorrigible. This is, I wonder if people who watch Star Trek do better on the SAT. I would bet they do. He goes, lost cause. He goes, every solar system, I have to apologize for you. And he goes, I didn't misplace an asteroid belt. Uh, and there's a lot of physical humor with uh, Q, this other Q getting used to his hands. And he goes, hey, this isn't about me. It's about you. I got other stuff I got to do, but I was keeping an eye on you to see if you're going to cause trouble, even as a human. And Q, our Q says, hey, yeah, I'm sorry. I hope I was entertaining you. And Corbin Burnson Q says, oh, geez, I think uh, these humans are interesting. He goes, I, I understand why you keep checking them out. Uh, they're still trying to protect you. They tried to beam you back or up or whatever they call it. And Q's like, really? And he goes, yeah, but I stopped them. And Q goes, fine, when the Calamarine are done, you can take off. And Corbin Burns and Q says, well, there's the problem. You, 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 you did a selfless act, so we got to kind of let you back in. And RQ says, I've learned my lesson. And uh, Corbin Burns and Q says, remember, all-knowing, all-seeing. He goes, uh, but he's fine. Here's your powers back. Uh, now try to stay out of trouble. And now Q is, like, so pleased with himself. His face is, like, uh, orgasmically ecstatic, uh, is that like 39 minutes, 3930? Uh, really, really, uh, what does this say? Q snaps into four pip, uh, unfamiliar then snaps, uh, I don't know what that means. 
Oh, no. As soon as the other cube leaves, he snaps. He uses powers to put into a four pip. Like, so I think that's uh, whatever Jean-Luc is, four pips on his neck. Uh, a uniform, like a commander. Commander Jean-Luc Picard, right? Uh, then he snaps the Calamarain cloud into his hand, shrunk down, and he says, you're busted. But then the Q, Corbin Bernstein Q says, Q, I'm watching you. Uh, and he goes, oh, no, I was just saying goodbye to the Calamarain. Don't worry. Uh, then we get back to the uh, Enterprise bridge, and then they say, okay, the aliens are gone, the shuttle's gone. And Riker says, okay, check everything. And Data says, yeah, it's good, they're gone. And Picard says, well, it's the end of Q. Oh, yeah, there's a, the Delhi Law guy did jazz hands. I guess I thought about it. I didn't put that. Uh, yeah, Q sits up. Uh, anything else? Was so pleased with himself and his victory. Uh, he goes, oh, the tricksters learned a lesson. I, I think I, that was just my own notes. Uh, he blows the uh, Calamarain out of his hand. Then, uh, so then Q shows up. As soon as they think Q's gone, he shows up uh, with a mariachi band, and, a, and he says, oh, Mon Capitan. And then he plays the trumpet and dances around, and then he snaps and cigars appear, and uh, Picard and Riker's hands or mouths. Uh, Au contraire, mon capitaine, he's back. That's what the first thing Q says. Uh, and he says, I'm forgiven, I'm immortal again, I'm omnipotent again. And Riker says, great. And Q says, don't fret, Riker, my good fortune is your good fortune. And he snaps, and then there's two women at Riker's side. And Riker says, uh, I don't need your fantasy women. And Q goes, you're so stolid, Commander. He goes, he goes it must be the beard or something like that. Uh, yeah, because you weren't like that before the beard. And he snaps, and the two women appear next to Worf, who kind of looks frightened. And then Riker goes, Q, with a capital loud. Uh, he goes, uh, but he, Q says, I feel like celebrating. And Picard says, I don't. And then Q goes, okay. So then he vanishes the women. And Picard says, all of it. And then he vanishes the mariachi band. And Picard says, now at the risk of being rude, and Q goes, yeah, 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 I know I've been, uh, uh, he, he does this double hand kiss goodbye. He goes, yeah, I know I've overseed my welcome. He goes, you have my everlasting gratitude until next time. And he goes, I have one debt to repay my professor of humanities. He goes, I got something special for you. And Data goes, you don't need to make me human, Q. And he goes, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. Uh, think of it as a going away presence. And then Q vanishes and Data just starts cracking up. This is at, uh, let's see, let me get to the start of it here. Uh, about uh, 4225, uh, uh, Data just starts, uh, he goes, she just starts, first he's like pausing and then he starts like hiccuping, laughing. And then he starts laughing uncontrollably. Like, uh, uh, really good, like, throwing his head back, holding his chest. Uh, the whole crew is like, what in the heck? Jordy's uh, like, Data? And then Data catches his breath for a second. Then he cracks up again uncontrollably. And uh, Q says, or Jordy uh, says, what are you laughing about? And Data kind of says, uh, um, uh, and then he goes, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, he goes, but it was a wonderful feeling. And he was laughing so hard, even Troy was giggling. 
Cum Sturgent. I don't know what that says. Cum Sturgent, who cracks up, goes straight, cracks up again, makes Troy giggle, comes straight. Maybe that is. And they say, yeah, I don't know what was left, but it felt great. Then the park people call. They say, our moon's back on course. Uh, and they say, we got our parkas, and you've done it again, Captain Picard. And he goes, what? And they say, yeah, we got our moon in a round orbit now. And Picard says, Data, what do you think? And Data goes, I don't know. Uh, and then Picard says, well, let's head to uh, Nagala 4, the space station. And he goes, maybe, Picard sits down, he goes, maybe there's a residue of humanity in Q after all. And then uh, Picard, uh, yeah, a cigar appears in Picard's mouth. He also pulled his shirt down right when he sat down. And then in the smoke of the cigar is Q's face, and he goes, don't bet on it, Picard. Uh, like, and I think, I don't think he had clothes on. Even though it was his head, I just felt like he didn't have clothes on. And the episode comes to a close. Uh, so another trip uh, to another generation. With, this was, Q was definitely less antagonistic in this one. I guess because the tables were turned. But it just seemed like his streak was more passive-aggressive mean. Then the last one, like Hide and Q, I think was the last one I watched where I just like, uh, I don't know, John Delancey really is delightful uh, in this role, though. And uh, that's it. All right. Uh, good night. All right, I want to thank some people for the reviews they left on iTunes. Cutest cat ever. Thanks, cutest cat. Uh, superhero. Across the deep dark night, there comes a superhero. Savior, the sleepless friend, to the lonely out- night owl. Armed with dulcet, creaky tones. Stories that engage you, lull you to sleep. Uh, it makes work of his nemesis insomnia. Creative, funny, and clever. Well worth a listen if you can't sleep. Uh, thanks so much. This is very nice, cutest cat. Uh, what, what witchcraft is this? Is Matt to the R to the J. And never knew I'd look forward to laying down every night and listening to a man talk about stuff. Uh, really does soothe you. Allows brain clingers to drop away. Recommend it to all my friends. Uh, make this a part of my <laughs> nightly slumber. It's very nice. I like you. Well, I like you too. Thanks, man. Uh, how about uh, Lil Height? Uh, Lil Height uh, over here is, uh, says, Best sleep, severe anxiety. This podcast helps me forget about everything that's going on, puts me to sleep. Never made it more than halfway through an episode. No idea how it ends. Thanks. That's so nice of you. Thank you. How about Mark? Uh, says, thank you, Scooter. Uh, look forward to bedtime because of you. Even after the longest of days, you make nighttime less lonely. Thanks. That's nice. Uh, M to the M. Uh, great for light sleepers. Uh, listen on my iPad and have the most restful sleep. Uh, pleasant to hear Scooter's voice uh, drift me to rest. Uh, and then I put it back on when I get up. I'm 65. Can't express how thankful I am. Keep up the great work. Thanks, M slash M. And Beverly, uh, not Beverly, but Beverly. Uh, so glad I found this. Been listening for long. Haven't been listening for long, but I'm glad I found it. Does what it says. I never made it to the end of the episode. Uh, but I have listened to the end because I wanted to hear what it was like. Tried many different podcasts with mixed results. This one's perfect. It reminds me of a Will Forte character. Uh, but it, the character co-host doesn't look like Will Forte. That's what my mom says, too. You know Will Forte. And they say, Nebraska Will Forte. It, and then I say, was it Will Forte in Nebraska? Because was he in it? I loved him in it. Uh, 
And then my mom says, get out of my, you're, I told you. And I said, what about Will? And she goes, you'll ne- no, you're no Will Arnett to me either. And I said, what about Will Wheaton, Mom? And she says, will you please hit, go get the milk and quit joking around? And I say, yeah, well, I'm in the middle of thanking uh, Beverly for the nice review. Uh, how about Lifesaver? That's from AJH106, Brainbot or Radio Station, AJH, AJH106, uh, Lifesaver Radio, all the flavors, even the tropical. That's my favorite kind of Lifesavers is a tropical pack. I love that coconut flavor. Uh, works amazingly well. Uh, oh, no, wait, this is from AJH 106.6, uh, Lifesaver Radio. Skeptical of the whole idea of a sleep podcast was sold after one episode. If someone who struggles to sleep is amazing, uh, no longer need meds. Ignore your skepticism, give it, give it a try. Uh, works amazing well. That's from Monka Kalanka. Monka Kalanka. I guess it's been a total lifesaver. Skeptical at first, it uh, works every time. That's a theme. Yeah, this is from Germ2222 They from Ireland. They didn't like it. They thought the Eastern Euro- European accent was offensive. And I'd, say bl- I'd say blame the Muppets for that one. Uh, uh, they like the offbeat name rambling. Uh, but did you say, like, I love Eastern European people. Uh, but sorry about that. Uh, Coolio DC, amazing, highly recommend. Uh, amazing podcast if you can't sleep. Uh, slept great since I started listening. Thanks, Coolio. Uh, Magic, a girl, a.k.a. no one. I can't put my finger on why it works, but it does. Silly, strange, and so comforting. Thank you. How about B-Dub? It sounds like I wonder if they're a Dubs fan. Uh, so effective. Usually suffer from racing minds. Podcast achieves uh, disrupting my thoughts and allowing me to sleep. Can't thank Scooter enough. For using powers for good instead of villainy. Uh, Ruby J from Canada says, Good for studying. I use this podcast to study too. It's not distracting. So good background noise. They like the Star Trek episodes. Thanks, Ruby. How about ACN 12? Uh, I'm in awe. I heard about this through uh, MFM podcast and your friend Georgia. BFFs right I said I should work great so I should listen typically get in bed and toss and turn for three hours to turn the brain off uh, this podcast puts me asleep in minutes I'm a therapist and recommending to all the clients thank you how about stiletto stiletto slytherin well I'm a slytherin so what is it power through glory what is our theme I can't remember uh, it always puts me right to sleep. Such a great find. Laura says, thank you. Love my boyfriend. Wanted to vote for for, for Webby, but it wasn't in the nominations. I guess a lifesaver. Thanks. How about Condoleezza Candles uh, 27? I don't know if that's Condoleezza, but if it is, what up? Uh, Godsend. Tried this a few times. Already hooked. I don't have chronic insomnia, but restless nights with racing thoughts. Uh, and uh, set the timer for 30 minutes. Uh, very surprised this was actually effective. That's from Kiss a- Kick a- Kiss a- Kick Ass Katie. 80. Oh, a lot of rhyming in there. Great job, Katie. Uh, crazy Pants 7 with capital R in their crazy. Slept with you in my car. Actually, I have a crush on someone that has a car based podcast. So and, uh, I was traveling and had to spend a night in my car. I couldn't sleep. I found your podcast worked perfectly. Thank you. Uh, you're ridiculously coming. Thanks. 
and Chris M. Uh, from Australia. In- insane. I love it so much. Never review a podcast app or any music in iTunes. Podcast is that good. Everyone needs to hear about it. I have no idea why it works or why it puts me to sleep. It is every single time. It's fantastic. Keep them coming. Love Chris in Australia. Love you. Thanks, Chris. And thanks to everybody that reviewed the show on iTunes. That's at sleepwithmepodcast.com slash iTunes. Good night.